Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. What tell us is being broadcast live and recorded live on May 9th, 2020. The time right now, 9.08 p.m. We have a free roll going on. It started at 8.30, then it unstarted at 8.31 because I disabled it. I canceled it because I knew we weren't close to ready to start and I wanted to be able to announce the free roll and give people time to get in there. So if you doubled up in the first minute, I apologize, but I can't feel too bad about canceling a tournament one minute into it. I mean, I've, I've done it before like 10 minutes into it and pissed people off, but one minute I knew was fine to cancel it. So it, it restarted at 9 p.m. Hopefully you figured that out. If you're ever going to free roll at the scheduled time and radio hasn't started yet and then it just stops – and says it's been canceled. What that means is that it's going to be moved. So just look for it again in the lobby in a few minutes. Register again. And if you haven't done that, don't worry, because you can still get in. 9.25 is the cutoff. We started at 9, so 25 minutes of late registration. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a validated account on the Poker Room. It's a separate login. Remember, don't try to log in with your Poker Fraud Alert Forum password because it won't work, but you have to make a separate account on that Poker Room, and it needs to be validated and verified. It's a one-time process. Once you're validated, you will get in there. However, to qualify for the free money, this week we're giving away $50. To qualify for the free money, you must know the rules for that. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll are the rules for winning the free money. If you don't know the rules and don't qualify, then tough luck. You don't get paid and your prize gets rolled back into the pool. The money can be paid to you in various ways. I can send it to you Cash App. I can send it to you by Zelle. I can send it to you by uh, – well, you can think of two other ways that people uh, send money back and forth on the Internet, one of which has been around for about 20 years. If you can think of that, I can send it to you one of those two ways. And – I can also send you Bitcoin if you'd like it in Bitcoin, which a number of you do. In fact, there's people who play the free roll who refuse to disclose their identity to me because if you receive it on Zelle or Cash App, then I get your real name, which, by the way, I will never give out. The only way I would give out your real name is if uh, you did something like scam people on the forum. Then I would give out your name. So if you if you scam people and disappear, then I'm not going to keep your name private. But aside from that, unless you scam someone or unless you uh, – do something harmful in real life to me or another member that I feel it's uh, important to identify you. Unless that happens, I will not identify you. So even if you troll me, even if I get angry at you and finally just ban you because I'm sick of you, I'm still not going to give out your info. So, okay, let's talk about the free roll prize pool. This week it came from three sources – Go Buckos, who made a good phone call last week, and we'll probably have him back on tonight. He gave $18. Trey Daruski, who's with us every week, and we're going to put him on very shortly. He gave $22. He gave 40 last week. He's donated uh, last two weeks. Appreciate that. And uh, $10 came from Limitless, a banned forum user, but not voluntarily. Limitless never collected on $10 I owed to him back in March of 2019, over a year ago. I noticed that. I'm like, wow, there's $10 I didn't pay to Limitless. And I keep track of it on the forum. You can look on the Flying Stupidity Forum, one of the top threads, top meaning on the top of the page, not uh, top viewed or anything. But it's on near the top of the page of Flying Stupidity Forum. You'll see the keeping track of winnings. And I post who won each week. I post if they got paid or not. 
And people who didn't get paid after six months, I can at any point re-donate it to the pool. And I, I post this just so everybody knows that I don't appropriate unclaimed money, that it always goes somewhere. Either it gets donated back, paid, or I confiscate it after it doesn't get claimed and put it back in the pool. So I was digging to find uh, 10 more bucks, and there it was. Limitless didn't claim something back in March 2019. So thank you, Limitless. Now we have $50 for this week's prize pool. 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third. 25, 15, and 10 are the prizes this week. Thank you to the three of you who donated, even though one was involuntary. Limitless, I, you may, I may let him back on the form. He still lurks. I may let him back. He just Limitless has a drinking problem. And Limitless, uh, when he drinks too much, he makes a lot of junk posts on the forum, and it makes it tough to read. I don't dislike Limitless, even though he insults me sometimes. He's, he, he writes really nasty things to me sometimes, but I, I know it's the alcohol talking. But still, there's only so much I can take. Even, even me, who runs a free speech forum, there's only so much I can take. And especially what bothers me more than what he says about me is that it, it kind of clutters the forum and people get mad and people complain and people demand I ban him. So I don't like to give it a peer pressure, but if everybody's unhappy with his junk posts, then I think it speaks for itself what I need to do. But if he can get himself under control, I can bring him back for like the tenth time. <laughs> okay, I don't like to talk much about forum drama on the radio show because the truth is most of the people who listen to this show don't read the forum, and those that do tend to not read the flying stupidity portion. They tend to read the more serious forums like the Scam Scandals and Shadiness or the Poker Community Discussion Forum where no trolling's allowed. It's only allowed in that uh, flying stupidity forum, which is kind of more of a haven for former Neverwin Poker and Donk Down posters who moved over to Poker Fraud Alert. So that's why uh, that's the most active part of the forum, but it's not uh, what most radio people listen to and participate in. So I try to separate them as much as possible. But uh, I do appreciate the forum people as well, and that's why whenever I establish criteria to qualify for things, the criteria always has to do with either being an active radio listener, radio participant, or forum poster. So it's uh, it's just two different things that exist on the same site, and I know there's not always a big overlap between the two. Okay, well, I'm going to bring on Trader Ruski, who, by the way, did make a post. He made a post about uh, the coronavirus-related video this week. He doesn't make many posts, but uh, Trader Ruski reacted angrily to a, a post he saw, not not about the poster, but about the video. He didn't like the woman in the video, which is understandable because the woman in the video was very unpleasant. <laughs> What's happening, Drop? There we go. Trader Risky. Hello. How's it going tonight? Well, it's going okay. And uh, I'm glad you're with us once again. And uh, Thank you. We're going to have a break. Vintage one is ready, too, by oh, the way. Oh, he's ready. I see. Okay, I'm going to add him. Uh, we're going to have a uh, Christopher Mitchell free week. We're going to take a break from Christopher Mitchell because we, we've just given it so much time in the last three weeks. And I said, okay. We're going to take a break, even though many of you find it interesting. But on the forum, on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum, there's an ongoing thread about Christopher Mitchell, which uh, is pretty much updated with posts from various people every day about the situation. And if you find the whole thing amusing, uh, the thread will definitely give you your fix. Of course, you can see Christopher Mitchell's own channel on Change Your Life Vlog or uh, Kevin Davis's channel, YouTube Scam Exposers. So between all that, you'll get plenty of of a Christopher Mitchell fix without it being on this show. So I, my policy with that going forward is just whenever something interesting happens, then we will talk about it on here. If it's just kind of more of the same, we're not going to talk about it. 
We had a seven and a half hour show last week. We had a, an eight hour, eight plus hour show the previous week. We had about an eight hour show the week before that. So we've been doing some real long shows lately. So long that if you listen to more than an hour a day, if you listen to an hour a day, seven days a week, you still won't get through everything. That's how much material I'm giving you. But here is uh, the intro stuff, and then we're going to do the agenda, and then we will get going. The phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line at 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808, the Mount Charleston line, which is located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston, and it's an old 70s rotary phone. You can text the show at any time, the main phone number only, 775-372-8355. You can text before, after, or during the show. There's never a time too early or too late to text that number. If you're afraid I may read your text on the air, say at the beginning, do not read on air, otherwise I might read on air, and you'll be sorry, and it'll be too late. It will be too late. The call to listen line is a phone number you can call just to listen to the show. Does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet or a computer. None of that stuff. Just any phone will do. Any phone that could ever dial can use the call to listen line. I kid you not. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line. A no buffer guarantee. It will never, absolutely never buffer. It will play no matter how bad your connection is, it will just keep going forward. You can use that to listen live, and when we're not live, you can use it to listen to the streaming rerun it picked at random to run as if it's live. And it does that over and over and over with random old shows of our 350-plus episode history, dating back eight years, more than eight years now. And it keeps doing that until we come back live. It's kind of a placeholder. The alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095, in case the first one doesn't work, 641-741-1095. If you forget these numbers, just go to the radio tab on the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, and they're all listed there for you. If you want to chat in our chat room, you can do so during the live show only, otherwise there's nobody in there. You need a Flash-enabled device, you need a form account that has been validated and is in good standing to get into the chat room. Here is our agenda for this week. Then we'll make one attempt to find Vintage One again, and then we will get going. It's kind of weird with him because he, he says he's going to come on, and then some weeks I connect him and he's there, and he's there for hours, and other weeks I just never reach him. I, I never solve that mystery. So, okay, let's do the agenda, and then I'll give another shot to reach him. Doug Polk has made the news again, but not just poker news. Doug Polk has made the national news. In fact, it's international news in some places because uh, someone in Canada posted on Poker Fraud Alert that they saw this on one of their Canadian news sites. So it's, it's made North American news. Doug Polk is attempting a recall of the Las Vegas mayor after the Las Vegas mayor went on to Andy Anderson Cooper and embarrassed herself. So that is something that is going on. It's real. It's an actual recall attempt. It has been filed with the city of Las Vegas. And I will tell you my impression of this. I will tell you the challenges Doug will face, and I'll tell you a few things you may not know about it. And we will see where it goes from there. Also, there's a possibility that Doug Polk himself will run for mayor at some point. 
in relation to this entire matter. So Doug Polk is making news. For the first time, people outside of poker are hearing about him. Very interesting. It's not exactly what it appears, but it, it's somewhat what it appears. Here's something that is not exactly what it appears. You would think that with the push to reopen Vegas, that employees of the various casinos want to get back to work. Well, some of them don't. Go Buckos called up and said that uh, he thinks that it's possible that these employees don't want to go back to work because some of these union employees are collecting great benefits and uh, and pay without having to work. So it's much better to collect all of this for not working than collecting a paycheck for working, if they're roughly the same. So we found out some more about that, and we're going to discuss that as our second topic of the night. Our third topic of the night was by request, and it's about something that happened in 2018. And I just decided because someone requested – I've been getting these requests almost every week from one person or another. And that is to finally tell the story about how I got banned from a casino unfairly in the summer of 2018. I've told parts of this story before, but I refused to identify exactly what they were accusing me of, and I refused to identify which property did it. The only thing I would say is it was not a Caesars property, which became pretty obvious because in 2019 I played the World Series of Poker, and if I was banned from Caesars property, that wouldn't be possible. So I am not banned from any Caesars properties that I will tell you right now, but tonight I'm going to reveal the property that did it, which is a major strip casino. It's it's not like uh, some casino that's off in North Las Vegas or something, and it's not uh, its not something like Casino Royale. It's, it's going to be a big, major strip casino that I'm going to reveal banned me. And then I'm going to tell you the exact reason why they claim they banned me and why that absolutely is not what happened. And I will tell you, again, my attempts to get myself unbanned and the brick wall I ran into and where it stands today... And I, I'm just tired of keeping it quiet, you know? Like, there's a reason, which I'll reveal during the segment, that it would probably be better for me to continue keeping it quiet, but screw it. I'm just going to come out with it. I'm just going to tell you guys everything. I really will tell you guys everything. So that'll be our third segment. Phil Galfon, an action freak, continue to play. Remember, Galfon walloped him at the beginning and was already up more than 400,000 euros. They were playing on run at once. They moved to party poker. Why did they move to party poker? I think you can guess, but that's not the reason they claim they're moving there. So we'll discuss the reason for the move and how it has gone since they moved to party poker, which is definitely a neutral place to play. Career hustler Houston Curtis appeared on the Gambling with an Edge podcast. That's the one done by Richard Munchkin and Bob Dancer. They had Houston Curtis on, and if you haven't heard about who Houston Curtis is, he is someone who was involved with Molly's Game. And he has released a book that tells a very different story of the game, and he appeared on this podcast to tell it. So I'm going to play part of it. And I will comment on it. This is another segment I'm going to do by request. I, I had known about this, but I just didn't find it all that interesting to put out there, which I'll explain when I do that segment. But we're going to do it anyway. I, I think it is something the listeners will enjoy. We have some coronavirus discussion again, as we always do. 
then we have three topics after the coronavirus discussions. Several major Las Vegas casinos will remain closed when it's allowed for casinos to reopen. And the Palms is one of them. I will tell you why they are not all going to reopen, even though they will have a chance to at some point in the near future, most likely. I have a good guy in poker story, which is strange on this show, where we're usually talking about bad guys in poker, and by bad guy 23. But we also talk about bad guys in poker for the most part. But this is a good guy in poker story, where a player unfortunately got disconnected at a major tournament, the America's Card Room Sunday Million, heads up for the title, where first gets 49K more than second, and one of the two disconnected. And the first guy sat out on purpose to be fair to the first guy, which he didn't have to do. There's nothing in the rules forcing you to sit out when your opponent disconnects and starts blinding out. So that is a good and honest player. So we'll talk about what happened there. Finally, Caesars has sent you an email, most likely, if you have a total rewards card with them, explaining their tier status and rewards credits decisions in the era of coronavirus, what's going to happen with Whatever status you've earned, how many tier credits are required to, to earn statuses going forward since you can't play at their casinos right now, and how long will your reward credits last and how long will your status last. So they answered all these questions. I'll discuss that and give you my impression of what they're doing. So that's our agenda for tonight. We're going to try to reach Vintage One. Hey, guys. How you doing? Vintage one, glad to hear you on the show. Now, I need some clarification here because I don't understand. Why is it hard to reach you some weeks? I'm not sure. I, I just got a new headset so we could do a, a nice live thing, and I guess it got a little funked up this week. Yeah. Okay, well. Uh, How's it sound, though? Good? I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, you're a little bit loud, but I can turn you down, so that's not a problem. So I, I just, All right. All right. It's it's not your fault. It's just sometimes some headsets broadcast louder than others. So I I, I want everybody to sound the same volume. I, I've once had some, I've had people say to me before, "Oh, you just want to be louder than everybody else." I said, "No, I don't. Actually, I don't want to be louder than everybody else. I don't want to be softer because it's it's bothersome for the listener when they try to listen and one guy's louder than the other. They have to keep turning it up and down when different people are talking. I want people to be able to listen and relax, especially since half the listeners use this to fall asleep. So I, I keep that in mind too. So. Uh, I, I'll turn you up and down according to how loud you seem to be, and then we can all be the same level, and it'll be very nice and peaceful. So anyway, let's talk about Doug Polk. I have to tell everybody before we begin that Doug Polk is a YouTube personality. Doug Polk, yes, he's a very good poker player. He doesn't really play anymore. He retired. But he has a lot of poker talent. He has a lot of poker success. But now, and for a while, he has been a YouTube personality. And a YouTube personality gets views based upon outrageous things or interesting things that they do and say. If a YouTube personality is boring and mundane and like everyone else, people aren't going to want to watch them. And Doug Polk has kept that in mind with everything he does. For example, the trolling of Negranu he's done for so long. Now, it was rooted in the fact that he's never liked Daniel Negreanu, and they've disliked each other for over 10 years. So he didn't just pick Negreanu out of a hat for a guy to go after. He truly doesn't like Negreanu. But 
all the trolling about uh, more rake is better and all that other stuff he was doing about Negranu. Now, he really felt that way. He really uh, felt Negranu was in the wrong in these situations. But this was being played up and this was being done so aggressively because he thought this would get him views. And the added bonus is he's attacking someone he doesn't like and has no respect for, so he also enjoys it when people think badly of Negranu. So it's kind of a, a dual reason he was doing this. But if you think he was doing this just for the purpose of waking people up about Negranu, who, by the way, I don't think is nearly as bad as Doug Polk likes to say, uh, if you think he was just doing it for that purpose, uh, then you're naive. He's doing this because he's a YouTube personality and he wants to get views. He wants to get eyeballs on his channel he wants you to come back to his channel because you found it to be funny or interesting or something that you enjoy watching. And you have to understand that, and that's true of Doug Polk, and that's true of all other popular YouTube personalities for the most part. So Doug Polk is doing a lot of things which he thinks will get him attention. And this is not an exception. So Doug Polk is currently on a quest to get the mayor of Las Vegas recalled. And let me give you some background on this. As I played you on a previous show, I'm not going to play it again, but as I played you on a previous episode, Mayor Carolyn Goodman, who's 81 years old, she's the wife of former Mayor Oscar Goodman, she went on Anderson Cooper and talked about how Las Vegas needs to reopen. She's been at odds with the governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak, who has a lot more authority over the Vegas casinos than she does, first of all, because the state level supersedes the city level, and second, because most of the the casinos that are on the Strip are actually not in the city of Las Vegas. They're in an unincorporated town called Paradise, and she has no say over Paradise. So... She has as much control over the casinos in Paradise as she does over the casinos in Reno, which is like almost 500 miles away. But still, it is the Las Vegas area, and she was mainly expressing her opinion that they all need to reopen. Now, that opinion by itself was not all that controversial. It's a little controversial, but it was the way she said it. She says that uh, she wants the people of Las Vegas to be the placebo in the test and that she wants them to be the test subjects. It came off really, really bad. It came off like that she only cares about the casinos and not the people and she, she's willing to uh, use the Las Vegas people as a test case as to what happens when you reopen, basically implying, well, we need to see. We need, to, we need a city to take the chance and reopen and see what happens to everybody, see how many people die. So we'll do it. I'll, I'll sacrifice our residents. That's how it came off. She came off... Uh, uh, she also was was kind of like laughing throughout the whole thing in, in kind of a maniacal fashion. She did not come off well in any way, shape, or form, even if you agree with what she had to say. She just didn't come off well, and Anderson Cooper was unusually harsh on her. He's usually pretty mild. He's not one of the controversial CNN personalities. It's not like Chris Cuomo. Uh, Anderson Cooper is just kind of a likable, nice guy. But he came after her pretty hard. In fact, harder than I've seen him come after anybody uh, in, in segments I've seen of him. So this embarrassed a lot of people in Las Vegas. They said, oh my god, I can't believe this woman is the one representing us. I'm sure Doug Polk really felt that way. 
I'm sure that Doug Polk was horrified when he watched this. I'm sure he didn't agree with what she had to say or how she said it. And I I believe that his vitriol toward her is legitimate. That he's not. This is not something he's just doing because he wants eyeballs on him. But he doesn't really believe what he's saying. I think he believes what he's saying. However, I believe this entire recall attempt is again to bring attention to his channel. Now, recall on a show not too long ago. I forget exactly when, but not too long ago, Doug Polk not only said he's quitting poker, but he's also quitting poker videos. So he's not going to talk about poker anymore. He's not going to attack controversial poker subjects. Presumably he's not going to go after Negreanu anymore. He's moving on to just kind of general subject matter. In fact, he changed his Twitter screen name to at Doug Polk Vids. He's really trying to become a mainstream YouTube personality, and I think the reason he's doing that is because poker only has a certain amount of reach. And then you hit a ceiling. That's it. And it seems like he hit that ceiling. It seems like uh, Doug Polk is not going to get much more popular than he is, no matter what he does, if he sticks to just poker. And he's realized that. Now, the problem is he's only poker famous. And he's not even poker famous like Daniel Negreanu, who's known to a lot of like really, really casual players. So you you have the people who know nothing about poker and would like have no idea who people are like Phil Ivey and Daniel Negreanu or Phil Helmuth are. Then you have the people who are knowledgeable a little bit about poker, even if they don't play, that know the names Negreanu and Ivy and, and Helmuth, but not much beyond there. Then you have the people who are also casual fans of poker who know a little bit more, and they know who Doug Polk is, but it's still definitely a level below the really big names in poker. So he's kind of like a semi-big name in poker at this point, but he's not one of these guys that everyone knows. He's not a Doyle Brunson. He's not a Phil Helmuth. And even if he became that, it would still be hard to get a, a massive following on a YouTube channel. He's got a good following, just not a massive following. So he wants a massive following. The problem is, as I said, uh, to get that massive following, you have to appeal to those outside of poker, and there's it's a lot harder to do that, if you, especially if you don't have a niche anymore. So he's trying to find ways to get eyeballs on his channel, and this is one. He found a way. And so for the first time to my knowledge, Doug Polk has made news outside of poker. So he tweeted on April 27th, doing some research for this video recalling the mayor of Las Vegas. He was, he, at this point, he was already uh, considering doing a recall on uh, Carolyn Goodman. He said, if you ever thought these elections weren't serious business, just look at this tough field of candidates from 2015. Now, this is not the last election, but this is the second to last mayoral election they had in Las Vegas, 2015. They had another one, 2019. This is the last really contested election where it looked like there was a chance somebody else would win. So the four candidates were incumbent Carolyn Goodman, Stavros Anthony, and I I didn't really follow this at all, but apparently Stavros Anthony was a serious candidate who must have put some time, effort, and money into trying to get elected mayor because he came fairly close. Then I like this. The third candidate was Phil LOL Corey. <laughs> Actually, Phil, I'm not saying Phil LOL like I'm laughing. He, he actually put himself on the ballot as Phil LOL Corey, and LOLs in quotes. So it really, it's exactly what you think it means. Phil LOL Corey was the third candidate, 
And the fourth one was Abdul Shabazz. So I don't know anything about, but Abdul Shabazz has to live for the rest of his life with the shame that he lost by a three-to-one margin to Phil LOL Corey. <laughs> Imagine finishing behind Phil LOL Corey in an election. I know nothing about him or this Abdul Shabazz, but just, just the fact that someone with LOL as their middle name, in quotes, that's on an election for a serious office, mayor of Las Vegas, the fact that you'd actually lose to that guy is something you'll never live down. So to tell you the tally of votes, Abdul Shabazz came in fourth with uh, 326 votes. He got less than 1%. Phil LOL Corey got to LOL about the fact that he got more than 2.5% of the votes. 955 people voted for him. I wonder if he got more votes because of the LOL thing. I could pick. I could actually picture that, that he actually got more votes because he put LOL in his name. That may have actually been a good tactic to not win but to not finish last. Stavros Anthony, who, as I said, must have tried to put up some sort of attempt to beat Carolyn Goodman, unlike the other two. He got uh, 42% of the vote, 15,761 votes. And Carolyn Goodman won with 20,443 votes, 54%. Was it super close? No. She won by 12 points, and she won by 5,000 votes. But it was fairly close. At least it was fairly close to 50-50, but she definitely got more. But at least it was an election. The 2019 election, she ran away with. So I guess there was not another Stavros Anthony type. In 2019, she got 22,316 votes to easily win. Phil Collins, 1,417 votes. Now, do you think it's Phil Collins the singer? Phil Collins the poker player? It was actually neither. I'll tell you in a second who that is. Amy Luciano, who, believe it or not, we've talked about before on this show, but not in the context of a mayoral race, 824 votes. And then uh, Tina Rain alexander 786 votes. And I, I think there may have been some others beyond that, but I only have the top four here, but whatever. that's uh, Even second place got only 1,400 votes, and Carolyn Goodman as the winner got 22,000 votes. So uh, as you see, she seems to be getting around 20,000 votes every time, but, but nobody can beat her. And, and the turnout has been very poor in the Las Vegas mayoral election. It's, it's less than 10% every time. Now, on the upside of this, if you could really get a candidate who energizes everyone and could get a lot of people out there to vote, you could easily beat Carolyn Goodman because you just need to get out the vote somewhat. Because if the if fewer than 10% of the people are showing up to vote, and if in a city of, I, I think Las Vegas proper has like 600,000 people, the area has about 2 million, but the Las Vegas proper, which actually called, really is Las Vegas, is like 600,000. And I'm not sure how many are voting age, but still... To only get uh, 22,000 votes and easily win, if you could mobilize people to vote for another candidate, then they probably could beat Carolyn Goodman. But there is no attempt to do that in 2019. Uh, A quick aside, I don't want to get too much on a tangent here. Phil Collins, as I said, he was neither the famous singer nor the semi-known poker player. I think Phil Collins even won a bracelet. But it's neither Phil Collins. This particular Phil Collins, who finished in second in 2019, he was a member of a political party called the Prohibition Party. (laughs) I'm going to ask you guys, my esteemed co-host, do you think the Prohibition Party is what it sounds like it is? 
or you think it's something else? I, I can't imagine it is in Vegas. Well, it is. It, it actually is a party that is for prohibition, which means no alcohol. Make alcohol illegal. There really is a political party called the Prohibition Party. You can look it up. I didn't know this until I looked up who Phil Collins was. I had no idea this type of thing still exists. Uh, apparently, Phil Collins must have thought he was running in 1920 instead of to be serving in 2020. In 1920, that wouldn't have been a bad party to run under. In, in 2020, not so much. However, maybe he had a good idea because uh, both in 1920 and 2020, there was a pandemic killing people. So maybe, maybe he had, uh, maybe he was onto something. Anyway, he's a member of the Prohibition Party, and not as a joke. Like he's really a serious member of the Prohibition Party. He came in second. Amy Luciano. You probably don't recognize that name. There's only one reason I recognize the name. It's because uh, she was a Facebook friend of mine, and I watched the name change. She used to be known as Amy Hanley, and you may not really know that name either. But if you go back and listen to an old Poker Fraud Alert radio show, you will hear a segment or several segments we did about the awful TLC show Sin City Rules featuring Jennifer Harmon and a bunch of other women it was a, an attempted reality show, which failed badly, and I tried to watch it, and it was so boring and lame and stupid and contrived. Even by reality show standards, it was an awful thing. Nobody liked it, so it, it didn't last, even on TLC. Uh, I'm going to play a little uh, preview of it from 2012. To you, Las Vegas is a weekend. It's a strip club. A bachelor party. A gambling spree. To me, it's home. I'm one of the women who runs this town. That was I'm Jennifer tough. Harmon. I'm smart. I'm ruthless. And I don't play by the rules. I make them. That, that was Amy Hanley, by the way, who just said that. All the women are walking confidently through the desert. Then it showed Jennifer Harmon. Okay, we, we talked about that before in the show. It was an awful reality show. Amy Hanley was on it, and she was uh, her her whole gimmick was being the daughter of a mob hitman from the 1960s, and he was killed when she was three. So she probably doesn't remember the guy. Usually, your memories start at four. Very few people can remember much before four or anything before four. So she clearly has no memory of him. Uh, there were these ridiculous segments on the show where she was uh, so sad and crying about her father and now she misses him. And keep in mind, this guy was a murderer. This guy was a murderer and a hitman and uh, apparently wasn't even like one of the top mob hitmen at the time. He was a mob hitman, but he wasn't one of the top ones. Uh, it's not like he was a legendary figure in Vegas. His name was uh, Tom Hanley. But she has exploited this as like her identity to try to get – noticed and get some kind of uh, show business type job as uh, the mob doll. And she's she's really been trying to play this up. Which It's kind of a weird angle that you're, you're playing up that uh, you're the daughter of a mob hitman, as, as if that makes you... As if that's impressive, as if that's something you should admire. But that was the angle she played up on the show. That was the angle she played up on Facebook. So I... I friended her on Facebook just because it was funny. Like it was, it was funny watching everything she was attempting. And also, there was a lot of drama on her page, including between her and her own mom. And she, she would just 
spout off. Like she, she held nothing back. She would just spout off of exactly what was going on and the drama in her life, even involving her own mom. And uh, so I, I kept her as a Facebook friend just to laugh at all that stuff. And one night she actually messaged me. This is probably seven years ago. She she was drunk or something and messaged me and started talking to me as if we were close friends. And I just went along with it. I didn't say, like, we don't know each other. <laughs> but uh, I I was going to get her to come on the radio show. It would have been pretty entertaining, except by the time I was going to go do that, the show got canceled. It didn't last very long. And then I lost interest, and that was that. Anyway, Amy Hanley is Amy Luciano. She got married to some guy named Luciano, that's who she is now. So I guess she's still trying to get attention in some way. She ran for the uh, Las Vegas mayor title in uh, 2019, but didn't come anywhere near winning. And I, I don't know about the fourth person. Anyway, let's get back to Carolyn Goodman. So she's pretty much going to be unbeatable for mayor, it looks like, for the time going forward. Now, maybe by the time the next election comes and she is 84 years old, especially with this debacle on CNN... Maybe by then someone will unseat her or she just won't want to run again. She's too old or maybe she'll be dead by then. But Doug Polk has decided he's had enough and is attempting to start this recall. So he he posted the results from 2015 showing that she won with only 20K votes. Uh, He also made a post on April 28th noting that almost everybody who goes to vote tends to be old. He posted a bell curve type graph of the age of Las Vegas voters in uh, 2019. The median age of voters in Las Vegas for the mayoral election. Uh, Trader Risky, what do you think the median age of Las Vegas voters for the mayoral election was in 2019? Oh, God. It's got to be north of 50. 52? 52. Not too close. It was 72. Get out of here. He posted the graph showing that uh, 72 was the median age of this bell curve. That's where it peaks. That uh, it's it's very low. It's uh, fewer than 200 people all the way until you get to about 50. Then finally they have about 200 voters. And then it keeps going up, 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 up until 72 of all things, there were a thousand voters. So that's where that's where the the most voters were at seventy two. Uh, even at at uh, sixty six, there was not a single age from zero to sixty six where they had uh, six hundred voters. Uh, age uh, sixty seven had six hundred voters, and it kept going up to seventy two had a thousand. Then it starts to go down, but even at uh, eighty three, there's uh, more than four hundred voters. So far more 83-year-olds voting, about double the 83-year-olds voting as there are 51-year-olds voting. Isn't that crazy? So I, I guess uh, the, anyone, unless they're really old, just has no desire to vote for mayor in Las Vegas. Polk said, they say young people don't vote, but this is ridiculous. That's an insane graph. Now, that's not positive for Doug Polk because I don't think he appeals all that much to the 72-plus crowd. I don't think I don't think they go for his faux hawk look and his uh, general uh, youthful demeanor. And he's young himself. He's he's in his uh, early 30s, so he has youthful demeanor because he's young. Anyway, that's going to be a challenge for him. But he's just researching these things before actually uh, doing it. 
On May 4th, about a week later, he said, it's been over a week of me trying to round up just three signatures to recall the mayor of Los Angeles. I only have two. Now, to be able to sign this, he can't just get anybody. The person has to be one who voted for her in the 2019 election. So not only do they have to live in the actual city of Las Vegas and be of voting age and have registered to vote, they actually have actual vote, actually voted in that election. They didn't have to vote for her, but they had to have voted in that election. Otherwise, they cannot, uh, they cannot sign a recall. So he says almost every person who says on social media that they voted in a mayoral election didn't. So the, he, he must have put out a request saying, hey, if you voted in this election, let me know and you can sign this. And then every time someone responded to him, he'd go look this up because you can look this up in public records. He'd look this up and they were lying. Isn't that a weird thing to lie about? Like, why answer Doug Polk saying, yeah, I voted in it. Let me sign it when you really didn't vote in it. Like, why, why even do that? You're just trying to kiss ass to Doug Polk and be involved. I, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, apparently, like, I think... Like the first 10 people responded to him. I think only one person, only like one of those 10 actually voted. Now he thinks that maybe what happened was that uh, they thought they voted. Maybe they voted in the 2015 election and, and, and forgot that they didn't vote in 2019. May have been something like that. May have not just been outright lying. But whatever it was, he was having a, a hard time. The two he found were uh, attorney uh, Leo Wolpert, who, by the way, listens to this show. And uh, a person who goes by Nightly Nerds on Twitter, don't know who they are, but those were the first two signatures there. And uh, he had to find the third signature. He eventually found it. I don't know who the third person was, but he got the third signature. And he tweeted out on May 6th, We have the signatures to begin the petition to recall Las Vegas Mayor Carolyn Goodman. I am meeting with a city council clerk, with a city clerk today to verify the paperwork. We'll be posting a video on the topic today or tomorrow. So he finally got his third signature. And uh, that's all you need, I guess, to start a recall process, which is great for him because a lot of this is for the publicity. And if he needed to get like a thousand signatures to get it started, uh, good luck with that, especially during the coronavirus pandemic and nobody's out walking around. Uh, You can't just post a table somewhere and get people walking by. Uh, Here, there's none of that going on. So he had trouble even getting three signatures. But uh, since the rule is you need three, he got it started with three. Now you may be wondering, wait a minute, does that mean we can recall the mayor with just three people signing? No. That's the first step. So you can't even submit the paperwork till you have three signatures of verified voters that voted in that election, and they check this out. That's why he had to make sure that people were telling the truth. If you submit signatures of people who didn't actually vote, then they will reject it. So you, and it's very easy for them to check this since they can look this up quickly in public records of who voted, and it's only three people, so it's not exactly burdensome for them to do at the city. So the, he submitted this to the city clerk. Uh, he got a number of people giving him a hard time about this. A number of people said he's just doing this for views, just doing it for attention, that uh, he doesn't care about people's jobs, he, he just wants to do something controversial that they need to reopen Vegas. Why is he trying to keep Vegas closed? Why is he trying to hurt Vegas just for attention? So there were a number of people who attacked him, who thought that uh, he was taking a contrarian position just to uh, just to be contrarian and just to get views and just to cause a stir. And a lot of people started to attack him for this. 
He tweeted then, I don't want to recall the mayor just because she wants to reopen Las Vegas. She also cares more about the, quote, sensitive casino owner's interests than the people of Las Vegas. Additionally, she was unable to maintain a conversation with functional sentences, referring to the Anderson Cooper appearance. This was in response to a guy named uh, Bao Chisner on Twitter who wrote, let me get this straight. You want to recall the mayor of Las Vegas because she wants to reopen the economy, let folks work again? That's not GTO thinking, bro. So there were a number who wrote things like that to him. So that was his answer. Now, he's got a long way to go. He has to collect 6,681 signatures, which is 25% of the votes that she received in the last election. And how long does he have to do this? He has 90 days. Now, that's going to be tough. I don't, yeah. I don't feel like that's hard. Normally, it would not be. But he has to find 6,700 people almost in 90 days during a time when everybody is hiding out in their house and where people probably won't even want to answer the door, even if he can secure enough volunteers to go door to door to get these signatures. And remember, these signatures have to be of people who voted in the 2019 mayoral election, of which there's about, I don't know, 26,000, 27,000 total. So, so that even just finding people who voted at all in the election, uh, now, to be fair, they probably will have a hard time verifying. If he really gets 6681 signatures, I don't think they're going to go through all 6681 and make sure that all of them voted. But still, he has to, he, I, I don't think he's going to do anything illegal and, and, and forge signatures. I think he's going to have to really get signatures of people who at least claim they voted in the election that want to recall her. And, and that's, it, because of the coronavirus pandemic, that's what's going to make this really, really tough. And to be honest, I don't think he's going to get there. Uh, and he only has 90 days. And as I said, he, he took a while to get three signatures. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 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 now it's not clear if he wants to run to replace her. But I'm hearing some rumors that, yes, he does, that if this were to work, that he, he acknowledges privately that this is probably not going to work, that he, he'd like to see it work. But there's a, a very good chance this is not going to work because of the signatures, but that if she does get recalled, that then a good chance that the next step would be him running for mayor. Now, of course, once he does that and if he wins, then there's real work involved. Then at that point, it's no longer fun and games. At that point, you have to really uh, be a mayor. <laughs> I don't know if he wants that responsibility at this point. Uh, yeah, but look at Trump. <laughs> yeah, well, right. He may, he may look at Trump like that. He may think, well, this is the age of uh, of the reality star becoming a uh, politician. So you know, maybe I can go mayor. Then I can be the governor one day. I can be president one day. Who knows? Doug Polk may be thinking that uh, he could parlay this into something huge. Uh, so last I heard, he really does want to run for mayor. He's not sure of it, but at the moment he's on the side of, yes, I'd like to run for mayor if she gets recalled. The problem is a gigantic hurdle to even – start a recall vote because he has to get 6681 signatures in the next 90 days. Uh, I have been told that he does have volunteers willing to go door to door. This does present challenges, though. People aren't going to just open up and talk to you because of the social distancing. You, you see someone come to your door that doesn't have a package for you. You're typically not answering, and you're going to probably talk through the door and say, what is this about? Oh, yeah, I'm here to bring you a petition to recall the, the mayor. Yeah, go away. I, I'm not opening the door and risking my health for that. That's what a lot of people are going to say. Uh, I guess some could have 
conversations through the door, but then they still have to sign something and then they have to still handle something that the guy holding the petition's handling and they'll be afraid of that. So there's a lot of complications to getting these signatures that normally don't exist. Uh, if Ironically, this is because of the pandemic. He's trying to recall her. But if there were something else she did to piss him off during normal times, then he'd have a much better shot in both the door-to-door thing and also just uh, setting up tables and paying people minimum wage to sit at these tables and collect signatures, uh, then I could easily see him getting 6681 signatures. Uh, however, this if you're thinking this is failing, then you're not understanding the main reason he's doing this. Don't underestimate the WGC rider uh, horde of crew fan members. Right, and that's that's true. And then for those of you that don't know, WCG Rider was his uh, online screen name. So yes, he does have a lot of fanboys. They're, they're they're manic. They they stand behind Doug. That that's basically why Doug's secondary career was so big. He, I mean, he was. I mean, you know, Druff. He was an, he was elite. He was top of the top of the game. If if you saw him on Twitch, it was must see TV. Yeah, he does have. He had a lot of fanboys, and then he did his channel well. And I'll tell you part of the reason he did his channel well. I've told people this before. It's seriously serious. Who is behind the production of his channels and is seriously right, is right. serious is verified. Uh, is really behind a lot of a lot of a lot of the stuff you see with Doug Polk that you like. Doug the advantages he brings to the table that seriously serious himself doesn't bring. Seriously serious is not a uh, a top poker player. He's not a well-known poker player. Uh, Doug Polk has a good broadcast presence. Doug Polk is, is, is fairly good-looking. So there's a lot of uh, stuff that Doug Polk brings to the table that makes him a good YouTube personality. And, but but he has a, a very, very strong person behind the scenes producing a lot of this. And that's huge, too. And if Doug did not have... Oh, yeah, it sounds like a great politician. <laughs> it, it is right. Politicians <laughs> right? have things like that too. Yes. So, so, so Doug Polk has has a, a very good presence and uh, and a, a very good poker resume and and an excellent person behind the scenes who who's very very good at what he does. So that's exactly. that's part of the reason that uh, Doug Polk has succeeded as much as he has, and why you can't underestimate him with anything. And uh, so that's currently going on, and I'll tell you how this has been successful already in that it's getting a lot of news coverage, a lot, uh, at least a lot. Compared yeah, mainstream, to, mainstream yes. news coverage. Right. Not just poker news. Okay. And this, yeah, this, this exactly. is, this is something that uh, is worth a lot because he's, remember he's trying to build up his channel, not as a poker player, not for poker content, not to advertise his training site, but he's trying to break away from all of that and just do a regular general interest channel. And this is the first mainstream pop, uh, publicity that I've seen him ever get. And uh, so this has appeared in a number of online publications now. There is one that was uh, based out of Canada, where someone on the forum posted that it appeared. Uh, it has been on the front page of Yahoo, someone said they saw it. When I went to go look, I couldn't yeah, find I it. Yeah, I saw it. I okay. saw it. Uh, to show you, I don't know where she found this, but I actually heard my girlfriend watching the Anderson Cooper appearance of Carolyn Goodman today. I had told her about it somewhat before, but she only had moderate interest in watching it. Yet today, she was watching it, and I, I said, were you reading an article about Doug Polk? And she said, yes. 
So she saw it somewhere. She was just following the mainstream news. She doesn't go to poker news sites at all. And she found it there and and followed it. And, and I, I hadn't even told her about Doug Polk yet. So she found this on her own. So she saw it somewhere on a mainstream news site. I should have asked her which one. So people are seeing this. And uh, and the, the mayor has responded because uh, she's, she's, this is the first recall effort ever against her, to my knowledge. And how did she respond? Please enlighten well, us. So, <laughs> so she didn't respond as angrily as you'd expect, probably because uh, she knows that the chance of it succeeding is, is fairly small. But uh, she responded by saying that uh, it's his right to do. Let me find the exact uh, exact thing. She's... Now, now, Druff, was her husband the mayor prior to her? Yes. If, if I'm remembering correctly? Yeah, he was, yeah. Here's the first mainstream coverage that was found. This was on uh, May 7th, and this was a Las Vegas news. So the first thing it did is hit Las Vegas news outlets, and then it started to spread. Here's the Las Vegas news report on uh, Channel 13. And Mayor Goodman's recent comments, they have sparked a petition for a recall. A man by the name of Doug Polk filed a petition, and in a statement to 13 Action News, Doug says that, quote, she is barely able to speak coherent sentences while discussing the subject matter. Yeah, so that's that was the first thing that was seen. And Which is true. Yeah, it was true. And then and then she, also the Las Vegas Review-Journal has since done a uh, an article about it of, of some length. And it's been in other Las Vegas uh, media outlets. I'm talking about mainstream outlets, not poker outlets. Uh, Carolyn Goodman finally responded also on the 7th and said, uh, regarding the recall effort, this is America. That's his choice. And then he responded back in a retweet, thanks for the support, Mayor. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she knows that he can do this. It probably won't be successful, but she actually had to say something. She didn't have to, but she, I guess she felt like she had to comment and she didn't want to fuel the fire too much. So she made kind of a generic, like, okay, you I can mean, do this if you want. I mean, she, she's the ultimate moron, really. I mean, you've seen these interviews with her. I mean, the, the way she handles herself is so remedial and just like clueless that a Doug Polk type of person is going to obliterate her because I mean, he's into all the nuances of how you talk and how you present yourself and his reads are real good. And, uh, just, well, yeah. It's and, embarrassing. And, yeah. And he's also 50 years younger and that also helps. So <laughs> then it appeared in the independent, which is a major publication out of the UK. And uh, this is what it said in The Independent. The mayor of Las Vegas, who revealed that she offered to reopen the city as a control group (laughs) during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, in a jaw-dropping interview on CNN, is facing a recall effort. Professional poker player Doug Polk is leading the effort to recall Mayor Carolyn Goodman. The Las Vegas Review-Journal reports that Mr. Polk filed notice of intent to circulate a recall petition with the city clerk's office on Wednesday. Mr. Polk has 90 days to submit a petition signed by 25% of the voters from the 2019 election. This is approximately 6745 people. It's not quite accurate. It's uh, actually of people who uh, – oh, no, no, yes, 25% of the people who voted for her. But you had to be a voter not necessarily for her to sign. 
If enough valid signatures are collected by the August 4th deadline, it will trigger national mayor re- recall election. Regarding recall, if this is America, that's his choice, you retweeted on Thursday. Mr. Polk replied, thanks for the support, Mayor. Explaining his reasons for recalling the mayor, Mr. Polk said he doesn't only want to recall her for, quote, wanting to reopen Las Vegas in the midst of a pandemic, but also for the putting the casino owner's interest above those of the people of the city. So it's more of what we've just already said. Uh, so that was there in the Independent, which is a large publication out of the UK. So it got all the way to the UK. Uh, a Canadian publication picked it up. It's been on the front page of Yahoo, as I said. It's been in a number of other news outlets. So really, people just sitting at home browsing the news see, hey, look, someone wants to recall the mayor. And a lot of people already saw the video of the mayor. It was shared virally when it happened, when she was on that Anderson Cooper segment. So people have her in their mind, even people who don't live in Las Vegas. People watched that and thought that was terrible, thought she came off awful. And... So they see something about recall of Las Vegas mayor. People go, oh, wow, yeah. She made a fool of herself on Anderson Cooper. So, wow, they're recalling her now. So, of course, they click through and read about how Doug Polk is doing this. And uh, this is really getting him a lot of publicity. Now, I don't know if this is leading to like increased views of his channel that are going to stick. I don't know if this is going to ultimately benefit him. But it's a good try, and maybe it'll help, maybe it won't. But... He's already won at this point as far as this attempt because he didn't have to spend much money. I mean, it looks like he's spent very little money so far. And, if any. And he's made the international news over this. So can you imagine what publicity that is for your – when you're looking for publicity and you make the international news spending little to no money and you didn't do anything wrong or illegal or anything embarrassing? That's really tough to do. Think about it. Well, Druff, if you're questioning if his site reaps any benefits from this, there's no question. Of course it does. Like you said, it's zero money out, all positive expectation in. I mean, it. he's going to get a ton of people in there. Well, and it's to, only going to grow more as it, this gets – it's going to get some legs. It might, but what, what I'll say here is that – it may just be temporary traffic, and I've seen this. Totally, totally. I've, I've seen this with some viral videos where someone gets uh, amazing attention and a lot of viewers for one thing they do, and then they try to parlay that into other videos. And they, it's so weird. You'll see someone with like six point seven million views, and the rest of their videos two hundred, one hundred, one fifty. You're like, what the hell? Like, how did it get this few? I, I was shocked. I would be shocked to see that because I, I can't even believe with that many subscribers and views that they couldn't have more than, like, 200 on their other videos. Like, how do you not have more than that? But I've seen it before. Like, if you want to see an example of this, um, this is from a long time ago, but I think it's still up. There was a guy who did a a pretty popular version of uh, a Clay Aiken video of uh, If if I Was Invisible. His name was Phil something. I forgot the guy's name. But it was kind of a a cute uh, video he did with his friends. And it, it caught on. This is in the 2000s. This is like 08, 07, something like that. It caught on. It got millions of views. And this guy was trying to make it in Hollywood. So he thought, okay, sweet. Now I'm going to have a popular YouTube channel. Nope. If you go look at the rest of his videos, even ones released shortly after that, barely any views. 
<laughs> I looked at that and I felt so bad for him. Like he must have thought he's hitting the big time now, and then it went nowhere. He did one thing. Yeah, but the difference is, drop uh, Polk's videos get big views now, even before this. So any help it gets and any more attention it gets can only help an already successful channel. Yeah, I, I, it can help. I know it's not going to be like the example I just cited, but I'm saying that maybe a lot of the new traffic, uh, they have to want to stick around. So they're not going to stick around for the poker totally, stuff. Totally, and, and, and There's got to be something. Hopefully he's got some other general videos up right now that appeal to people. And I, I know they couldn't really prepare for this because uh, this just came up out of nowhere and they didn't know it was going to hit the, the news like it did. Uh, here's, here's some of the Polk video. This is uh, – it, it's a 21 uh, – you can already tell with the background music. It's totally seriously serious stuff. But uh, uh, he has uh, – <laughs> but he, he doesn't have that many views on this. He has uh, only about 20K views. Now, it's been released only two days, but – I don't know if this is much better than his other videos uh, as far as number of views. Petition for a recall on one stadium building. She is barely able to speak coherent sentences. We have officially begun the recall of Las Vegas Mayor Carol Goodman. Now, I'm going to break down exactly what we're going to do to make that happen. But before we do, I want to talk about why she deserves to be recalled. Carolyn Goodman has been mayor of Las Vegas since 2011, and just last year she won her third term for mayor once again. It was nice to see some real change for mayor of Las Vegas, because the last mayor before her, well... That guy was her husband. This is the only known instance where a spouse <laughs> took over for the other spouse as the mayor of a major city in American history. Carolyn Goodman is listed as an independent, but her roots are really in the Democratic Party. Her husband was part of that party until 2009, and she ran against a Republican in her last election. In 2011, Goodman beat out a large field of candidates, ultimately winning a heads-up race versus a Democratic contender. And in 2015, she won a four-way race where the primary opponent was a Republican candidate. In that race, she beat out Stavros Anthony and Phil L.O.L. Corey. Imagine running for mayor, putting it all on the line, and then getting one-third of the vote of Phil L.O.L. Corey. I'm sorry, Abdul. just wasn't your day. <laughs> Last year, Goodman ran once again for her final term. You're limited to three terms in Las Vegas, Nevada, where she absolutely just smashed it with 84% of the vote. So there's no doubt about it. People overwhelmingly want Goodman for mayor in the city of Las Vegas might be a little bit confusing because the city of Las Vegas is not actually the entire valley, but rather a specific subsection of Las Vegas. All right, so you can watch the rest of this. It's called It's Time to Remove the Mayor of Las Vegas Official Recall. This is on Doug Polk's YouTube channel. It's a 21-minute video. I'm not going to play it. I I think he probably repeats it. It is so good, though. It is so good. That guy has got such a presence. Yeah, he has a I presence. I love how he talks. Yeah. You know, he, he's very endearing, and you believe him. He does have a good presence, and then Sirius the Sirius uh, puts it together well, so it's it's a, a good thing they've got totally. going there. And, uh, and Sirius the Sirius has said this really helped, uh, like, establish him in Vegas. Like, Sirius the Sirius has, owes a lot to Doug Polk. They owe a lot to each other. Sirius the Sirius got, sure, uh, got a lot sure. of steady, well-paid work from Doug Polk, and uh, Sirius the Sirius also, like, pretty much made Doug Polk as, uh, as far as... Uh, uh, making a, a watchable channel and, and producing everything. So that was, that was a very good partnership. So anyway, you can look at that. I'll give you guys updates as this goes along as to whether there's anything to this as far as being successful. It's going to be very challenging, but I can tell you, I can tell you, I know 
I'm not just guessing, but I actually know that they are going to have volunteers that are going to attempt to go and get these signatures. So they're not just happy with appearing on the international news and they're going to let this fall off. They're actually going to attempt to get the signatures. It's going to be tough, and, and it's even been acknowledged to me that uh, it's going to be unlikely, but that they're going to try. They, they don't think the chance is zero. They think they have a greater than zero chance to get these signatures, and they're, they're going to give it a shot. So there, there may be well, more Well, if to this. you guys are the volunteers out there listening, you guys go out there and try harder than you've ever tried and get those fucking signatures because we want to see <laughs> you guys make some history here. That would be Come funny. On. It would be very entertaining if they get the signatures. Oh, I, it would be the best. I hope they get the signatures. <laughs> I am rooting for it. I will be. I will, Please. I will actually have a smile on my face if I, if I find out that the signature effort has exceeded or even if it's on the way to succeeding. Because I will get word. Could I will you get imagine? <laughs> I, I will get word if, it, if it's becoming uh, successful, if it's looking like it's going to get there or might get there. I'll, I'll get word of that and I will let you guys know as i find these things out so uh yeah good luck to doug on this uh oh yeah if if you find out we have to do an emergency show like a live broadcast (laughs) yeah so this is a very ingenious attempt here to to make this happen so okay let's uh let's move on to the next topic here and that is about the situation with the union the culinary union in Las Vegas, and whether they really want to go back to work, because uh, you would think they do. You would think it's a no-brainer that, of course, they want to go back to work, but maybe they don't. And that was suggested by a caller last week, a very good caller who goes by Go Buckos, and he can call in right now if you'd like seven seven five fraud fifty five. And he said he might call in about this situation. So I. Invite him to call in if he'd like to be part of this discussion since he started the whole topic in the first place. And he suggested that uh, maybe the union prefers right now that everybody stay home and just continue reaping benefits without having to actually do work and put themselves at risk for COVID-19. Remember, it's not just about doing work. It's also about you're risking catching the coronavirus, which you don't want, especially if you're over 45 years old. So here's what Go Buckos posted on uh, May 5th. Let's throw him on here. I'm pretty sure this is him. Go Buckos, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you guys doing? Go Bucko. Glad to have you on the show. Let me. I'm going to read your own words, and then, then we will get on with this sure. discussion. This is what uh, Go Buckos sure. wrote here on May 5th. This is a day after the last show. Or more than a day after, about three days after the last show. I was going to bring this up on my call into radio this past weekend, And by the way, that's around the three-hour mark of the last show, if you want to go back and find it. But at that time, I had only heard rumors and didn't have any hard evidence to back them up. Now I do. For those not familiar, the Culinary Workers Union represents something like 90% of the rank-and-file employees at strip casinos, as well as as some others downtown and elsewhere in Nevada. They have a pretty heavy presence in Laughlin as well, not sure about Reno. It is probably the most powerful single labor union in the country when it comes to influencing local and state government policy, and rest assured it will have an outside influence on how this all winds up going down. This is all true, by the way. I had heard that it was more or less the union's intent to keep the casinos closed as long as possible. I thought that was odd at first, but the more I thought about it, the more it makes sense. Per the terms of the contract, the workers' employment is guaranteed for a substantial amount of time at full pay and benefits in a situation like this. 
I'm not sure what the exact time horizons are, but it's at least 90 days for the pay and much longer for the benefits. If the casinos are still Drew, sh- before I can re- before you get Drew, yeah. before you continue, I have to correct one thing. It's actually 60 days that the pay is guaranteed, not okay. 90. Okay. Well, thank you for correcting. So I, uh, thank- I, I do have to correct that. But, okay. Well, uh, carry on. Thank you for correcting that inaccurate poster. You, you, you don't know these these guys who post on the forum. You never know if they're right. So. <laughs> well, I know they're a bunch. They're a bunch of idiots. Thank- bunch of retards. Anyway. Thank Thank you for cl- correcting yeah. that uh, unreliable person. So, if the casinos are still shut when the pay horizon runs out, the employees simply go on the government dole while still collecting their benefits. In this article. The Culinary issue, uh, Union takes issue with the following seven-page uh, Nevada gaming document listing the reopening guidelines, and that was the document we discussed last week. Uh, it then goes on to praise the WINS 23-page reopening plan while still calling it inadequate. It then rolls out its own list of demands, some of which would take literally years to develop and implement. For example, contactless and cashless tipping systems for guest service providers such as bell persons, valets, door oh door persons, guest room attendants, and room service attendants should be provided. So they're saying they don't want to go back to work until uh, you can tip them without actually handing them cash. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Druff, and Druff, that would take years. Right. Right. I, I mean, I mean, what, what? We, what, what is the valet guy going to do? Give you his cash app or his Venmo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then they they wear it around uh, I mean, their neck like a chain. The, I mean, I mean, there there would have to be a way to, you know, make sure it's done in a way where the wages are recorded because that has to be, you know, reported to the IRS. All that. Yeah. And and there, there's just no way you can implement something like that. You know, in a period of weeks, it would literally take years. And, and okay, how about this one here? This is another one from this uh, unknown poster. If COVID nineteen has been detected at any time during the preceding fourteen days in the state or province where the facility is located, no employee shall be comp- compelled to accept work. Any employee electing not to accept work shall be considered to be on an involuntary layoff. Employers should not challenge application for unemployment benefits by employees subject to such involuntary layoff. Such employees should be permitted to return to work at any time according to regular scheduling practice. Now, before you say, wait a minute, that sounds reasonable, let's go back to the first line. If COVID-19 has been detected at any time during the preceding 14 days in the state or province where the facility is located... <laughs> hold on a here. Hold on a second. In the state where the facility is located, so that means if they find even one case of the coronavirus in Reno, 500 miles away, that someone in Vegas has the right to say, "Well, it's back in the state." Okay, never mind. I, I'm not working. And then they have a right to go into involuntary layoff mode, which means they can <laughs> they can qualify for unemployment benefits. And Does, and their jobs waiting for getting the- what happens with everyone getting free money. What happens <laughs> to the economy in two years or in a year and a half? Yeah, and we go into this massive like shit show. Well, also they they have the right to take their job back at any time that they could just <laughs> uh, they could just. Sit there and wait and go, okay, no, I'm ready to come back now. All right, and, then, and there has to be a job waiting for them. So uh, these are the yeah, demands. No, no time horizon. Yeah. No time horizon. These exactly. are the demands they're, they're making. And keep in mind, these casinos, it, it's questionable that they can even operate profitably ignoring all this stuff. So for, for getting all these ridiculous demands by the union, even if the union did exactly what the casinos wanted them to do, it's still questionable whether they can open and be profitable with all the different things they have to keep closed and all the different restrictions that are going to be in place. They can't just open and, and operate the same way they were a year ago. So so on top of 
their already questionable, questionable ability to be profitable upon reopening, uh, the culinary union wants all this, which is insane. So uh, I know Go Bucko's theory. And Jeff, there's one. There's one other. There's one other demand that they made in that article, and, yeah. and the article is linked to in the post uh, that I didn't mention in the post. Uh, and it basically says that no employee can be compelled to take on any responsibility that they determine to be a risk. <laughs> okay, completely open. <laughs> that completely they open ended. Wow. That, that, the, that the employee considers to be a risk. Now, now tell me that's not going to get abused. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, hey, can you lift uh, that equipment over there and move it uh, to the other room? Uh, oh, man, I, 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 I think I saw someone cough on yeah, it earlier. No, 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 no. No, I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't move that piece of equipment, boss. I might get the Rona. Yeah, I, I think I saw a guy <laughs> walk be, by. There might be Rona on it. Right. There, there's a guy who walked by and may have coughed on it earlier. Or something. You're going to have to get someone else to move that 100-pound uh, piece of equipment. I'm sorry, not going to be me. I can I can only imagine right. uh, how much that would get abused exactly, and they have to. I mean, so someone else brought up on the forum that they are making outlandish demands as a negotiation tactic. So this way, whatever ends up being agreed that's to correct. is, one, is one in the step, middle. One step mentioned that, and and that is a that's a classic union tactic to oh, yeah. you know, start some start start somewhere they know they can't get. Okay. And, and use that as a, as a as a starting point, as you mentioned. But here's the problem with that. Okay, in this case, they still have to bargain in good faith. Okay, and I do not. And and this is where I think they're really telegraphing their intentions. I do not view this as a good faith attempt by the culinary union to get their employees back to work. And. Uh, well, why and do you think look, they have to do good in good faith? I don't think I, they have I, I, to I, I do it in good faith. Well, when no, they show I, their no, hand, I, when, I, when I, they I come out of the don't. gate, and, and look, and when look, they come I, out of the gate, good faith is not there. They're setting a strategic position, and I don't think good right, faith has I, anything I to do I with it. I don't see how this. I don't see how this. I don't see the bridge from here. To where the casino says, "Okay, we'll accept these demands." Yeah, I understand your point. Because, because they're these are so unreasonable. Yeah, these they're are so, so unreasonable and they're I so outrageous. That. And look, I'm going to I'm going to defend the union here for a minute, okay? Because they have a, they have a, an extremely vested interest in keeping their employees healthy. Of course, okay. The because the 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 crown jewel of the culinary union contract is their health care. Of course. Okay, it is generally it's generally considered to be the best union health care plan in the whole country. Okay, and it's been that way for decades. So if they have a bunch of employees start showing up sick, you know, they lose a lot of leverage that they have with these casinos and with these insurers when it comes time to renegotiate the contract in a few years. And I meant to look up when the contract expires and I Right, well that's an interesting I, point. I, I didn't get that's a it. really interesting point. When is it going to come up again? Because do they have right. years? Do they have months? It's a big difference. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, and that's, I, that's I, I didn't point. get around to looking, just looking it up, and I'm, I'm not in front of a computer at the moment. If someone wants to Google it, that that would actually be, you know, really good information to know. Yeah. I'm assuming it's out there somewhere. Yeah. So find that. Yeah, and and you know what this this thing um, here now, if it only lasts for sixty days, um, that's not going to be up in too long, and uh, then they're not going to get pay anymore. But but it is possible that that uh, they're not so much looking to keep the casinos closed, and well, definitely they would like to see them stay closed 
it for 60 days from the point when they closed. Because uh, why go back to right. work? Right, but, when, but, but when you don't have that's to. coming up next week. I mean, we're, yeah, exactly. Right. We're there. We're, we're there. almost there. Yeah, but but yeah, uh, that's a, that's in nine days. So so I think they want they would like to go back to work, but I think they also they know they have the casinos over the barrel because they know they need to reopen. If if, if they or they want to at least try to reopen, they want to see how it goes. They know right. they can't just wait this out until the coronavirus isn't a danger anymore because they know that's going to be what looks like a very long time. It looks like it's going to be twenty twenty one. Uh, at, at a minimum, until you can uh, feel safe uh, and, and not be that scared of the coronavirus anymore. So they, they they've got to open up with some danger, and they don't want to wait till twenty twenty one. So they 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 know they need the right. unions buy in in the whole thing, and the unions say, oh, okay, well, we've got to get a very good position for ourselves here. But where this can break down, and this is kind of uh, what happened in Atlantic City over something that was uh, not about the coronavirus, is before the coronavirus uh, showed up, but this was something that uh, killed uh, a, a revival of the Taj, I believe. I think it was the Taj in Atlantic City. It was the Taj. Yeah, where uh, the union made just made too many demands where, where basically the, owners, the new ownership said back, you guys don't understand. We we cannot afford to operate the way you want us to operate. The with the benefits you're demanding, uh, we can't give them, or we just can't operate. We're going to have to close. And and the union just said, nope, we don't believe you. You're bluffing. You can totally afford it. Exactly. And they got they got in this stalemate, and finally they, they said, okay, fine, we're not opening. Shut <laughs> they, it down. They shut it down. So that was it. And and the union screwed themselves. <laughs> they, they played chicken, and they got hit by the train. So th- that's yeah. they they got to watch out that they yep. don't do that because. Uh, some of the, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Some of these casinos are actually going to stay closed because they don't think they can operate profitably, uh, especially ones where they have multiple casinos in a market and they feel they can direct everybody to just a few properties. But uh, th- this is a right. And big, I, you, you go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say I, I believe uh, I believe MGM's plan is to open only open New York, New York, and Bellagio at first. Right. And, so and, and, you know and, they've they've got their high end property in Bellagio and their you know their low roller low to mid roller property in New York, New York. They picked one of each. How <laughs> exactly. they pick those two, I'm not really sure, but but it, it makes sense. Yeah, and and uh, and this is going to be a big experiment for even those properties that open. Of can we open up? And can we be profitable? And how much interest will there be in the medium term? Forget the short term where people may rush to Vegas because it's a novelty to go back to Vegas on the first weekend or they've been missing it. But how many regular visitors are they going to get? How, how many can they expect in a normal week uh, while this is all going on in 2020? And the answer might end up being not enough to stay open. So you might see them open and then say, screw this, we can't operate profitably and it's actually better for us to just close and wait this out. And and uh, sorry, everybody, we'll, uh, we'll reopen up and you can go apply to work when uh, we're ready to open right. again in 2021. Well, let me ask you a question. Hasn't it always been that the casino's best moneymaker were the slot machines? Yes. Yeah. Well, well, yes, 100%. sort of. Sort of. Right. 100%. It's not, even, it's not even close. Right. So it, with that being said – I watch a guy named Brian Christopher. He does a slot channel, and he's back in casinos now in, like, I'm not sure where he was, wherever the Pro- first probably casino. Probably South Dakota. That, I think South open. Dakota went open. Yeah, and and they have every other every other machine going, and it's packed. The waitresses are serving drinks. It's like business as usual. You don't notice any difference, and it's happening. 
And I mean, if those yeah, but are Trader, the, Trader Ruski, let me, let me no, tell not, you why. That's not Trader Ruski. That's, that, that, that's vintage one. You're close, though. That was vintage one. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, vintage. My, <laughs> it's all good. Apologies. No, no um, harm. Uh, let me tell you why that's not going to happen in Las Vegas. Okay. The Las Vegas Strip sold out the locals years ago. Okay. With the poor paybacks on the machines, the poor rules on the tables, uh, the paid parking. The nickel and diming for everything. Right. Oh my goodness, how the cows are coming home to roost because they have a market of three million people. These strip casinos within a twenty-minute drive, and not a single one of them is going to patronize any of their properties. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. They are they they sold they sold themselves out and they oh, made so, themselves so so one hundred percent dependent on local? air travel. Well, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, which it's, is well, not going to happen. Right. It's, well, what they have some chance of, because what they have some chance of is people driving in. Uh, the air travel is going to be very tough because people just don't feel good about I getting on planes right now unless they have it. to. Ah. But but uh, they do have a, a good-sized population of Southern California, meaning uh, L.A. and San Diego areas, that uh, that will yeah. drive that can drive to Vegas and then Phoenix too. You don't forget Phoenix; they're about the same distance as LA. Yeah, and that's and that's and that and that's their and that's their only shot because yeah. I, I guarantee you the locals aren't coming back. Yeah, the lo- zero right. zero oh, zero point oh, see, zero percent chance. Think about that: the locals are so turned off to their nickel and diming that they're like done. Yeah, the the locals don't yeah. they, they yeah. don't have a lot of affinity for those. Now, uh, let me tell you, so I'm going to give you guys a little background. I know you guys know this, but I want to tell That's the, amazing. the listeners. I want to go back. All they have to do is give out a Febreze, and they'll all be back. <laughs> give out toilet paper and and, and uh, paper <laughs> towels. That'll get people back. Yeah, give out some toilet a twelve pack of fucking toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> and paper. I'm finding the paper towels more challenging. I got a lot of toilet paper. The paper towels, I have a real hard time getting. So uh, let me uh, go back. I'm going to go back to before 1993. I want to give a little history of Vegas and uh, how it makes its money and and then get to the present and and tie this in. So prior to 1993, and and one good thing about being the age I am is I got to see all of this. I got to see every stage of this. So I got to see the early stages or the kind of mid-early stages. I wasn't born in the early stages, but um, the 70s and 80s I got to see because my parents would bring me there. And uh, so I got to see Vegas prior to 1993, which was really all about the gamblers. It was all about making money from gamblers and everything else was secondary, either uh, a lost leader or something that just made uh, a small profit. The whole focus of Vegas was gambling prior to 93. And that was the reason for the cheap buffets, the cheap hotel rooms, the cheap entertainment. And you didn't need to be a gambler to qualify for these things. You could go and have a very cheap and high-value vacation in Vegas by sticking to these cheap things uh, without gambling if you didn't want to gamble. That was prior to 93. In 93, that's when the strip revolution started. That's when a lot of properties sprung up there. Uh, the first major strip property that uh, that – kind of took on this motif was the Mirage, and that was actually in 89, so it was four years before. Oh, I loved the Mirage. But, but, uh, it was the best. But then it took until 93 for that to really catch on, where a lot of other properties sprung up. And uh, so 93 was really the beginning of all that, and that's properties that sprung up in the mid-90s. A lot of them are still relevant today. Like the Bellagio is a good example. They're relevant or semi-relevant. They're still around. And that was when the Strip became the center of the Las Vegas universe, and downtown was no longer. It was still there, but it wasn't. Uh, it was considered a has-been. Uh, these were all new resorts. They were uh, 
they had a lot of amenities and, and features and expensive restaurants and uh, high high budget shows and uh, they started to develop more and more things for kids to do as well and Las Vegas was pitched as a family destination which it never had before and and it worked and they were doing very well there and families were going there for vacation but guess what was evaporating the value the 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 cheap vacation to Vegas was quickly going away. It wasn't totally gone yet, but it was it was rapidly disappearing and being replaced by a lot of uh, high-end and medium-high-end options. Uh, this evolved more over the years. Uh, in the 2000s, uh, conventions started to become progressively more prominent. They'd always been there, but they were getting more and more prominent and more and more important to the Las Vegas economy. And uh, conventions eventually replaced the family theme. They kind of did away with the family theme. They came up with the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It, again, returned to sort of an adult destination. Uh, there were some kid things remaining. It wasn't like it was before, but there, there were some kid things remaining. But uh, it was more aimed now at uh, the uh, adult visitor and the visitor who wants to do more than just gamble. And uh, and then a lot of high-end resorts uh, were still springing up, such as the Wynn, the Venetian, the Cosmo, the Aria. And uh, the 2010s then brought on the nickel and diming era, the parking fees, the resort fees, the degradation of games, where the odds got uh, worse and worse. And most games in the 2010s were ones that would be laughed out of town in the 1980s. Where if, like any casino, you put most of these games in the '80s, like any of these pit games with the rules they had. No one would have played them. People said, "You are you kidding me? These horrible games, these horrible rules. There's no way." Uh, same with video poker. These horrible pay tables. We're not going to play this. Well, what they noticed accurately was that uh, most gamblers now were in the city for something else, not just to gamble, and that uh, the percentage of gamblers who knew what they were doing was now a much smaller percentage. The people coming in the 80s, they came to gamble. They knew gambling well. They knew what was a good game. They knew what wasn't a good game. It's not like everybody was advantage players. They weren't, but they at least knew the games they played and knew what a good game and a bad game were. In in 2000, the 2010s, most people did not, so they adjusted accordingly. Uh, sophisticated players clubs were developed in the 2000s, uh, started by Harris. They were the first ones to come up with the sophisticated uh, player tracking club. And, uh, and and with the tier levels that people liked, and then they've all been uh, they've been emulated since. Now you see them everywhere these player clubs, but this was a Harris invention. So that was the state of Las Vegas, and by 2019, only 35 percent of the revenue on the strip was from gaming. 65 percent was from non-gaming elements. Now, here's why this is important. If this were just about getting people gambling again at the strip casinos and getting somewhat in the neighborhood of the level they had before of gambling, even if they can't get there again, but if at least get to something respectable as far as gaming revenue to where they can stay afloat. If this were just about that, they they would have a strategy they could use to make up a lot of it. And that's, that would be they could really, really heavily market the high rollers to come back. And this way they wouldn't need a massive number of people there. They wouldn't need to worry so much about the general public. They could just get the high rollers back, the whales, the semi-whales, get them to gamble, and they could bring in pretty respectable numbers. And they could do it cheaply because they wouldn't need as much of staff because they would have uh, fewer people they're they're really trying to bring back. The problem is – And, Jeff, there's a – 
yeah. There's a part of me that's wondering if the casinos, if MGM and Caesars realize this, and temporarily, when they first reopen, we might see a return of better games. I, you know, because that was the suggested. gambling is all that's because the gambling is all that's left. It's possible. Only there's no, if there's they... no shopping. There's no. There are no clubs. There's no pool. The restaurants are at half capacity, and you know, only twenty percent of them will be open anyway. The gambling is all that's left. And if they were smart, they said, "Okay." They would say, "Okay, we're going to do whatever we have to do to get the high rollers back first until we can open up this other stuff." Well, yeah, the high rollers. I'm not counting on it. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm going to. I'll tell you what. I'm going to pay attention very, very closely to the slot payback percentages that the Nevada Gaming Control Board uh, issues the monthly reports for the first couple months that they're reopened. Well, that's worth looking at, but uh, my guess is that... That actually, seems like a no-brainer to me. Well, it may seem like that, a no-brainer, but I have a feeling they're not going to do it because the high rollers, they already have pretty decent games. They, they Those weren't degraded very much because the theory with those is, number one, a lot of the high rollers, they, they, they know. They know what the uh, degraded pay tables are like and degraded rules, and it pisses them off. Number two, they make enough off the high rollers to where they can still have games that aren't really high negative EV and still make a lot of money because of the vast sums of money that are being exchanged here. So I, I, I think if they were to improve the games, it would be more for the medium and low limits, and I don't think they're going to do that because most people don't know the difference, and they realized, they, they started to realize that in the 2010s. I've been saying that before the 2010s. If they were smart, they would do that, and sure enough, they not that they listened to me, but, but that they basically did what I, I said they should have done from a business standpoint, is that most players have no right. clue what they're doing. So I don't think that's coming back. I know that Jeff Wang wrote about that in, in, a, in a column, on, I think it was in The Economist or The Motley Fool, so I think it was The Motley Fool. Uh, we talked about it on the show, and I'm I said that, cool, yeah. that's where I said yeah. I didn't agree yeah. with it because I, I I thought that the average person doesn't just doesn't know, and the ones that do know they really don't want back because they don't make as much from them. And the high rollers they already have the better pay tables and the better rules, so I think that I think that what we might see a return of though is the better comps. I think comps have been getting degraded over time too, and uh, they've been really experimenting with like what's the least we can offer degenerates and get them back, and uh, that may be something that they really have to increase to bring people back to make up for the fact that there's a coronavirus and people are a little afraid to come back. So, Oh, 100%. I mean, it's like I love Vegas. I love going there. I'll do it all the time. But right now, I need to be convinced to go to, to Vegas now. I that, mean, right. otherwise, I'll just play online. But that's, and that's what a lot of people make feel. Make it worthwhile. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what a lot of people feel. So, so – if this were just about getting the gamblers back, they could increase the comps and, and get some aggressive hosts to really entice them, bring them back, maybe be able to survive. But the problem is that only was 35% of the revenue. One thing that Vegas did is they diversified themselves, and they thought this was a smart thing to start making money from other sources well, well, of gaming. Well, Drew, they, they, had, they had to. They had to. And let me tell you why. In 1989, when the Mirage opened, people had two places to gamble. Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Okay. By 1999, casinos were legal in something like 28 states. Good point. Okay. And all of that, all of that gambling dollar that used to come to Vegas was now going to these regional casinos that, you know, were an hour's drive away or even closer in some cases. You know, hell, they might have been across the street for all we know. Okay. But that, that forced these Vegas casinos to reinvent themselves in some way. So I get that. I don't, and that's, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, because I, like I said, I think they had to. They, they, the of competition killed them. Just like those, 
Just like Thunder Valley and Red Hawk have killed Reno. You know? Yeah. All those Northern California casinos have just killed Reno. Same, same concept. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but regardless, even if the reason for doing this was good, they have diversified themselves into a hole here that they didn't expect. And I can't say they, they could have expected this. Nobody thought about that. What if a pandemic hits and people don't want to go to casinos that no one, I had never heard that being discussed ever prior to it actually <laughs> happening. But, uh, but that's where we are right now. So the problem is with this diversification is that was only 35% of the revenue of the gaming and then, now that they here's what they can't bring back anytime soon. They can't bring back the conventions, the, the restaurants. If if they do get to reopen, yeah, that's, that's a kill. The conventions are a killer. The conventions killer. are an killer. absolute killer. Yeah, that's the biggest one. The yeah. restaurants they they can't uh, open up at full capacity no matter what. Even if they do get to open, they're going to be at uh, half capacity or worse. Uh, the and also you have to see if how many people are going to want to go to them. The shows that is going to be a big problem because uh, first of all they have to leave distance between people maybe even two seats distance. I don't know how much they're going to have to leave, but it's going to have to be some substantial distance between each person sitting. You know how close everybody is in these theaters. Can't be that way anymore. So that's going to really kill ticket sales. And there may not be much interest, even if they say, hey, we're going to spread everyone out. People may go, oh, I don't know, a closed theater. There's all these people sitting. I don't care if they're 10 feet away from me. It's just, it just feels weird right now with the coronavirus. No, I'll skip it. Like, I don't want to go to a show right now. I, I mean, Joff, I mean, it's not good for radio or anything, but the, the fact of the matter is, until there is a vaccine, none of this works. That's the problem. And it's like that's if correct. One, if there's I hundred percent agree. If there's one person with the virus, we all get it. Look, you have to protect the people that it attacks. The old people, the people with uh, existing uh, things that will make them really susceptible to this virus. But look. The fact of the matter is, no matter how much social distancing we do, life does not go back to normal until either everyone has it or we have a vaccine. Yep. So it's it's time everyone really starts to fucking man up and and realize where we're at. It's like we can do all we want to do and it's all playtime now. And that was an important thing to start with. But now in phase two, it's time to be realistic. If we have the virus out there, then everyone's got to get it, protect the old people, protect the people that are sick. But the reality is open the casinos normally, open the restaurants normally, and just understand that you're going to get sick. You may be asymptomatic. You may get sick. You may get the flu. If you're in the right age range, it's it's not going to affect you too much. Well, is, is you may problem, get a here's little the problem. sick. Here's the problem. Is that the right age range? I unfortunately think, and I said this in the last show. I think the right age range. What you're referring to is under 35, and and once you're past 45, then you you're in this zone. And I talked about this last time. You're in this zone where the chance of you dying is pretty low, but the chance of you having terrible symptoms that are just absolutely awful to to live with, and then. And then ones that have a good chance of damaging your lungs or other organs permanently is, is, is fairly high. I don't know how, how high, but it's not where it's like uh, something you can dismiss of, okay, I'd have to be very unlucky to have that happen. I, if, you're, if you're 30, then you have to be very unlucky to have that happen. If, if you are uh, over 45, I think there you have a, a, a very decent chance of severe symptoms. That's why this has been concerning me so much. And so this brings me to my next point is that – who plays slot machines? Old people. 
Most slot players and are I, old. I was, and I was, just about, I was just about to say, I'll tell you a city that I think is in bigger trouble than Vegas even, and that's Laughlin. Yeah. Oh, Laughlin. Uh, I'm, 40, I'm, Laughlin 45, I'm 45 years old. I, I go to, if I go to Laughlin in February, I'm literally the youngest person there. Yeah, that is. And, I, and, and, and I'm 45. Laughlin is in huge, huge trouble. But and I, I think, would expect... And I would expect maybe two or three casino closures there, and they just don't reopen ever. They tear them down. Yeah, not only that, but they're not—they they are They're not close. To, they're not close to any any big city. They they have uh, Bullhead across the river in Arizona, but that's not that big, you know. And then they have uh, Needles in California, right. but that's pretty small. And, and well, they, well, well, what they're well, what they're for, what they're known for is their is their snowbird population. Uh, if you if you if you're in Laughlin in like mid January, sixty percent of the cars that you see. On that strip, there will have Canadian license plates. Oh, really? And they're all people that bring their RVs. They stay for they can get tour, they can get ninety day tourist visas. They come they come in the, like the first or second week in January, and they stay until right before the biker rally in, in April. <laughs> That's when they all leave. You know what? I, I could uh, I could picture. Laughlin mean... does Laughlin does something like Laughlin does something like seventy seven percent of their gaming revenue. In those three months, I didn't that's know that. January to April, I didn't know that. that. And, and if it, we don't have a vaccine, and if we don't have a vaccine by Jan, by next January, none of these snowbirds are coming because they won't be able to even get in the country. Of course not. Well, you know that I. I but didn't, you know what? I think we will, guys. I think that they give us these these uh, numbers of twelve to eighteen months. I think we'll have it this year. Well, okay, I honestly do. There, there's, there's I think this they one. don't want to give false hope, but I think we're working the way because that's all. Every every pharmaceutical, all everything, all they're working on is this cure because this is the billion billion dollar cure. Well, right. So I know. I, I, know. Have, to, I have to. I have to. I have to disagree with you uh, because there there's a level of testing that has to be done with these vaccines that just can't be sped up. But okay, can't now, they? There will, be, it? there will be a massive. There will be a massive clinical trial, and when I say massive, I mean like one million participants. Okay, by the third or fourth quarter of, of this year. But by the time we can get enough doses to literally inoculate everybody, it will be third or fourth quarter 2021 at the earliest. Well, see, I don't. In my they, opinion, they, they've well, talked about inoculate this. everyone. They've talked do about we this get here. Approval before well, that? Well, yeah. Here, there's, there's there's a vaccine that's been talked about, and it, it may end up being uh, nothing. It was the one that they tried with the monkeys, where they had some early success with it, and uh, with the the macaque uh, uh, monkeys. And they found that it was successful with those monkeys. But that's monkeys, not humans. And they only tried like eight monkeys, so there's a lot more to try. Uh, but they said that maybe in the best case scenario that this could be tested and available in September. But that's a very, very best case scenario. And that doesn't mean available for 330 million Americans. That means probably available exactly. for the ver- people who needed the very most, the people who are uh, 90 years old with pre-existing conditions. Uh, that, that that if they get this, they're almost surely dead. So so when a vaccine gets rolled out, I was actually talking about this with Benjamin. He made a funny comment. Um, I, I said that uh, my guess is, and I didn't hear anything about this, but my guess is that they're going to roll out whatever vaccine they come up with once it's tested and believed to be uh, effective or at least effective enough to be worth uh, doing, that they will roll this out with uh, priority levels and that it'll start with those who are most vulnerable, which, as I said, are probably old people with pre-existing problems uh, and then probably goes next to very old people without pre-existing problems then probably uh, people with major pre-existing problems of any age that aren't old. And and it probably goes from there. And Ben said, 
I'm probably going to be the last one to get it. And I said, you know what? You probably, probably. are. Because he's, he's nine years old, so he probably is probably in the very last group to get it, which would be uh, kids that are over five and, and not teenagers yet. So that would be they're the safest group as far as uh, getting uh, severe symptoms. So uh, I, I think like people like us, I, I believe, you know, all three of us here, and actually all four of us, Trader Ruski, who's been kind of quiet, but he's, he's still here. Uh, all four of us is are – Is he alive? He, I hope so. But I'm here. I'm okay, here. okay. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't want you out on the corona. All, all four of us, I believe, are in around the, the, the same uh, boat here. We're all around the same age. And uh, we n- none of us have a major pre-existing condition, to, to my knowledge. I, I have the high blood pressure thing, yep. which is, is a, a, a minor one, to my knowledge. Hopefully it's not major for this, but uh, we'll find out eventually, hopefully. But uh, I, So I think we'd be, kind of be in the middle. Especially, I think none, none, of, none of us, none of us are morbidly obese. Yeah, well, hopefully. At least, well, I don't know about you. I don't know about you guys. I, I'm not morbidly obese. <laughs> no, and, and, we're that, all and that, that's even a, a bigger precondition than age. So, no, oh, yeah, for sure. Actually, that's the, that, that's the that's actually not true. The killer of it. The, the age is that is the biggest one by far. There, that, that's actually gone around. That's not true. That's that's something that has been propagating recently. I encourage everybody to look this up. There was a study out of New York. Okay, fair enough. There was a study out of New York that uh, that it, it, we talked about this on radio before, where they went over all these different subgroups of people who went in and tested positive, and and uh, and whether they had to be hospitalized. And they did like a flow chart, like, are you this age? Yes, no. Yes, go this way. No, go this way. Then are you, you know, do you are you obese? Yes, no. And it was it was a, a flow chart. Uh, what was found that obesity was the second biggest indicator of whether you'd end up being hospitalized, but it was a distant second to age. Age was vastly the first one, and then obesity was number two. So so this was meant to get the message across to people that uh, the thing you have to – That's crazy. Fe- th- that is so amazing. Th- I didn't know that. The thing you have to fear the most if you're uh, – other than your age is your obesity, but it's still better to be an obese 40-year-old than a thin 80-year-old. So uh, now, if if you're both, I believe that. So so that's uh, and that's that was pretty clearly shown there. But uh, but it's it's still something. In fact, I have been motivated to lose weight because of this. I've actually been uh, attempting to lose weight uh, to try to get the Peloton. Come on, I'm on that every day now. (laughs) It's the best thing ever. (laughs) I'm just I'm just trying to eat less late at night, which is a challenge. But uh, but anyway, the so uh, yeah, any. Anything that counts on a lot of old people uh, is going to be in trouble, and slots do. And that's uh, slots. Mm-hmm. They've had they've had such a hard time appealing to the younger generations, and there's this fear that maybe the current younger and even uh, middle aged generations are just not going to age into liking slots. It, it's always been a thing. Hey, that Drew, old people you remember, like, I you remember about five, or, you remember about five or ten years ago when these. Drew, if you remember about five or ten years ago when, when these first like cartoon-themed slots were coming out and they were generating a lot of controversy because people were afraid they were going to appeal to kids and you know lead to underage gambling problems and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that never yeah. happened. Yeah, give me a break. Look, Druff, I disagree because I, I watch a few streamers. I'm a big Twitch guy and a big YouTuber guy, and there is a whole revolution of young 
uh, YouTube slot people that play high stakes slots. They play medium stakes slots and their following is rabid and huge and it's all young and they do these get togethers and they do these group polls where everyone like pulls their money together and it's a young person's game. It, they're, they're, they're at least these guys are trying to change the fucking, the, dynamic of slots is not being the fucking 80 year old chick with the oxygen tank with her well maybe it's it will like, maybe it'll eventually change but they, they definitely see a problem with that because that's why they brought in those skill-based slots which uh didn't right. really do anything in fact i'll tell you who liked them was uh some advantage players realized that under certain circumstances if they uh played when the 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 jackpots got high enough and became good at the skill-based game, they could play them positive. So I actually, uh, I, I, I was with it, a certain advantage player who listens to this show. Uh, who, who oh, actually, I think I know who you're who, talking who, who about. Got, who got really good at, uh, at, at, at some of these games. And he'd, like, I, I would be playing and then I'd move over and he'd, he'd play the, uh, the, the, the skill game for me because I would suck at it because I had never done it before. And he was really good at it. So uh, some advantage players jumped on these. They, they have to... Spend some money, of course. Uh, learning. I'm, I'm ninety. I'm ninety percent. I'm ninety percent sure I know the game you're talking about, but I'm I'm not going to give it away because that's. Yeah, you know, so, I, don't, I don't want to break the code. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm exactly. talking about. Right? So, yeah, so, we know. We know. We know. So, so the the point is here that uh, they are going to have to f- replace. I think they're going to lose a lot of old people from the casinos. There's a lot of old people at casinos in general, and, and as you mentioned, Laughlin is. They, they have a lot of old people there. Uh, in general, but especially during those months, I, I, you know what? I haven't gone there in the winter much. I, I've gone there. I went there in the winter only a few times. I, mean, I haven't been there a whole lot of times, but I know I just I've stopped by in the winter Drop, before. You're forty eight. You're forty eight years old, correct? Yeah. You'll you'll be you would be the youngest person there. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's something to see. <laughs> no, I, I've I've been it, in those really environments is, before. In those winter months. I went, but to I, be honest, they're not scared of the coronavirus. They're the people that are the least scared. It's amazing. Well, well I see my parents, and they're just like, "Yo, we've lived good. Let's go." Well, that's Let's go. that's an interesting point, and that that might be something that saves the casinos. Is if yeah. is there there are a lot of old people who either because of stubbornness. Or, or just uh, feeling like they've, they've they, they, that they've survived everything and that nothing's right, killed them so far. Right, they've been through so much. They're like, we're not going out like this. Yeah, that uh, that some are are kind of in denial about this, and uh, some of them just feel healthy. They say, well, I I don't have any problems. I, I'm healthy for my age. Uh, I, I'm different than these other old people who are dying. And I go, well, no, you're you're you're, you're still eighty years old. <laughs> That's uh, you're still a very high risk. I, I hate to tell you, you know, how you feel. That's uh, it's, it's, that's not a good age to be right now and get this. So, uh, the, the, but the, there may be a lot more old people than you think willing to risk it because they just are not being as cautious as they should be or as you'd expect oh, yeah. them to be. I'm in a co- constant battle with my parents. My, my dad's 83. My mom's about to turn 81 and I'm constantly battling them. I, I finally got them in check and le- allowing me to buy their groceries, bring them to them, and keep them in the house as long as possible. But prior to that, they thought they were rock stars <laughs> and they were ready to go anywhere. And my dad's like, "Oh, I got a mask and I got uh, his fucking gloves on." It, it's it's there's it a was chaos. There's a lot of older people. There's a lot of there's so many stories like this of of middle aged people. That are frustrated that their parents aren't taking it as seriously as they help help they would, and uh, especially w- when they have parents who aren't sick 
and who are uh, very active for their age and feel uh, like, like I, I'm not like the typical old person. So uh, even though my age says I'm old, I don't feel old and I'm not going to treat this like, like someone who's old and frail and afraid of this. And, and it, it's, it's just kind of hard to get across, especially because old people tend to be more stubborn in general anyway. Uh, and and uh, they also, I don't think, like being told what to do by people who are younger, who they once uh, knew as kids. So Right, and, and it's the first time that you as a child are in a position that are really taking care of your parents. You know, it's like it's like for me, it's the first time I felt like I needed to be the adult to my parents. Yeah. And that's a weird transition, you know. Well, it's not, it only, just, it's not only weird, but then they, they – uh, especially, if, as I said, if they're in good shape and they don't normally need taken totally. care of, that, that, then, exactly. then they, uh, they, they, they can still see you as the child that they had to take care of. And they well, I, I can't listen to him. I don't care, I don't care if he's 50 years old. He's, you know, they can still see the little kid that, that they once uh, had to take care of themselves. And like, like it's, it's strange for me to think about one day – Listening to Benjamin telling me what to of do. Of course, exactly. There was that transition where it was me telling them and they had fought it for a while, but eventually they got to the point where they said, you know what? Our son is telling, is, is telling us the right thing to do. And it, it was like a transfer of power. And it, <laughs> it was like, it was such a, uh, an amazing piece. But a scary piece that I was no longer the child. I was the person that was running the, the ship now, you yeah. know, and it was it was a little scary for me to be so, I, I guess, vulnerable and, and then in power in the same breath, you know, very weird. Yeah. Very so, weird. so I, I don't know. Yeah, if- I'm just going to I'm just going to say one. I'm just going to say one more thing and then I'm going to hang up. Uh, you know, we're, we're speculating about all this and that's all great. But the, the fact is. None of us has any fucking clue what it's going to exactly. be like in two or three months. <laughs> exactly. no, no, we ju- we just don't know. This is you know this is all you know this is all just this is radio talk show material. No pun intended. We we don't know. Well, I'll, and, I'll tell you, you this. Know, right, and another big thing, another another big thing too is them finding out if once you've had it, you can't have it again. If that happens, right. And, so and, I think it's know, definitely that. Importantly, how you know. long? How long will that immunity last? Probably won't last forever. Well, it's going to be like so, the flu, you know. Well, hopefully, hopefully it's the not the flu back to back, but you'll get it the next season. Well, that, that's what sure. that, that there is, and that that could be a big problem if if that does turn out to be the case. See, there's there's two similarities to the flu that we don't want to see. Number one, that the vaccine is not uh, anywhere near 100 percent effective. It's it's like uh, half and half if you take the flu vaccine if you're going to get the flu anyway. Like if you can catch it, not if you will get it, because a lot of people right. like I, I almost never get it and I never take the flu vaccine. I just almost never get the flu anyway. But it's just not as contagious as the coronavirus is. But uh, but I didn't fear getting it because I had no reason to fear getting it. And, and when I did get it, it wasn't uh, it, it was unpleasant, but it wasn't terrible. So uh, the with, with the coronavirus, since this is much worse, uh, especially uh, because I, I'm older than 45 and, and uh, I, I could see where I would have a, a severe but not deadly case. Uh, with the coronavirus, if it's like the flu where the vaccine's like 50-50 and you have to keep doing it every year, uh, this can be – I'm not talking about the hassle of doing it every year. That's not a huge thing. But but the the you would have to just live with the fact that it's not just one year you've got to beat it, the 50-50, if you, if you uh, catch it with the vaccine, stop it. But that every year you've got to fade that 
at some point, everyone's going to get it. At some Trump, point, like Trump, but the vaccine is just a it's it's like a, a people pleaser thing. It doesn't even matter if it works. If everyone believes there's a vaccine and they take it, life goes back to normal. Well, it's sort of. That, I, that, I, that's a good. That's a good point. I think. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, I don't know because hey guys, I'm out. Okay, good talking well, well, to you. Th- thank you, hey, 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 call. Before you go, you thank you brother. for coming. You you uh, a great addition to the show. Call more often, Jeff. Am I right? Oh, I appreciate yes, it. Yes, I, I agree. Very good call again. I appreciate Here's it, guys. Great hey, call. have a good great. night. All right, man. All right. Good night. Okay. You too. Now beat it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, when he when he mentioned uh, Northern California drop, I did think about. Uh, the Northern California guy has he been on it all or no? We, we should we should hear. I, I want to hear from him. That's right. He he pops up every so often, like and texts me, but I haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, but you know the the what I can tell you is like in the next few months, unfortunately, we're not going to see a lot of difference. It's it's at least not for the better. Like I I don't think three months from now we're going to see very much difference in the danger. From the coronavirus, I, it could be worse because they're starting to reopen things. But even if it doesn't get worse, I, I think we will be looking at around roughly the same danger as we presently have, which which, which uh, sucks, but is is the case. And uh, and if it really is something that every year that it, it, the vaccine may work for you, it may not work for you, and that every year they have to keep coming out with a new one, and that this thing just never goes away, and that it just keep, we get a new version of it each year. This may be a new danger that people just have to live with, and that you, Trump, you just. How about it's just another flu? Eventually, I, I don't think it'll ever be another flu because it's it's a lot tougher than the flu. It's it's a lot uh, more severe than the flu. Uh, some people will luck out and only get a, a flu-like illness, but others will get much worse. And and there's listeners to the show who have texted me their experiences with it that is much worse than any flu they've ever had or but, anything they've ever but, had. But have you known anyone that's gotten the flu and has been like just destroyed for three days? Uh, I've known like, people. I've ruined. Been, no, I'm talking about people who had. Uh, see, there's there's a difference between being like completely out of commission for three days where you just can't do anything, and where you feel like you're dying. But but, but from the flu. Well, I've never known anyone who's actually felt from a flu that uh, they were actually going to die. No, I ha- no, no, I mean not 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 feeling like you die because. I think it's a mental thing. You feel like you have the flu. You don't think you're going to die. You well, just think you have the flu, but it's bad. You're 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 hurting bad. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. I've 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 known people who have had very bad flus, but I've talked to people who have had this who said they actually felt at some point that they were going to die. They ended up not being hospitalized, or one actually one did. Uh, others they didn't. Intubated? No, no one got intubated that I knew. In fact, if you do, there's a we found out that a ninety percent chance that you're going to die. So once you're to that point, you're screwed. But uh, so I, I don't know anybody who's been intubated from this, thankfully. But uh, I do know people who it got at its very worst point. It got so bad, and they were having such bad breathing problems that they really thought that uh, their death was imminent. They ended up not dying, and they recovered. But they didn't know that at the time. And I don't know anybody with the flu who had anything like that. I don't know anybody who had any permanent damage from the flu that's going to stick with them for life. Now, now we don't know that for sure with some of these people, but there, there definitely is a, a permanent damage element to this for the people who have severe cases, even ones that don't hospitalize you. And uh, so there's this is much worse than the flu, 
some people, especially ones under 35, will be lucky enough to get away with mild symptoms or no symptoms. But but there will be many who don't. And this, but with all that said, this may just be a new danger in life that uh, goes back to old times, like not not even less than a hundred years ago, when there were a lot of diseases out there that could kill you. Uh, that don't exist today that you as far as disease in first world countries up till this you're pretty safe until unless you have unless you're very young very old or have some kind of uh, bad condition you are pretty safe from uh, most diseases unless you are really really unlucky uh, the average person the average adult the average even the average uh, senior as long as they're not too old uh, even the average child as long as they're not too young was generally could generally walk around and believe that they're not, they're not going to catch something which kills them or does severe damage. You you just uh, think of that. Before this, were you ever worried you're just going to catch something and it's going to do severe damage to you or kill you? No, I'm sure you weren't. I wasn't. Hey, Druff, Druff, I had a very similar I had a very similar outlook on this virus as you did, and then I listened to as I mean, it's not the end all be all podcast but it was the adam carolla show and he interviewed a doctor his name was david katz k-a-t-z and he had some pretty amazing stats numbers and information on what was going on with this coronavirus so i recommend all the listeners and you listen to the adam carolla show with david Cats. Well, okay, I, I don't know. It's about, amazing. I don't know about this David Katz. Why are you promoting competitive shows? No, it's not a competitive show. show. <laughs> it's, 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 it's legit. I mean, I listened to the same podcast last night with Elon Musk, which was amazing too. It's just it, he 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 is very fair and open to what they're talking about, you know? I think, and, I think Trader Ruski brings up a good point here. If we keep Vintage Run on here too long, uh, everyone will have different shows to listen to and no one will listen to this anymore. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> this is the number one show. So, but, but, uh, uh, I'll tell you what to watch out for, though. Is, Elon Musk was on Corolla, too? Yeah, yeah, last night. Okay. It was great. I, I like I like Adam Corolla in general, and I, I actually usually agree with him when I, I hear his opinion on, on most subjects. But... Uh, I, I will say there's there's a lot of out people out there, including doctors who the, who they can find, that will paint a much rosier view of this situation <laughs> than really I believe exists, and uh, I, I think we have to watch out for that. But and we'll talk more about this during the the coronavirus segment. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I'm not making the case that we shouldn't reopen things or that we should just that that uh, the that life's going to have to just be everybody's just stuck inside for the rest of the time. We can't do that. And, uh, and, and that's what I'm saying here is that there may be a point where even if this is as bad as it's being advertised as being, that if there's no way out of it, if it's not just a matter of toughing it out till a vaccine and it's all gone, if it's, a, this is just something we have to be stuck with on earth here for, uh, the rest of the time, then, that's just a new danger we have to live with, and uh, some people will get uh, killed by it. Some people will get uh, very, very sickened and or, and or uh, damaged by it. Some will be lucky and won't be, and that's going to be the way it is. And 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 just the, in life, there are many dangers that we face every day, and uh, this will be an added one. 
and something that people will get used to, including uh, kids who are very young will grow up and this will just be like a normal part of life, like a, just one of things that can get you. And this, this will change some things in life. This will change things in society. But uh, I, there will be an evolution in how people feel about it from we have to avoid this at all costs to, well, this will suck if we get it and let's try to take some steps to stop it. But at the same time, uh, uh, this is just something you may catch and there's some chance it's going to kill you. And that just may be something you live with. Which Let me ask you a question, Druff. Was there 20, 30, 40 years ago, was this evolution the same with the flu? No, because when, the, I'll tell you, it, was there's, it? there's a huge difference because the flu, it's pretty predictable that if you're healthy and not really young and really old, that it's not going to do permanent damage to you. Or, right, or, or, with or, the or knowledge we have now, but I'm talking 50 years ago. 50 years ago, I don't know 50, I know like, like 80 years ago, there were a lot of dangers still out there that um, – that people just lived with, and then a hundred years ago, you know, here we had before antibiotics were invented. There were a lot and of we people had who died. Spanish flu, the, so, whole the thing. Spanish flu, and even without right. the Spanish flu, a lot of people who were dying of infections that antibiotic could have stopped but didn't exist, and and people would lose kids. Like it was, it was very common to have big families where some kids are going to die. It's it's uh, it, now it's unusual to have a family where someone died as a kid. Uh, like a modern family where there's a, a, a you know one sibling who's just gone who never made it to their 18th birthday, especially if it wasn't from an accident. But uh, back then, yeah, very common to have uh, one or more children that didn't make it. That was just something. It was sad. Uh, the parents, I'm sure, uh, were very depressed when it would occur. But at the same time, it wasn't a shocker. It was something you kind of expect that there's so many diseases out there that that could kill you, especially kids, that, that some of your kids, uh, there's a decent chance they're going to die. And, and it's not like that anymore. So now th- it looks like that's not going to be the case with this either because this doesn't get kids. But uh, f- for adults, this may be a new disease that we – a communicable disease that we just can't get a handle on and we can do our best to stop it with vaccines and with treatments, but that it's, it's going to get some people, it's going to damage some people, and it's just – something that sucks we have to live with and then slowly life will have to adjust around that and that may be the that may be the future can you imagine if this thing wiped out healthy 20 year olds that's when it would be a real pandemic no when it would really be but some things in the news it's random you see like a healthy yeah but but the numbers the numbers are overwhelmingly 80 and over well yeah it's not just that it's that that people who are under 35 that are even either dying or getting very severe symptoms it's uh there's this it's pretty low it's it's it's, dying is extremely low Fraction of one yeah. percent. Well, it's a tiny fraction. For dying, it's a, it's it's really low. But even severe symptoms, it's it's very low for for under thirty five. Where where there would be immense panic over this beyond what you could ever imagine would be if this were killing kids. Then you would just see. Well, now, well, they just found the. They, they thing found a few kids. kids. We'll talk about this That's later. Been in the on show. the news the past couple of days. Yeah, this, this Kawasaki uh, disease we're going to talk about, but that's not. It's not that much of a threat, and I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, when we do, it's not as bad as it sounds. I, I of course, you I want shut down the coronavirus. Let's talk about poker. <laughs> Gosh, okay, well, okay, well, let's, we, we will talk about the coronavirus later. Let's let's move on. We we talked yes, too much about this here. Okay, so we're gonna. It, it was too easy to move into the coronavirus because we were talking about Las Vegas. That's true. Okay, That's true. <laughs> so so uh, so we're gonna move to a 2018 topic. 
which couldn't be about the coronavirus because there was no coronavirus in 2018. Thank God. Okay? Uh, this is about Vegas, but pre-coronavirus Vegas. 2018, January, not January, July 2018, I was at a casino, which I will reveal shortly. And I played some machines there. And uh, it, it wasn't anything all that notable, but uh, I, I won. But this wasn't anything that I really thought was going to be memorable or really matter all that much. And uh, three months later, in October 2018, I was just starting to get over the crippling and severe anxiety and depression issues I faced at that time in 2018. And I was ready to make my first Las Vegas reservation to try to stay in a hotel for the first time, which was a big step for me. The first time since all this started happening, I I was wondering if I could ever stay in a hotel again. I was having trouble... uh, being inside my own house without having to run outside because I felt like I couldn't breathe. and it, it, was, it was a mess. But, but in October, I started to improve. I wasn't anywhere near better, but I was uh, seeing the first sign of improvement and thought I might be able to actually go to Las Vegas. So I called up this particular property, and I said, hey, you know, I put in some action in July, and this is a nice property. It's a big property, it's, uh, which I'll reveal a little bit later in this segment. And I said, I'd like to stay there. Let me try to stay there. Let me try to get a comp there from the action I put in. So I called up, and they tried to look up my information, and that's when the person, the rep on the phone told me, I don't know how to tell you this, sir, but it says you're banned. Did you have an incident when you were there? I said, no. Why does it say I'm banned? She says, well, that's the funny thing. I'm trying to pull up the information, and it says restricted. It it will not let me pull it up. I said, well, does it say anything you can see? No, all it says is that you're banned. I said, well, that's the weirdest thing. Well, let me tell you about my visit to this property. I had no incident of any kind. I had no arguments with anybody. I didn't have any kind of argument with any other player. I didn't have any argument with any employees. And when I say argument, I mean I didn't have a disagreement. I didn't have any kind of interaction in July or any time during 2018 that could be classified as negative by someone else in any way. So no customer complained about me. No employee complained about me. There's no chance because there were, nothing happened. There was not a single problem. It was it was a very I, it was a property I didn't go to all that often and when I went I just went gambled and left. Never caused any trouble. Never had any arguments at restaurants or uh, you know you you guys have heard some of the issues I've had with with some of these restaurants at Caesar's properties or other other things that have happened where there's been some customer service issues. I was in the right in all of them and I proved I was in the right to, to those in management. But but you know there were arguments at least. You can say that. Druff, you've had problems. I know you with can't, customer service. I know you Wait, can't believe it. But Druff, you must have had. You must have got one of the wait staff fired, though. No, no, no. I, there was a, that's the amazing thing is is I I was uh, the least controversial customer that you can possibly have. I I, had, I don't believe I that. Had no, not for one I, second, <laughs> I had no negative interactions with anybody. No one, no, not a single person, customer or employee, could could 
say anything that would sound like a description of a negative interaction with me. I just barely had any interaction at all. Most my interaction was mostly with machines there. So okay, play the laugh track. <laughs> but, I, but seriously, so that's that's so I, I thought of all places to ban me. Why? How could it be this place? What could I have done? And I said, I just don't understand. I, I, I had no encounters with anybody. I just, I don't understand how this could be. And this, well, I'm sorry, that's that's what the way it's listed. So, so, well, who would I contact about this? Well, they didn't know. They didn't know who to contact. So, the first problem was that uh, was finding who to contact about this, and it was a lot tougher than you think, uh, because everybody I reached. Uh, said it either wasn't their department, they didn't know, and they didn't have access to get into these restricted files, nor could they even tell me why the files were restricted. But everybody I talked to said they had never seen this before, which was a little bit scary. Like, why, why was my story restricted? Like, if I had gone there and, and, and created uh, a drunken disturbance, it wouldn't be restricted. It would say banned because of drunken disorderly. Like why? Why restricted? What, what did I do that, that's so terrible that 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 low-level employees or even mid-level employees cannot access what I did? And if this is true, if this was so bad, how could I not know about it? How how has nobody contacted me? Like, let's say they thought I did something illegal. Why why have the police not contacted me in any way? Why why was there no contact with? Me? Why did I only find this out when I attempted to make a reservation? So I thought, this is so weird. This is the weirdest banning situation I've ever seen of myself or anybody. I've never heard a story like this. Every time someone's been banned from a casino that I know of, they've known the reason. And they could point to the reason. If they didn't agree with the reason, at least they knew the reason. I didn't know the reason. They couldn't tell me the reason. And I said, look, I understand that you guys have the right to restrict me from coming on this property if you feel like it. And you don't have to give me a reason. And I know that, and I'm not demanding you give me one. I'm just asking because I honestly don't know. If I knew, I wouldn't be lying to you. I, like I, I really just want to know the reason, and I don't know the reason, and it's and that's weird to me. And I just would like to know. You don't have to tell me, but please tell me. So I was, and I was nice when it was everybody I was dealing with on the phone because I knew they didn't have to help me. They could have just said, "Well, you're banned. F you. We don't have to tell you anything. Goodbye." So I, I had to get their help. I had to hope I'd reach somebody who would have some sympathy for me here. And, and try to help. Well, uh, finally, after uh, a lot of effort, I found someone in a pretty high office at this property. Remember, it's a big property that was willing to help me. But this person was in an executive assistant position, so they didn't have a lot of uh, pull. But they had they had more access, and they most importantly they had access to the direct access to the people who could help me, and who made this decision. Okay, so I was a lot closer to who made the decision, and, and getting that person to talk to me. So um, this person looked it up and said, "Wow, this is weird. This is the first time I've been unable to pull up a reason that someone got banned. That's so weird. I can't access it either. Even my level of access can't get to it. That is strange." This woman said to me. And I said, well, can you please find this out for me? I said, I, I swear to you, I'm not pulling your leg. You're, I don't know why. And I just want to know. And if it's something I didn't do, then I, and which it had to be because I didn't do anything, then I would love for them to investigate it and tell them that I will cooperate. I will cooperate as much as they want because I know I did nothing. And I know the more they investigate, the more they will see I didn't do this. I want you to investigate. 
which was true. I wasn't just saying this to posture. I really wanted them to investigate. Then they know I didn't do whatever they thought I did because I knew I didn't do anything wrong. So she looked into it and uh, and eventually emailed me after not too long. She, she did a good job, emailed me and said that uh, a certain person who's in uh, security there is going to call me. I said, okay, good. Well, uh, they didn't call me. I got no call. So, uh, so I called uh, this woman back, and I said, uh, uh, "Look, I, I'm not getting a call here. Can you please have this person call me?" Oh, really? That's strange. Okay, well, uh, I'll, I'll go personally tell them to call you. Maybe they forgot, or I'll, I'll leave them a note. I'll make sure it's on their desk. I'll make sure they see it. Whatever. So, anyway, on the th- I still I didn't get a call. So I called back another time. I said, I really hate bothering you again, but I'm just not getting the call. Like, if, if I got a call and they tell me a reason and I don't agree with it and it just ends there, I'll, I'll never bother you again. I just, you know, I just, I just want to speak to whoever had to do, who did this to me and try to reason with them. So she said, okay, well, I can't make them call you, but uh, I, I'm going to actually go to them and I'm going to ask them, like, why they're not calling you and ask them to please call you. And uh, and if you don't get a call within 48 hours, call me back and I'll tell you at least what they said. I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate so much you helping me like this. Well, 10 a.m. in December of 2018, my phone rings. And I was sleeping at 10 a.m. And I answered. And I was half asleep. And the person identified themselves as a person who works in security at this casino. Well, I knew I better take this call. I knew I couldn't say, hey, you just woke me up. Can you call back later? Hey, this isn't a good time. Call me back later. I knew if I said that, I'd never hear from them again. I've been trying so hard to get this call. This is now two months since I got that bad news that I was banned. I've been trying and trying to find the right people and trying to get this call for two months. Now that I have the call, I am not going back to sleep. Okay. Unfortunately, I was still very tired. I had just actually gone to sleep. Like I think I was up until like 5:30 a.m. and I slept about two hours. Then I drove my son to school. Then I went back to sleep at about nine. So I think I was back asleep for like one hour. So I was exhausted, and I wasn't really in the right state of mind to have this conversation. But there's no way I was going to delay this conversation because I knew it probably would never happen again. So he said to me, uh, "So I heard you have some questions about a ban." I said, yeah, I have some questions about a ban. Uh, I don't know why I got banned. I've had no contact with security or any employees that was negative in any way. No controversy with any kind of guests here. Like, I, I honestly, I swear to you, I cannot think of the reason that I would have been banned here because I didn't do anything. And if you could please let me know the reason for the ban so I can at least defend myself. And he says, well, you know, sir, we, we're not required to tell. I said, no, 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 I understand that. I, and I'm not saying you have to tell me. I'm asking you just to just to tell me. Just tell me what I did so I can defend myself because I'm so sure I didn't do anything wrong here that I would love to help you investigate whatever you think happened there. You'll see it wasn't me. I think there was probably a case of mistaken identity or something. Uh, there's got to be some mistake here. And that's that's why I wouldn't be doing this if I knew I did something that was bannable. I wouldn't go through so much effort. And he said, really? So so you're telling me that you never bribed someone $5,000 who works here to get information (laughs) about a slot machine? (laughs) What? 
What? <laughs> I never bribed someone $5,000 to get info about a slot machine? No. I didn't bribe anybody. I didn't attempt to bribe it. I've never done that in my life. I, I swear. I said that. What makes you think this was me? I'm telling you this wasn't me. I, this is something I couldn't forget doing. I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't slip my mind that I tried to bribe someone $5,000 to get info about a slot machine. And so he said, so, so you didn't leave a voicemail about that oh, about God. that subject? I said, no, I didn't leave a voicemail about that. I said, well, look, you hear my voice right now. Go, go pull up the voicemail. I'm sure it'll be a different voice. And, and if you have this, this, uh, this bribery on camera... Pull up the pull up the camera and, and and look at the. I'll send you a picture of me. I'll send you several pictures of me, and you'll see it's not me. And uh, I I have a feeling that whoever it is probably is is, is shorter than me too. I'll, I'll I'll tell you my height, my weight. I'll send you a picture of me. You can see it's a different guy. Whoever you think did this, you'll see is not me. He says that's really. He said I I didn't expect you to say this. I was. You're you're telling me the truth. You're telling me this was not you. I said no, it was not me. Where was bad guy? <laughs> when well, did you tell him, Druff? You were, you know, you're known for, you know, all the scammers. Yes, and blah, yes. Blah, blah, so, blah. so, so well, minutes. well, okay. So I, I didn't get to all that, but I, 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 I said that uh, I, I run a uh, uh, internet radio show about uh, scams and poker and gambling. That uh, I, I said that uh, I'm wondering if one of the listeners did this as a as a prank to me or something, and, and if there's especially if there's a voicemail, maybe someone used my name and screwed around. I said, look, whatever evidence you have, I'm sure you have saved. So I want you to investigate. Do you have a tape? Yeah, we have a tape. I said, go, go, go look at it. I will. You can Google pictures of me or I can send you pictures of me. And you can see that I won't match this person that uh, that, that you think did this. Uh, yeah, look real close or we're going to do an expose on you, buddy. <laughs> and then and then and then I, I uh the, the voicemail, go pull that up. I'm sure you'll hear it's not my voice. If you want more samples of my voice, you can go pull up my show. There's there's, there's thousands of hours of it. Exactly. So so uh, I, I said I want to help you figure out the truth here, and the truth is that I didn't do this. I didn't do this over a voicemail. I didn't do this in person. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't stating this as coherently as i'm stating it now because i was half asleep but i i did get it i did get it all out i did say i want you to investigate i did say i'll send you pictures of me i did say that uh, i definitely didn't do this uh that i didn't leave any voicemail i I told him to compare it to my voice now i told him to compare it to pictures of me i told him all this and he said well i have to admit this is not the way i expected the conversation to go i'm very surprised to hear this but okay um i will look into this further so just for the next week, uh, stay off the property, just just to keep everything. Uh, oh, interesting! Just, just to keep everything okay for the moment, and uh, uh, I will look into this, and I'll call you back in a week. And I said, so so, just let me know if you need anything from me. I will give it. I totally want to cooperate here because I want you to investigate as much as you can, and you'll see I didn't do whatever you think I did. And he says, okay. So I hung up for there, and fair. I felt good. I felt good. I thought, okay, he's going to – this must have been a mistake. There probably was someone else. They probably – my guess was that since I was playing there at the time, someone probably really did this, and they probably looked at who was playing at the time and and mistook it was me. Like they looked at, you know, who played on this machine or whatever and and saw that – pulled the player's card info and said, oh, Todd Wattellis was playing around then. Okay, it must have been him. And then they they – like maybe the guy was standing by the machine or sitting at a machine. Or maybe he played the machine right before me or right after me, something like that. And and uh, and this 
something got confused and they thought it was me instead of him, but it's something where they, they can easily go back now and look and see uh, if it was really me or not. And I, I was very confident because I knew I didn't do this. So uh, I, I felt good. And uh, a week passed, no phone call. I thought, okay, well, I'll give him another week. Another week passed, no phone call. <sighs> so I was like, okay, what's going on now? The guy just, did he lie to me about doing the investigation, or did he do it, he just forget to call me back, or, like, what, what the hell? So I called back, got that woman again, and I said, I'm really sorry to bother you again. You're the only one who's, like, acting normal through this whole thing. I just, I just can't make sense of this. If I could make sense of this, I'd go away. I just can't make sense of this. And I told her the story. And she said, that is so weird. I said, what's so weird? And she said, well, I just saw that that guy you talked to, that investigator you talked to. I just saw him in the hallway the other day. And I asked him, hey, did you ever call that Todd guy? And he said to me, yes. Yes, I called him. And I told him the reason he was banned. And, you know, Todd didn't agree with it, but he understood why we did it. <laughs> what? That's totally not Crazy true. Talk. That's not true at all. That's the opposite of the truth. I, I didn't understand but not agree. I didn't understand. I, I, I was accused of something I absolutely, positively did not do. And I told him that. I told him to go look at the info. Go listen to the voicemail. Go check the camera, which he said he had all that information to able to check. And he said he wouldn't get back to me. And his response to that woman who worked there was, yeah, he understood why we banned him. Didn't agree, but he understood why. We... I mean, that's so. So he said he had nothing more to say to me because I uh, I already understood. So weird. So I said to her, "That's not what happened at all. You you heard what just happened." She said, "Well, unfortunately, there's not more I can do." I said, well, "Okay, is he the one who actually banned me?" And she said, "No." I said, "Okay, well, can I maybe I can make contact with the person who." actually banned me I don't know what this investigator is doing here but maybe if I could make contact with that person and she said well that's the person who actually banned you is my direct boss I said wow that's very interesting I said so can he call me and she said well I don't know if he's going to want to call you he doesn't usually make contact with customers directly like this I said okay can I email him she says yeah that's a good idea here I'll give you his email address and send him an email and uh, you know I suggest you don't come on strong in the email. I said, no, no, I won't. I'm going to come on very uh, politely and respectfully. And uh, I'm just going to explain everything. I'll explain the truth to him. And uh, and and tell him I want to solve this too. Cool, puppets. So she gave, she gave me his email address. And I, I wrote a very nice email to him. And uh, at no point in the email was I uh, acting outraged or pissed off or... or uh, scolding them for getting this wrong. I, I was very, very nice in the email and very, very understanding and, and, and just basically said that I wanted them to come oh, up with the truth. Oh, cocksucker, I got him. Wait, what is this? What's going on here? Vintage one isn't muted. I'm sorry, I was playing poker and I was just talking shit, my bad. <laughs> yeah, you're saying something, cocksucker, I got him. What does that do with my story? Okay. Well, I, I caught him on the river. Sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> I thought I was muted. All right. The cocksucker got – at least you got him. <laughs> at least you got him. At least I'll give you that. Uh, so, hey, I, I was deep into the moment. I, I apologize. Okay. I'm muting right now. Sorry. 
So, so this this was. Uh, so I, I think okay, I sent the email. No response. Nothing. Just completely ignored it. I know I had the right email address. Just completely ignored it. So uh, my next step. See, I had about a hundred dollars worth of points, like gift points. Now, these weren't like reward credit type things. These were like used as like a great gift wrap up type thing that uh, like a gift event they have once a year. And I'd earned about a hundred points, a hundred dollars of points towards that. And now being banned, obviously I couldn't redeem them. By Nevada state law, I did have the right to cash out those points, but it was only like a hundred bucks. But then I, I had to. At first, I was just going to go to gaming, and I, I mentioned this. On a previous show we did a while back, that uh, that I was soon going to just go to gaming and just make them at least give me my points as a as a final middle finger to them for refusing to look into this properly. But then I thought, okay, it's only about a hundred bucks, and this is a major property, and I don't want to give up. Once I bring gaming in, they're probably going to really not want to work with me. I said maybe I'll, I'll I'll contact like an office above security because apparently security has just made up their mind about me. I don't know why, but apparently security's made up their mind about me, so I have to go above their head. So maybe I will contact above security and see maybe that, you know, if they could intervene, if I could, maybe I'd have to be like a letter. I can't reach anybody on the phone above security. So maybe if I could reach somebody above there and get them to pressure security to look into it, then I will. And uh, to be honest, then I just kind of forgot about it. Why did I forget about it? Because uh, we were now at the beginning of 2019, and I I wasn't uh, going to Vegas much. We were kind of in this dead period where I don't go to Vegas as much, and uh, I just kind of wasn't thinking about it. And then I just never did it. I never contacted an office above them, and I I was in this limbo where I've meant to do it, and and didn't want to reveal who this property was because I didn't want to possibly affect uh, the situation. But now that the casinos are closed, and I don't know whether they're going to reopen, and when they reopen, I'm not going to go anyway. And I, I, I think there's going to be a while until I set foot in a casino again, to be honest. could be years. I don't know how long it's going to be. Like I have to decide for my own personal risk whether it's worth it for me to set foot in a casino again. So this may be a moot point for me for quite some time. So because of that... Someone asked me, well, someone asked me today, can I finally reveal this? And instead of saying no, like I usually do, I said, you know what? Since this isn't going to matter for some time, and I can't really write to them now with all this going on. This is the last thing they're going to care about is is uh, my uh, concern about being banned in 2018 when they're not even open yet. Now, maybe once they reopen, I can use that, the fact that they are having trouble attracting customers to get back in. But... Uh, I can try to get back at that point. Maybe that'll be the point I do it. But I, I think the value of keeping quiet at this point isn't that high. And I've already kind of resigned myself that I may never get this undone. So I figured I might as well tell the story on radio. That's where it's at. I, I never I never took it above security. I still will try at some point. I think the chance of that is pretty low. Uh, other gamblers I've spoken to, especially advantage players who've been banned many times themselves have told me that the chance of this is low. Now, keep in mind, I was not banned for advantage play. It wasn't that. So it's not like I was caught card counting or something and banned. This was I was really banned for something I didn't do, and that it should be verifiable I didn't do. I don't know if a year and a half later they still have this info. They, they may have it stored somewhere. They may not. 
But uh, regardless, uh, I didn't do it. And I told them at the time, whether they chose to do it or not, I told them at the time in December when they, they swore to me they had this stuff, they had these videos they claimed, uh, I told them to look into it, and, and they didn't. Now, maybe the office above them won't believe me. There's a good chance of that. You know, if, if I go above the head of security, what probably happens is they go to security, and security says, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We caught him, and he doesn't want to accept it. And they'll probably say, okay, that's that. Like, they're not going to do a major investigation on this, and I know that. The chance of me getting back there isn't that high. It's not zero, but it isn't that high. So I'm going to reveal which property it is. I'm going to start eliminating some. So I've already eliminated Caesars. In fact, it couldn't be Caesars because I played the World Series after all that, so it wasn't Caesars. The good news is no Caesars property has ever banned me, hence why I'm a good standing there. And of all the property groups, that's the one that was the most important to me because of the World Series of Poker. The group that's second most important to me is the MGM group, because I like playing poker at Bellagio. Also, they own a ton of casinos in Las Vegas and elsewhere, and that's a crappy group to be banned from as well. Not quite as important to me as Caesars, but also important not to get banned from MGM properties. And it was not a MGM property. What about the win? The win's a good candidate, isn't it? The win is uh, a major property, and it's one I'd prefer not to get banned from, but wouldn't be devastating if I was. It's a property I don't go to all that often, but go to sometimes. So could it be the win? It is not the win or Encore. What about Treasure Island? They're no longer part of the MGM empire. They're independent. I don't go there that often. That is still a major strip property. I do go there on occasion. Is Treasure Island the property that banned me? Nope. So we're, we're starting to run out of properties that will meet this description now that we've eliminated Caesars, Wynn, MGM, and Treasure Island, and it's a major property. Can you guys uh, think of a major property on the strip I haven't mentioned yet? I think it's the Venetian. You didn't mention them, right? You're correct, Trader Risky. It's the Venetian. The Venetian is the culprit. They are the ones who have banned me. I'm banned from the Venetian and the Palazzo. And that's sad. I like the Venetian and the Palazzo. But I, I may never come back because of this stupid and weird ban for something I didn't do. That's a helpful ban from Sheldon Adelson. What a dick. Well, I, right. I mean, do you think it could have been because of the radio drop? No, put into some maybe. Thing? I, I don't think so. Totally. I, I don't think it has to do with with the radio. I think it's. Uh, I, I really think that it was a case of mistaken identity. I think I was playing a machine that someone else must have played that that tried to pull this. Oh, and, he's such a dick, though. He would do this. <laughs> So I, I I really have a feeling that Sheldon has no clue who I am or that I, I'm banned. I think that. Uh, oh, I disagree. No, I I, I, I think I, he's right on the pulse. I think I think no, because I think his security would just say Sheldon doesn't want you here. Or <laughs> ownership doesn't want you. Like they 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 believed I did something. I took a call. The caller didn't. I, I wonder if the call is calling about this, but um, I, I don't think it's Sheldon. I, I, my gut feeling is the security honestly believed it was a good ban, and I think maybe. Nice. Now, here's the, here's the question. I think I may have an answer to it, but just a guess. Why, when I made it so clear to them that it wasn't me and that all they had to do was quickly check the footage and see it wasn't me, 
why were they not interested in doing that? Why did the guy lie to his coworker about it? And I, I think I have an idea why. Because if they admit that this was a mistaken ban, they look incompetent. So I think that's why. Like who, who, if you're the, if you're the investigator who banned me, do you really want to come back to your boss and say, hey, that Todd guy we banned back in July, um, it wasn't him. We made a mistake. Like that would be, that would make the person banning me look like they're stupid. And I think they don't want that. So I, I think that, uh, it's, it's easier for them to just leave me banned than to admit they screwed up. That, that's the reason I think that they're not undoing it, if, if I had to guess. It, it's also possible, as a, second, a secondary possibility for why they're not unbanning me, is that they looked into it, saw that it was not me, but uh, came to the belief that I was associated with the person who did this. So it could be that, too. It could be that they, they think for whatever reason, maybe because I, they played the machine shortly after I did or shortly before I did, whatever it is that uh, – whatever they used – they obviously used that machine to identify me because uh, it was – they told me it was on a date that I was actually there. So um, it, maybe they are associating me wrongly with whoever really did this. So they say, okay, well, he's not the one who did what we think he did, but he's probably friends with the guy, so F him. It could be that, too. It, it could be a number of things. But uh, but uh, clearly they don't want the truth to come out here. Truthfully, they, they don't want to see if it was really me doing that. Or they know it wasn't me and they don't care. So that's why I think the chance of me getting out of it is low. But who knows? In these strange times, maybe they're going to be desperate for people to come back and uh, they'll be willing to revisit this, especially because I've had... Uh, zero problems with them in the past in any way, shape, or form. It's not like I've been a constant thorn in their side. I was uh, in, in very good standing there with no incidents whatsoever in my entire history of the Venetian. So, uh, and, and I'll cite that, too. I'm going to make sure they understand. Uh, I, when I lay out the case to the higher office there, when I feel it's time, I'm, I'm going to lay out not only why I didn't do this and how they can see it wasn't me, but but also lay out all the reasons that I shouldn't be banned and why I'd be a good customer there. And uh, um, and I actually have done recreational gambling there at the Venetian. I, I actually have done uh, negative EV gambling there just for fun. It's not even like I only play there because uh, I'm trying to hit them with an advantage play and beat them. I, I've done recreational gambling at the Venetian. In fact, I did some not too long before that happened. Not So... so uh, I, I want them to hear all this uh, from me, and uh, they'll probably still rule against me, and it's probably a place I can't ever go again. And uh, Why do you want to play at the Venetian? I, it's not so much I want to play there. I, I, I want this as an option as a place to go in Vegas. It's a major property. And, uh, yeah, I like some good deep stacks. I, I like some, I don't play the deep stacks, but I, I like, oh. I, but that, but I do like the option. If there's a tournament that's running, I want to play. I would like to play that. So that's, it's, you're not that far from, from the point. Uh, I, 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 I have friends that will sometimes meet up there. I, I've even met up with Trader Ruski there before. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I at have. At the Venetian? And the then Venetian. that's, isn't that where Trader the big, Ruski, uh, lobs? And I wasn't there, but what, isn't that where the big lobster ravioli, or what was it? The uh, I think it was a oh, lobster, lobster mac. mac and cheese. Well, I, I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. For, I wasn't there for the lobster mac either. But I think that's where it was. Uh, I I also like some of the restaurants there. Lobster mac aside, so 
look, it, it's a place that I don't want to lose. Like if it's, let's say, uh, Casino Royale banned me. I'd say, okay, who cares? It's Casino <laughs> Royale. Like I, I can do very well without the Casino Royale. Even, like, like there's, there's a number of casinos in Vegas, even medium-sized ones, that I really have no occasion to go to that I, that I wouldn't cry if I was banned from as long as it didn't ban me from other properties associated with it. Like, a, but, but the Venetian is big enough and influential enough there to where I, I really would like to go there. Now, do, do, do I feel like the way I would if I got banned from Caesars? No, it's, it's a, an order of magnitude difference. Totally, totally. Uh, so, I mean, I feel cheated that Trader Ruski never took me to the Well, he the, didn't take me the there. I, I met him there. That's messed up. He, he didn't take me. I met him there. Yeah, we've but, been there several times together. No, we have. At least you can you can still go to the restaurants. No, gone. I, I can't. I, I I'm banned for the entire. You know, they won't be able to see it. I know, but you'll be wearing your mask. They won't know it's you. Exactly. Put some glasses right. on. You're good. That's right. I guess I guess if they with the coronavirus, they can wear a mask and and, and exactly. glasses. They won't know who I am. That's a good point. Uh, so look, it's 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 uh, it's a it's like an irritant. Like it, it's just knowing I can't go. It's it's an irritant. And it's something that I imagine sometime in the future will probably cause me some minor frustration. Uh, I'm fortunate. I, I'm just glad this didn't happen to something like Caesars because that would be. Well, well Trader Rusi took me to the palace station. You get to Venetian. What the fuck is up? Trader Rusi, what is up? <laughs> I, I thought the South Point I took you to. Come yeah, on. <laughs> I mean, a buffet? Go Believe on. it or not, I've, I've been to the South Point a few times in the last... Uh, no, it was the South Point. <laughs> I've been in the last uh, like year and a half, I've been to the South Point a few times. But yeah. uh, He's doing me dirty, trust so that, me. That's, that's the story. You guys have the whole thing. Like I've really told you guys everything. <laughs> I, I, I Really, I wasn't going to reveal this much until it was either totally settled, I'm never coming back, or... And if I was settled, I was coming back, I was actually going to never tell the story, because I didn't Hey, want... well, we're going to call Doug Polk, and we're going to do a petition, get dropped <laughs> back into the Venetian. I, you know, if, if let's say it was Caesars. If it was Caesars, and I really didn't do it, as I, uh, did, as I didn't do this horrible. here... Then, then I would really make a huge deal about this. I wouldn't shut up about it. I, I, cool. Seth Polanski would be hearing from me a lot. There, I would be trying to go to, to Poker News, everything else that wanted to publicize my story. I would be really, really trying to blow this up really, really hard and, and, and shame them constantly for letting me back in. This, it's like, I, I don't, I, I don't have the motivation to do anywhere near that because, uh, it, it's, it's so much less of a big, comedy show than the reality show. Yeah, it's, it's so much. It's so much less of a big deal that exactly. it's just it's just an irritant. So that's that's another reason I chose to reveal it. In that uh, one, but I'm you gonna... know, it, it it's right in line with the Sheldon Adelson like demographic. It's like this guy's not for poker, not for gambling, other than what works for him. It's just. We know if anyone knows you or, or has even heard about you, they know that you're not trying to hustle anyone. You're, no, you're like I, a straight yeah. shooter. And like or offering a bribe. I mean, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Exactly. Of all things to accuse I mean, it's me absurd. of. It's absurd. All you got to do is be a peripheral person of poker fraud alert, not even be a member, not even be someone that listens constantly, but just on the outskirts, you'd be like, Oh no, uh, Todd Dandruff would tell us. This guy's not scamming anyone. Give me a break. This well, is absurd. And I said, why didn't you call the? I said, you, you didn't call the police about this. I mean, I, I I really want this investigated. If someone's trying to offer bribes, I mean, wouldn't you want this uh, criminally investigated? I mean, that's, it's so perfect for his brand, though. You know, it's like 
Yeah. Well, you should should just leak the story and blow it up and then sue them for defamation. Well, it would be good. You could probably do it, too. Well, yeah, someone someone had brought up on uh, on the Vegas Casino Talk forum. I didn't say which which, uh, property it was, but I I posted the story without mentioning exactly what I was accused of or what the property was. Uh, And uh, someone said, oh, you can sue them. I said, no, actually, I can't because they they haven't publicized this anywhere. The only publicizing is from me. And they they haven't uh, – and and – yeah, they they can ban me all they want, and they can cite phony reasons all they want. Unfortunately, right. the, the only thing I could, the only claim I could have against them would be if this was discrimination, and I can't claim it. I'm a heterosexual white male in my 40s. I'm not part of any uh, class that could be discriminated against. And uh, and even if I were to say, well, it's because I'm a Jew, then I would have to show that they are uh, discriminating against Jews. And Sheldon Adelson, I don't think, is likely to be You're discriminating right. exactly. against Jews. Being that he's, <laughs> he's a Jew, so that that, w- that wouldn't work. There's so, no way, and, and they could. They could flip it to anything. They right. have carte blanche in why they are banning you. Yeah, so 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 there's no discrimination there for sure, and it's just it's just a bad ban for something I didn't do, and maybe someone's covering up the fact that they were incompetent at their job and banned the wrong person. So Clearly. that's uh, that's that's the story, guys. You know it now. I know some people have been annoyed about you this. For, you guys have been annoyed for a year and a half that I, I haven't. Told you the full story. You guys we wanted know the, to know, Drop. We wanted to know. Thank God. Now I can sleep. Now you know everything. It's it's all out everything. there. I'm not out I'm there. not hiding anything. Okay, uh, let's move on to the Phil Galfond and Action Freak topic. This is interesting because uh, Action Freak, as I mentioned last week, was thought to be. Galfon's toughest opponent, so much that Galfon himself would not offer Action Freak odds on the side bet. He, they, they're doing it for an even money side bet. Venny Vitti, for example, got two to one, and uh, Bill Perkins is getting four to one. Action Freak does have a schedule with Phil Galfon that he has to adhere to, where Perkins does not. It's because Perkins is a fish, and, and Action Freak is not. So Perkins, and that's the worst challenge ever because they're talking on the phone together. It's horrible. Yeah. So. Oh. So, so they so the Action Freak challenge. There's a little more known about Action Freak than about Venny Vidi. I mentioned this last week. He does have a Twitter. We can see he's from Greece. We can see he's uh, left wing politically. Uh, we don't know that much about him, but uh, we get to see that much. And you can look at his Twitter. It's it's I think crackling, but uh, I think it's uh, the, is a one for the I uh, is his Twitter. But people thought, all right. Vinny Vitti was thought to be good, but uh, Action Freak was thought to be better. So maybe Phil's going to really have his hands full with Action Freak. Well, as of last week when we did our show, someone did have their hands full, but it was Action Freak who had his hands full. Phil was up on him more than 400,000 euro. And uh, they were playing on Run It Once, Phil's poker site. So, of course, the conspiracies started that, uh, uh-oh, First, Phil has this huge 900k euro comeback against Venny Vidi and barely wins, and of course wins the side bet. And now he's playing an even tougher opponent in Action Freak and is already out to a huge lead against him. It's like ever since Phil came back from that break, he's just crushing everyone, including a, a really good player in Venny Vidi and an even better player in Action Freak. So is something going on here? This is all taking place on Phil's own site. This is really weird. And... Uh, some people were like, maybe this shouldn't be taking place on Phil's poker site, which is what I've been saying the whole time. Ignoring 
the fact that Phil Galfon seems like he's a very good guy and an honest guy and he has a great reputation, ignoring all that. By, by the way, if you want to look at Action Freaks Twitter, I'm looking it up now. It's Crackling One, except the uh, – um, it's actually spelled Crackling number with the number one at the end. Crackling One. You can look him up there. But anyway, the problem here is that it's still Phil's site. And you can never – Kill someone playing heads up poker for high stakes on your own site without there being some suspicion. Because it's only natural to have suspicion. I have said that uh, I would not want to play a high stakes match on any site that I run or control or own because my opponent just couldn't trust it. And if they were to lose badly to me, I would be the subject of accusations and ones that uh, honestly would be hard for me to refute or convince people that I was telling the truth because nobody knows. So the right way to do this, the right way to do a high-stakes heads-up match is in neutral territory. Then nobody can have any questions, nobody can have any doubts, because no matter how honest you are, there can always be the doubt, there can always be the question, and and it's just it's something that just doesn't look good. And it's something where either way, it's going to be a problem. Either you lose... Or when you win, people say you won because it was rigged. I suppose if you barely win like he did against Vinny Vitti, then it's less likely. But in the way he did it, where he was way down and then came back and got it all back, uh, that brings up the same talk again. So really the only way to do it where there's not that talk and you don't lose is if you're kind of breaking even the whole way and just barely eke out a win at the end. That's the only way to do it where people don't say it's rigged and still you get people saying it's rigged. And it's not just like rigged tards. I mean, it's a good point. It's a good point, especially because Phil himself doesn't control the software. So... It could be rigged without him knowing it. And oh, come on, Trough. It can't be rigged without him knowing it. Oh, of course it, it could be. There, there, could be programmers, no, I, there could be programmers who have a vested interest in seeing him win that just have decided they're going to do this favor for him, especially after seeing him get crushed after get, in, in the first half of it against uh, Vinny Vitti. I don't believe there that. There could be investors that could convince uh, the programmers to do it because they, they have a piece of this. Phil said he doesn't have 100% of himself. When you say you don't believe it, I'm not saying it's likely. I'm saying these are all possibilities. The more people that have hands in the software, the more likely it is that someone could be doing this, even someone who's not doing this with Phil's knowledge, especially because Phil doesn't have 100% of himself. The best way to do it is to just say, we're not going to play on my own site. And, and, uh, and I've said many That's times, true. I've That's said true. many times before, if I were to be doing something like this, not only what I understand, if you didn't trust playing on my own site, I wouldn't want it played on my own site for this reason. And I would actually tell you, don't trust me to play on my own site because you don't know me well enough. And we don't know Phil well enough. So, right. So so do you think that the reason they're on party is because Action Freak can't get enough money over there? No. So we'll get, let's get to this. Let's get to this. Oh, sorry, so sorry, so, sorry, so sorry. Here's, what, here's what was said. Uh, on May 3rd, and this is after this gigantic beatdown – where uh, hundreds act, of thousands. Where, where Actions Freak lost uh, two sessions, one for over a hundred k, and the other for over three hundred k. Which the three hundred one was the worst loss anyone's had in any session. Even the Venny Vini yeah. sessions were not this bad. Uh, so this is what Phil tweeted on May third. It is proving difficult for Action Freak to move enough money around quickly. So we're resuming the challenge tomorrow with our backup plan, playing on party poker. Now, if I lose a few hundred thousand, I might have the same issue. Well, I don't believe that for a second. And Not this, one second. This, this, and this could be this could be a lie that springs from the truth. So, 
this could be that uh, the money that was loaded on to run it once, that Action Freak uh, busted that, or was was very low. It may not bust it, but very low where he didn't have enough for the next uh, day of the challenge. And uh, and so then maybe Action Freak went to his backers and said, uh, yeah, I need you guys to give me some more money to put on to run it once. And the backers like, are you fucking kidding me? You're, you're going to put more money back on there after the owner just crushed you for over 400K in two sessions? And, and just isn't losing anymore since coming back from that break. So you think we're going to give you more money to play him on his own site with this going on? You're nuts. We're not, we're not risk. We were dumb enough to give you the first 400 whatever or whatever percentage they have of him. Uh, we're not doing this. Sorry. Uh, and change so, the site. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, change where you're playing and then we will back you. We, we, we have faith in you as a player against Galfond, but not on his site. So then Action Freak's like, uh, so maybe he didn't even tell Phil. Maybe he didn't go to Phil and say, hey, they think uh, the, the, your, your site's fishy. He may have just said, hey, uh, I, my backers are having an issue getting money on your site, but they already have it on Party. So can we play on Party? And and uh, Phil's like, oh, okay, fine. So they moved it to Party. So maybe the Phil oh, knows. you're or- giving them such the benefit of the doubt. Or, or I think I think they said there's no way we're playing on your site anymore. Or, or, this- or right. Or, or it could just be outright Action Freak said, you know what? This Something's is awesome. Yeah. I'm There's, not going. I'm not part of it anymore. He, Give me a chance. Yeah, he may he may just say to he may have just said to Phil directly, "Look, I'm not accusing you of anything, but after watching what happened to Vinny V, now what's happening to me? I just can't play comfortably here." I don't think he said, "Hey, Phil, you're a fucking cheater." You, you, you know, oh no, no way, no I, way. I, he I, said, like you said, my backers are not going to permit me to play you on your site anymore. Yeah. Something that's like fair, that. That's a fair or, or, thing. Or to he say. could even he could even say himself, "Look, I, I'm having trouble even playing a normal game with this constantly in the back of my head. So can we just to, to ease my own mind and let us just both play somewhere we feel totally comfortable? Can we play somewhere neutral?" And hundred percent, hundred percent. So Phil uh, said, "Fine." And then, the, giving more material to conspiracy theorists, Action Freak started to win. So Action Freak then won. Uh, uh, 160k back over the next two sessions, and and brought the deficit back down to only uh, 246,000 euro. Which you can't see a uh, play-by-play anymore since it's on party, <laughs> which makes it even weirder. Yeah. So so uh, so some people say, "Oh, look at this! Look at this!" As they move to party, and all of a sudden, Action Freak starts to win. So over two sessions now, Action Freak has clawed back. Uh, uh, over uh, 160k, and I think 160k. We're talking 160 thousand dollars, people. Yeah. This is not any chump change. Yeah. So, so, so they're going. Okay. Well, the, the, a lot of people say, okay. Well, I think we see what's going on here. I think we see that uh, once you take Phil off of his site, right, that please. that that uh, either because it's not rigged for him, or because maybe because Action Freak now has the confidence, whereas before he was constantly wondering if uh, there's something right, rigged. Right. That now now that they're somewhere neutral without that factor taking place, even if Field was doing nothing wrong, even if his site was totally fine, that just Action Freak's psychological difference exactly. of, of being comfortable that he's going to be better. Well, there's a new wrench thrown into this. Today they played a third session on party and played 944 hands. And Phil won 165K. So there goes the recovery that Action Freak got. He's now down 433,000 euros total with uh, the action on party being (laughs) – they're essentially even now on party. Phil got back 
a tiny bit more than what he was down on party. So uh, Phil's saying, okay, conspiracy theorist, what do you think of that? He's not oh, yeah. saying it, but hey, he's, he's the, thinking The bottom that. line is Phil Galfon with Pot Limit Omaha is the super user of all times. Come on. He's the best player we'll ever witness. So he might be. So, so, that, so, the, so this is what I think Phil should do from this point. I, I think he should say, screw run it once. We're just going to play the rest of them, except for Brandon Adams who wants to play live. We're going to play the rest of them on party. And and everybody can see, and just reestablish that after all these years that he comes back, and after initial rust that he has to shake off, that uh, he goes back to the style he's used to, and he's beating the best players today. That would be a, a very nice thing to cement his legacy as as someone that really can't be beaten in uh, in heads up PLO. And uh, well, how about how about he just talks to Rob Young and says, "Hey, look, let me put my skin over your site." Since you left, let Jeff Gross do VPNing live, <laughs> and, and you don't give a shit about him doing it. <laughs> just help it out. Let let me just put my my uh, tag on this game. Because let's go drop. Let's get into some serious <laughs> poker fraud alert stuff. Well, I still I, t- I I know you've you've I'm tired one, of one has, has been... sandbagging the these topics. Let's go. Well, Let's vintage one, I, I haven't I haven't got a chance to look into it. Vintage one feels that that uh, Jeff Gross is is playing with a VPN. No, no, no. I, I don't feel it. I know it. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. And 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 forget it. I'm all. I understand. Gross is going to do what he wants to do, but I think that party poker is allowing him to do it because he's one of their representatives. He's one of the their top Twitch streamers. So they're letting it go. Hey, I want a VPN, motherfuckers. Let me play some poker anywhere I want to go. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see how that's annoying. You know what I'm saying? It's I, like I, bullshit, man. I, I see that. I see how that's annoying. And, and I actually still have dreams where somehow I can find a way to play on Poker Stars where I'm allowed to do it, or, or where I can. Yeah. Or I can. I want. Or I, I can want a feel, progressive knockout tournament. ACR doesn't allow it. Yeah, or, I, or I'll have a dream. I like I have a way to do it where they can't see I'm really in the U.S. and I'm sure of it, but I have to be cautious anyway. Like I've had dreams of playing on on uh, Poker Stars and Party, and even like sometimes like a, like another site that doesn't even really exist, but I supposedly can't play on because I'm in the U.S. So, so th- this stuff this stuff still affects me, and, and I think about it too, even subconsciously. Uh, with that said, the VPN thing doesn't bother me as much. Because it's there's no cheating involved. It's more of giving you an opportunity right. the rest of us don't have, which which sucks. And there's favoritism, 100%, but but hundred percent, it doesn't bother me like that. But it bothers me that if a website's going to allow it, I want to be allowed to do it too. Not just because he's their representative on Twitch. Yeah, look that that violates every fucking uh, terms of service on Twitch. Yeah, that's that's true, and. Uh, well, that's come gonna, on. Let's investigate. I, I, I will. I'm going to look into this. this event- I, I will look into this eventually. I just haven't gotten around to it, but I, I will look into this eventually because it is an interesting story. And you do have a good point that it's it's one thing for someone to be VPNing and getting away with it and not wanting to snitch on them. It's another thing when the site is actually saying, "Yeah, go ahead and VPN." So now I, I will say that I, with, for full disclosure here, I will say that uh, a long time ago on a network that no longer exists because of a good relationship I had with the management of the site, they let me uh, 
play from the U.S. when it wasn't allowed, and I didn't have to VPN. <laughs> I was just allowed to do it, and I was just I just had to establish uh, a fake uh, Canadian address, which I did, and then they just let me play there. The sad thing was the games then went to crap, so it wasn't even worth doing, so I quit anyway. But uh, this is a, a, a non-existent network, so I will admit that I, I once did this myself, but. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not against it. It's like it. But let's just call a spade a spade. You know. Yeah. No. I, I see where it's annoying. Where the the network actually allows it, rather than rather than getting mad exactly. at the player who's doing it. Uh, which, yeah. You know, as I said, for me to do it would be hypocritical, since I did it myself uh, 15 years ago, or a little less than 15 years ago, but around 15 years ago. That uh, I, when the site actually allows it, you can be mad at the site, and that. Makes sense, especially a major site like Party. So yeah, we we should oh, look totally. we should look into it. But, but back to back to Galfon here. Uh, I think I think he should just stick to Party. And and the questions come from uh, the remaining opponents. So we have Perkins, who's already playing on Party. So there's nothing to talk about there. We have Brandon Adams, who is uh, going to play live whenever that's allowed. So that's. Uh, no question there either. Well, he may not want to do that exactly. anymore. Though. Yeah, that's good. that that will quickly go internet. That will quickly go probably to party. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and then the then there's there's two left though who he hasn't played yet that had to my knowledge Jungle Man plan to play on his site. One's Jungle Man, and they already did a little mini match for 750 hands, and that's and uh, Galfon won that, of course, on run at once. Of course, and and then. Uh, the other one is Chance Cornuth, who actually has like a four to one side bet. That's the one I want to see the most. And uh, so I, I wonder if they're going to demand let's move it off run at once. And if I were Phil, I'd say yeah, let's move it off run at once because uh, that takes away all doubt. The only doubt that could remain if they've moved it to party is, is Phil having someone ghost him or help him. But he, the truth is he's Phil Goffon. Like who's going to really ghost him? Like, yeah. does he really need he ghosting? Need like, that. yeah. So, so I don't even think he's he, not I, some no name. Come on. It's Phil Galfon. Well, well okay. This guy's a fucking, a savage PLO yeah. player. I mean, there's the ghosting and then there's also the, the, the is he running any kind of real time solver that's fast enough to, to, to help him. Those are the only questions. But, but then of course no. his, his opponents could be running real time solvers too. So of that's, course. so that's, maybe that's what he's been up against. So, uh, uh, so, but it takes away the major element of suspicion, and basically, which doesn't look good, is to be playing those stakes on his own site heads up. So, I, I think take that out. I think that, uh, and I think as a way to still promote Run It Once, when they take it off of Run It Once, there could be some agreement. Okay, we're going to do this much promotion of Run It Once, though, because now it's no longer in the site. We're going to mention it several times during all our streams and. And um, and maybe you'll you'll tweet out about hey you know, Phil Galfond who who runs the great run run once poker sites can be playing me maybe you can help promote it for me a little bit during this match and but and, you know as long as you do that we'll we'll move it off party something like that where they can come to some agreement where they're still promoting one run at once poker while at the same time not playing on run at once poker and but playing don't somewhere you neutral. think just by playing it on run at once poker is almost as savage as saying hey look. Yeah, you're going to think I could potentially cheating on my own site, but I want to play on my own site. It's like, it's like he's turning his hand over. It's like, I, I'm not going to cheat on my own site. It's so, it's so transparent for me to potentially cheat on my own site. Why would I do that? 
Yeah, but then that's you like, know what I'm saying. Well, that's like the reverse psychology, but there's got to be like reverse, right. reverse, reverse psychology. Like I'm going right. to cheat. Reverse, reverse. I, I, I mean, we can do this. I, like, like uh, I'm going to cheat because everyone would think there's no way I would cheat because it'd be too obvious on my own site. Like, <laughs> right, but that's but that would work more if it was oh, Venny Vidi wants to play on his site <laughs> for the challenge. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Galfon is proven, proven way before he had a site that he's upper echelon top five PLO players in the history of the game proven before any challenge ever happened before any website was ever challenged before any uh, poker site was ever conceived. So it's kind of like with that, he gets a little respect and he's always been the like uh pillar of respect, almost like you are Druff. You're, no one is ever going to think you're going to fucking hustle a game. No, but I still, I still they them, never think Galfon's going to hustle a game. But I still don't tell them not to play on my site. I really would. And then, and then, uh, um, and what Phil Galfon has, aside from the the better poker results, but but he, what he has that I don't have, he's known as like a, like a nice guy of poker where I'm not. So, so that's a, well, like right, I, I've known right. as like well, a trustworthy guy, but like I, I've known as like a trustworthy guy, but like a, not a nice guy. And that like Phil Galfon never like speaks negatively of anybody, and it never gets gets into drama and controversy. And I do all the time. So there's like so there's there's a big difference there. But but as far as like trustworthiness, I, I agree we're comparable. That uh, yeah, uh, and uh, but but still like that's why I would say with major money involved, where you have to put trust in me. Um, you probably shouldn't because you don't know me well enough. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, that's that's what I'm saying. That's like, they, don't say that. You're you're killing me. No, no. Someone someone who who knows me very well, I would say yes, you should. But someone who just knows me from the radio, I would say don't. Now for right. for now for something like the amount of money that you you buy in for for the events that I would sell for the World Series, that that wasn't major money even in the best right. case scenario. So that that you could trust me because that by itself uh, would I throw away the t- twenty years of reputation to. to, to Roll you over that sum of money that that would be very foolish of me to do, and I would never do it even if I was shady. So you so like that's where where people can trust, and, and you're not taking much of a risk. But for like big money, like there's very high temptation for people when big money is involved to do things they normally wouldn't do. Like for, so so if you have a chance, and when I say you, I just mean like any person in general. Uh, you you have the chance to roll someone of a thousand dollars. Most people will say, "Okay, I'm honest," enough, unless they really desperate for the money. That's what they say. Most people say, "Okay, it's only a thousand dollars. I'm honest enough not to do this." If you have a chance to roll somebody of a million dollars and get away with it, um, there's a lot more people who will do that where they wouldn't have for a thousand just because of the the payoff for doing it, the upside of doing it. They're they're willing to put their morals aside. Uh, that's but, like it's the other well, direction. Maybe I'm a little naive to it all, Druff, but I really feel like there are certain people that. I feel like I know that, for instance, I mean, I, I feel like I don't think you'll roll me for a million dollars. Why would you? Over the, the course of our history, and, and not anything personal, but just through the course of Poker Fraud Alert, Donk Down, and you're just history in this community, I honestly feel like the million dollars wouldn't change you from rolling me from a thousand dollars. So I, I would, you know, no, I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. I, I, I no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't roll anybody for a million dollars. And that's, uh, in fact, when I don't sell pieces of the main event, it, it's it's uh, it's not to prevent myself the temptation. But I but I think about this in advance when I 
the reason I don't ever sell the main event is if I do end up winning it or if I come second or third or something like that, um, I, I don't want to give away that much money. I don't want to uh, – um, not that I would cheat anybody, but I, I actually uh, think in advance like this is something I wouldn't want to give away. But if I did, if I sold a piece of myself in the main event, let's say I sold a total of 50% or 40% of myself and then I won the main event for $10 million. I wouldn't enjoy giving away $4 million, it, but of but course. I would pay it. I would never try – even if I had a way to worm my way out of it to, and, and where I felt I could be legally uh, protected here, I would never do it. I couldn't look myself in the mirror in the morning and, and say, yeah, I ripped off these people collectively for $4 million. I, I, even if I could look at my banking account and go, oh, sweet, I have $4 million, uh, otherwise I wouldn't have had, it wouldn't be worth it because I, I couldn't live with myself for doing it, even for that sum of money. But So so what I do is I just say, I don't want to give away $4 million right. if I win the main events. So I'm just not going to sell it. Uh, that's, uh, that's and, a- and I can honestly say of the 5 million listeners, none of them think you would. Yeah, I, I hope not. Well, I think there's a few that, that, that think I would, but most, most of them, well, I agree most well, of them. Well, one step, but whatever. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the more, the higher the money, especially when it gets really, really big money, the, the more people. Oh, it changes are, are, people. Yeah, yeah the it's more like people that Sophie's to, choice. Yeah. So that's, uh, so, so you do have to keep that in mind and you, you don't, until you know someone really well and, and just the public persona that people have, it's, it's not always the full story. And, uh, and, you know, I know that people have, have listened to me, people who go all the way back to 2012 listening to me here, maybe even go back further listening to other radio shows I've been part of. Right. Uh, you can say you've, you've listened to me for thousands of hours and, and you have a good idea of, of what I'm like and what you, what you can think of me. And the truth is I, I, I am real on the show. I don't put on a, a fake persona or, or pretend to be someone different. Uh, but, but you don't know that for sure. Like, I don't, but I'm saying I don't, but you don't know that for sure. And, uh, so, so, only people who really know me well in person can say, "Okay, I know for sure that it's it's not a it's for not sure. a fake persona." For sure. So, uh, so that's why I just say anybody you know through the internet or through through podcasts or through watching their social media, you can get an impression of them. You can get an impression Be of who's, who's trustworthy, who's not. Also, you can get a reputation of who's had story credible stories about them rolling people and who hasn't. And if someone has gone 20 years in the community and, and there's never been a credible rolling story about them, you say, okay, I, it would have happened by now. The problem, unless they're setting up the super, super long con, then the, this, this person must be pretty honest. Right. So, so uh, well, and I'll tell you something, Druff. It's really nice to have people in your corner like Trader Ruski and I, we always swap action. We always we we pool our money together in the sit and goes when we would do the one table sit and goes at the World Series. And it's like I know Trader Ruski's always gonna fucking be straight up with me with the ten percent swap. He always knows I'm gonna give him exactly what his fifty percent of the sit and goes are. And there's something to be said about being able to Trust in your buddy, your homie, and, and, and under, and know that he's going to play his best for the team. And we're just going to, we're going to lose more than we're going to win, but we're going to win more than we lose financially if, if we stick to that method. Yeah. Well, and, and, that's, that's, and it's a fun time to do. And if you have enough people doing that, poker, the whole dynamic of poker changes when you have other people playing for you. Well, that's what that, and that's that, that's one of the big selling points I put out there when I sell the pieces of the World Series, which obviously isn't happening this year. But uh, but I say, look, uh, 
you guys know, number one, I'm not going to run off with the money. Number two, I'm not going to pretend to play events and then just keep the money that I'm going to really play. And, and also that uh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to I'm going to play with. The, I, I don't do drugs or drink. That you you know I'm going to show up there without. Right. I won't be on the, under the influence of any substance exactly. or, or drunk. That's important. You, you, you know that I'm going to try as hard as I can to win every event, and you, you know that uh, I'm going to put out a lot of updates. So you can almost feel like you're at the table with me. I'm going to put a lot of updates on what's happening. You won't just get you know, two updates a day and wonder what the hell's going on so you can follow and, up. And Truff, that's one of the best things about – I mean we, we've been with you, uh, Trader Ruski and I, backing you, uh, buying into your whole World Series program for the last probably five, six years. And, and what makes you different, I bought into a lot. I, I, I had Negranu and made some money last year on that whole melee he did. But what was great about yours better than anyone's is you update almost every five minutes, any, <laughs> any major situation. And we're like legitimately sitting in LA and you're in Vegas in, in the heat of it. And we're, we're like hand by hand with you. Yeah, and that's it? what makes your, your run so much better. And I can only encourage people to buy into this. This program, when it when it happens again, because Druff does it right, because well, I, I you wish. are literally part of the program the whole way. Well, I wish I, I wish I, I wish I had this it. endorsement during a year we were actually playing. That would be a great no, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I couldn't. I, I I I wasn't on the radio with you, but I'm telling you guys, it's it's amazing. You are like almost like hand for hand. You're in it. Yeah, I, I really try. I really that's what I've tried to go for is that the people who are doing it that they get some. No matter what happens with the results, they get some entertainment value out of uh, feeling oh. like they're with that they're oh. there with me as as it's going down, and it's not just uh, a, a black an information blackout where you don't know what's happening. You just hope you got good news exactly. at the end of the day. And, so, and I and I've backed plenty of people that are the blackout people that all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're in. They, oh, we're, um, uh, I just got my buy-in. Oh, I'm out. Yeah. And there's been no updates at all. It, that doesn't happen with Druff. Yeah, in fact, you, when I don't give an update, I, I feel weird. Like, like if I go through like an hour and nothing happens, just trash, 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 fold, 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 and and like I put like tiny pots and there's nothing interesting to report. Like if, if I notice like an hour's passed and I haven't tweeted, I'm like, I'm gonna tell people. I feel like I feel bad. I haven't right, given people an update. You say car dead. Yeah, I, I, I put that. Out. I go. I go. The reason you haven't heard from me is because I, I've just been spinning my wheels in the same stack. I've been yeah. dealt trash and I've played like a few small pots and about split them. Like I'll, I'll put that out there. So okay, anyway, no no point to talk this out more because there probably won't exactly. be a World Series this year. Uh, so I want to talk about the some coronavirus topics here. Oh God, more of those! <laughs> it's such a downer. We're back to the Go coronavirus. On. We're we're, we're here again. That uh, yeah. we we will have some topics afterwards. That we we do the uh, the coronavirus <laughs> sandwich every week, where that's that's the meat is the coronavirus, and and then everything else is the bread. So all right, you know what? No, 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 we're not up to the coronavirus. Never mind, never mind. I, we have yes, one, more poker. We please. have one more thing. We have we have a Houston Curtis topic I, I, by request. The Houston okay. Curtis topic. Uh, Houston Curtis has been making the rounds. Hey, drop before. Okay, do you do this topic? But before we go into Corona, let me tell one Hollywood story okay. in between. Okay, we'll do we'll do okay. the vintage fair, one Hollywood fair. minute here. So right, the so, Hollywood minute, exactly. Okay. So, so I want I want to talk about the the Houston Curtis thing. He's really been making the rounds because he wrote a book that uh, contradicts a lot what, what was in Molly's game. It's his own version of what was going on in those games, 
and he's really been trying to get attention upon himself and his book. And uh, and for that reason, you do have to take the claims he makes with a grain of salt, knowing that uh, the more salacious and controversial the claims he's making, the more there's going to be an interest in him and his book, because uh, no one's going to want to read a book that's just a rehash of Molly's game, nor are they going to want to read uh, a different version of Molly's game that's boring. So they, they, you, you want to hear something that's more interesting and uh, actually contradicts a lot of what you thought was true from Molly's game. And this way you get the real story from Houston Curtis. So he's been going around and uh, appearing on on podcasts and, and, and been on social media, been tweeting a lot, uh, been making blog posts. He appeared on the Gambling with an Edge podcast, which has been around for a while, and uh, it's run by Richard Munchkin, who's a longtime Advantage player, and uh, Bob Dancer, who is best known as kind of like a a video poker coach in a way. Uh, Now, he's not like Christopher Mitchell. He's not a scammer or anything. This is a guy who... uh, um, I, I know he's somewhat of an advantage player, or was, but uh, I know he made uh, some decent money with his seminars and his books, and uh, he claimed he went on a million-dollar run. He and his wife together went on a million-dollar run winning uh, in video poker uh, a number of years ago. Uh, so he, he does this podcast along with Richard Munchkin called Gambling with an Edge. It gets uh, it has a decent following. It's, it's not a huge audience it's it's uh, probably a little bigger audience than this show but it's not a it's not a huge audience it's it's a very popular podcast with advantage players if if you think of any podcast that's aimed at advantage players uh this is the one that definitely gets the most listens and uh, they also have it up on youtube so you can find this on youtube if you want to hear the full version of this podcast uh with Houston Curtis or any other episodes they're doing. It's called Gambling with an Edge. Just look it up on YouTube. Uh, The one I'm going to play from is the April 24th episode, but there was also a second part of this on April 30th that I'm not going to go into today. Uh, This topic is being covered because uh, it was requested by more than one listener, and uh, I've been on the fence whether I feel like talking about it, and I'll just tell you right now why I was on the fence, and that is because... This is a guy trying to sell books, and I don't know how true a lot of the stuff is that he's claiming happened. Not that I think that that the Molly's Game account of it is all factual. I think there's uh, there's also some untruths and exaggerations and uh, things changed around there as well. But uh, just because this guy says, here's the, here's the real story, here's the alternate story where he's a major character in it, uh, you can't automatically believe that when he has a book to sell. If, if he didn't have a book to sell, if he was just going out and going, you know, I can't stay silent any longer. Here's what really happened. And then he just said that and went away. That'd be a lot more credible than here's the real story. And, oh, if you want to read the long form version of it, it's in my book that I'm releasing right now. That Right, right when you say that, it doesn't mean he's not telling the truth, but it, it means that uh, you have to start questioning how much is really the truth. And he admits to doing some things that, that are very shady which some people are surprised to hear him admitting to. And unfortunately, that raises some red flags with me because sometimes when someone will tell stories that cast themselves in a bad light, it's for attention. It's not because they really want you to know they did these bad things. It's sometimes they will actually exaggerate what they did to make it seem like that uh, they're more interesting 
than had they not done these things. And if, as long as what they're talking about is is uh, something they can't be prosecuted for, something like outside the statute of limitations or whatever, then uh, then they can say it. So the stuff he's talking about uh, is outside any statute of limitations, so he can admit to these things, and then uh, he can come off as more interesting. Now, yeah, maybe people will think he's dishonest, or but but this is someone who was always kind of known as a hustler, so he's not that worried. It's not like someone with a stellar reputation. It's not like Phil Galfon's coming out with a story uh, <laughs> that that, uh, that he did some things that were dishonest. Like, this is this is someone who was always known as a hustler, so he's not that worried about uh, this affecting his reputation. So that's why I was thinking, I, I don't feel like being his his book promoter. But nevertheless, it's, it's a story that keeps coming up. It is something in the world of gambling. It does have to do with poker. So uh, I'm going to start from this point here where he was uh, where he's talking about uh, uh, meeting T- Toby McGuire and where it went from there and uh, this is around the 11 minute mark became a self-made millionaire off of these videos and uh, and then started my own company and I That's really haven't worked for anyone else since so the book primarily is about a game where you are with started by you and Toby McGuire. That's right. How did you meet? How did you meet Toby? I was at the uh, Commerce, and I went in to play uh, one night. And I didn't go to the Commerce a lot, e- even in those days. Uh, I didn't, you know. I always tried to find private games, but every now and then I, I like to go to the casinos and see what was going on. And they just set me down right next to him. And he was in there playing. And, uh, you know, I noticed everyone was really starstruck by him. And I had been around, you know, a lot of celebrities at that point. I mean, I was successful. You know, my career was, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, I was kind of seasoned in the entertainment business, a different aspect of it than Toby. But we had a lot of friends in common. We had a lot of things in common. So we just started chatting. All right, let me stop it right there. I'm a little suspicious already because he said everyone was starstruck. You, you would think that. You would think that uh, he's talking about like the 2000s right now. But you would think that in the 2000s, Toby McGuire sitting in a poker game of commerce, that everyone's sitting there starstruck. Uh, you would think that, but that's actually not what I've seen. I've been in poker rooms with Toby McGuire multiple times. Not commerce, but Bellagio. No one was starstruck. No one was treating him like anyone different than just a regular player in the game. People noted, oh, look, there's Toby McGuire, but that was about it. There, there, it wasn't like, oh, my God, can you believe Toby McGuire is playing in the same room as us or he's in our game? It, it wasn't like that. Everybody treats him normally. And, and I've seen other celebrities in, in these games or watching these games where it, it's no big deal. I, I saw a scene at the Bellagio where, uh, where Toby was playing and, uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio and, and a th- some third celebrity, I forget who it was, we're watching on the rail. And this is actually when the poker room was temporarily moved uh, outside of the Bellagio poker room because they were doing construction on it. I think this was in 05. And uh, um, so it was out kind of on the main floor. So there was this big group of people watching this. But guess who this big group of people was? It was not poker players. It was people walking through the casino that were coming out of the nightclub. They're like, oh, wow, Leo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire here. That, that That's where the group of people came from the poker players acted like they couldn't care less so i i'm already 
a little bit suspicious of this everyone was starstruck thing because every celebrity I've seen, people don't act starstruck. Now, I know um, this celebrity is in a different category than, than Tommy McGuire because he's a lot older, but James Woods. James Woods plays poker all the time, or at least he did before the, the poker shutdown. He was constantly at commerce, like very, very often at commerce. And if you didn't know he was famous, you'd have no idea. You'd have no idea that James Woods was a celebrity. Uh, everyone he won just, a Legends. Yeah, everyone just treated him as he was normal. And uh, and occasionally you'd get someone wanting to go take a picture with him. And he was always very nice and obliged. It's, it's got to be annoying to be trying to play poker and people want to take pictures with you. But um, he, he would do it. He was very nice about it. Uh, I, I, I once – he was sitting next to me at one uh, commerce tournament I played, and we had a, a long conversation and uh, got to know each other there as to where he uh, – He'd say hello to me whenever he'd see me around in the in the card room after that. But uh, um, people didn't. People were not starstruck with James Woods. People were not with any celebrity I've seen, including Tobey Maguire himself at Bellagio for years in the mid two thousands. So I, I'm already a little doubtful. Not that this is a huge element, but it's just like one of these things. Like it sounds like he's portraying it like everyone's starstruck except uh, except for him, and he got to know him. But let's let's hear the rest of this. Oh, hold it. One and, sec before uh, you start okay. it, Drop. James think- Woods was at your one of your tables this year at the World Series when me and Trey Daruski came up to you. Yeah, and you know what's funny? In uh, in 18, the very first hand of poker I played at the World Series was against James Woods. So it, was, it was at an 08 event. So you have a lot of history with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he knows me now. So that's uh, oh okay yeah but uh, but yeah in, in eighteen he didn't know me but it was funny because like I I sat down I was probably like a few minutes late to the event with and uh, so I sat down and uh, I'm dealt a hand in in eight and I was immediately dealt a, a, a good starting hand so I open raised and it folded to his big blind and he called and we played heads up down down to the river and I won so I'm like oh that's funny my very first hand of the 2018 World Series yeah. and it was it was James Woods. I used to race him up the hill to my parents' house because he had a house above my parents and he had a Porsche and I was in a little pickup truck, but I could drive this pickup truck like it was a Ferrari. So I would, this Porsche, he was driving a Porsche with his obviously young girlfriend or wife or whoever, and I would just stick to his bumper and ride through these hills and he couldn't believe that I could pull what I was pulling out of this pickup truck. You know what? I he was the, driving a Porsche. I did the and same thing. And all he would thing. do is when I would turn to my street, he would put a thumbs up out of his sunroof. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing going up, going up hills in, uh, in 88 and 89 when I was 16 and 17. I had a 1976 Honda Civic, which I was able to do. I was able to somehow get uh, a surprising uh, power and speed out of it. Oh, when, yeah. When oh, yeah. Expect. You didn't need much. Yeah. When you're contained into the hill – there's only so much you can do, and you can do it in a pickup truck or a Honda Civic if you do it right. <laughs> okay, so let, let's continue here. <laughs> Sorry. He Sorry, also, I digress. He identified how these people would you know, get so excited to play with him that they would make bad moves against him. And he was still kind of learning at that point, but he was like a sponge. He was soaking it up really quick. And uh, I got him off of a big hand – uh, with a semi bluff, I was betting on the com, and he would not leave me alone. He just begging me and begging me and begging me to tell him if if I had him or not. And then normally I wouldn't, you know, give away that information. But I thought in this case, 
it's probably to my benefit to go ahead and tell him. And I did. And uh, we just kind of became pals. And I told him about another big game I was playing in. And he showed up there. And uh, and that night, at the end of that night, he invited me to his home game. And that's where it all started. Okay, now that part might be true. Uh, because I'll tell you, Toby McGuire was at the Bellagio and at Commerce. I don't even know he played at Commerce, but he was at the Bellagio a lot in those days. I mean, I was surprised to see how much time he spent there. And he he had his girlfriend and who became his wife, and now they're divorced, but they were together for many <laughs> years. But they, she sat with him for hours and hours and hours and hours, and I was thinking to myself, there's no way she would put up with this if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't Toby McGuire. But uh, she sat for hours and hours and hours while he played. But I watched this, and I thought to myself, I bet he's trying to learn. I bet he's trying to become good so he can play in these – Big home games and crush people. That's exactly what he was doing. That's a so he was trying very hard to learn. I watched it occur. I heard it from other people, and uh, and he was very big on becoming as good of a no limit hold'em player as he could, because he knew he would get the invites to these big games because of his celebrity and could make a lot of money, and he did. So that's uh, it paid off for him. So so he was definitely trying to learn. It, it is believable that that if uh, he got pushed off a hand by Houston Curtis, that he really wanted to learn if he had just been bluffed or not bluffed, not just for his information for, for so he could feel better or worse, but, but so he could know for next time whether he was bluffed there or not. So that's uh, – I, I believe the story how they got to know each other and how that led to going to the games. Now, you and – Toby would get rich people to come play, and and a minor part of the book, but it'll be obvious to our listeners why I'm asking this, is you saw a similarity between the game with you and Toby and the game KC Munchkin. So tell us what that's all about. All right. Well, did you ever hear of, uh, remember the Atari 2600? It was like a video game, and it was one of the first ones that came out that all the kids bought. Yep. And there was another one, not so popular, called the Odyssey 2, and they only sold it at Magnavox stores. This is back when they had Magnavox stores. And apparently one of the sales reps there told my mom that that was the best game video game system you could buy. So that's what I got for Christmas. That's funny. I, I remember the Odyssey 2. Did you guys play the Odyssey 2? I, I actually I don't remember that okay, one. Okay, the only reason I got to play it is because my friend up the street, and I don't know why he got this instead of an Atari, but I have a friend three houses up from me who I played with all the time. He was my best friend in those days, and he uh, he played – he got an Odyssey too. In fact, he got this before I had any video game system. So we would go to his house, and that was the big thing: is to play the Odyssey too. And we just played so much Odyssey too. But then when I got the Atari, I, I realized that uh, the Odyssey two was a piece of crap. It, it was great until I played something else, and <laughs> I realized the thing sucked. But uh, it lasted. It lasted for a, f- a few years before it uh, got obsolete. Nobody bought it anymore. It's uh, hardly anyone remembers that. It's funny to hear him mention the Odyssey too. Let's hear. Let's I hear- love the Sega. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hear where he's going with the rest of this. All right. And they had a game called Casey Munchkin. It wasn't Pac Man, but it was like Pac Man. Oh, I remember that. And it was actually really cool because they had a keyboard on it, and you could you could build the maze. So being the little advantage-loving kid that I was, 
I spent hours trying to figure out how to build a maze where, you know, just like Pac-Man, there was monsters that tried to get you as you ate the dots. I, I tried to figure out a way to build a maze where the monsters could never get me. And I, I love this guy. And, and I wanted to see what would happen. And when I, it only went up to, it only had three digits. It went up to, you know, after 999 points, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I just played and played and played. Monsters could not get me. Got up to 999 and then it just rolled over and went to zero. And I was <laughs> disappointed after that. But the analogy is we built a game just like Casey Munchkin, you know, where the monsters couldn't get us. You know, it, there was, there was no way that we were uh, uh, going to lose because these guys were, A, they were never going to go broke, and B, they were never going to get any better at playing poker. It was, it was like the perfect storm. Well, and, he's re- he's re- and C, and I think this is the part that people... Let me stop this here. He's referring to the home games that he got to play in, that uh, these were very rich guys who weren't going to go broke, and that these were not going to be guys who ever get better. So that uh, this was an ideal situation to play in. And he was comparing it to the game he built on Casey Munchkin where you just couldn't lose because the ghosts could never get you. So, By the way, they called it Casey Munchkin and not Pac-Man. It had to make it different because they, they couldn't get the, the rights to Pac-Man. So they had to make uh, similar but different games. And they came up with that. People wonder about, uh, some of this gets answered in the book, but you have the ability to cheat, so you can always win <laughs> if you want, at least in the beginning before there was a shuffling machine and a dealer, right? Before you hear the answer to that, uh, doesn't Richard Munchkin's voice sound like someone named Richard Munchkin? Isn't it exactly- well, that chick sounds like Florence something. <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you think that that was Richard Munchkin right there? Like, if you didn't know how Richard Munchkin sounded, wouldn't you picture that would be the exact voice? Agreed. Okay. Okay. So, uh, not he sounds like a horse jockey or something. Not, not KC Munchkin, but Richard Munchkin. Okay. Let, if let's... you Googled that name, that's the face that pops up. Right. Okay. So, okay, so let, let's let's listen to the response here. So he's at, oh, hey, everyone. Trader Ruski. What are you doing, buddy? Huh? Yeah, huh? We what haven't is... heard from you in a minute. Oh, okay. I, I All right. About you. I'm here. Let let Jeff continue. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So so uh, let let's let's hear the the response to that. He's ba- basically Richard Munchkin's asking, uh, you had the ability to cheat, so were you cheating? Because Houston Curtis was known as a, a card mechanic, someone who could uh, who could bottom deal and, and deal in many other ways that were uh, he could deal decks dishonestly. In the beginning, it was uh, the deal passed. Uh, not in Toby's game. At the very beginning of Toby's game, he had his girlfriend then, who he later married, Jen Meyer, dealing. She was the dealer. Uh, but he, he didn't have the shuffle machine, uh, in the beginning. Now, I had been playing, even when I was playing in that game, I was playing in like two or three other games at the same time. Uh, one was, uh, a pass the deal game. One, I was a, I was a dealer at a game and I had one partner, you know, uh, I, and I, I would just come in. I, I think I told him my name was Jake and, <laughs> and, and it was with, uh, you know, some, some, uh, some guys out in the valley, uh, some Russian guys out in the valley. And, 
those games were, you know, uh, those, those games were red hot. Uh, now again, you know, it, it was usually one big hand a night, maybe two, but, uh, what I got roped into it a lot with this one partner I had is he loved doing side bets. So he, he would do the, um, you know, like the red, the, they pick three numbers, uh, you know, two, three, four, you know, that sucker bet. He would get a, uh, like if you take two, three, four, uh, every flop and everyone else or the, and the guy you're playing against has every other number, he's a, he's a sucker. You know, he's a, it's a sucker bet. It's, it's the bet they always get like new poker players to get sucked into. Well, what, what this guy did is he reversed it or what we did, we reversed it where, um, we would play the sucker and we would get one of these other players, um, to get him to take the sucker bet. So in the game with Toby, which ultimately became what people call Molly's game, you really weren't moving at all. There were, there were lots of little side games that would sprout up. And like, say if a game, uh, uh, guys were waiting for a seat, there'd be like, you know, it could be a three way game going or a head up game going. Then there were a lot of side bets. Anytime that I got my hands on the deck of cards, or if I was in, there was a few scenarios where this was the case where I would be going 50-50 with someone for the night, uh, and I could deal the winner to them, which is what I always preferred to do. Um, or if I, or if I could cap the deck on a cut, you know, and, and, <laughs> And give myself an advantage that way. I preferred not to deal myself the winning hand, you know, whenever I, whenever I could avoid it. But for little things like high card and showdowns, um, I would hustle those things all the time. And they were, they were a lot of fun. And the most I ever made off of a high card was, uh, $50,000. And, and it was, it, it was the easiest, uh, hustle ever. It was just a, a, a peak beforehand, uh, let him shuffle. I, I did a holdout on the on the card. Uh, it wasn't a peak; it was a it was a, a call. I called like a ace of spades or whatever, and uh, did a holdout. And uh, he shuffled, gave it to me to cut. When when uh, I go to cut, I cap it, uh, and then I mix all the cards like I'm doing a big wash on the table. And all you do is you keep your finger on the you keep your finger on the high card while you're doing the wash, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then let him let him pick, uh, you know, first. And you know he's got you got one out of fifty two <laughs> shot that he's not going to pick your card, the one you know what it is. And uh, it, so he's he's talking about cheating in in a game they call high card, where you're just basically each picking a card out of the deck. And uh, the the high card wins, and he was saying what what he would do would uh, he, he'd find the ace of spades, which is considered the highest of all cards, and would uh, through all the the, the shuffling and and and, and, and yeah, the scrambling and everything else they do with the deck that he he would uh, be through a sleight of hand be able to keep his finger on that one and and know where it was. Then he'd let his opponent pick first. His opponent would just 
pick a random card, and provided he didn't have get the one in fifty two shot of of picking the ace of uh, the ace of spades, were, were you know the, happened to luck into it, then Houston could win every time by picking the ace of spades. Now, here's my question: How many times can you get away with this? Like, like you just you happen to pick the ace of spades? Like if if you if you do this more than like twice, people are going to really wonder. Even twice, they're going to wonder. If you do it more than once, they're going to wonder. So I, I don't know how. Right, it's not like you picked the eight and I picked the ten. Yeah, so that's uh, I I don't know. You see, this is where he's admitting to dishonest behavior. You, you keep seeing where Richard Munchkin keeps trying to get him to say it, like, so you you didn't do anything at all when you were the dealing. You never handled the deck. You didn't do. He's, well, okay, one of the side bets I did, and <laughs> the high cards I did, and so I, I don't know. Uh, he 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 tries as much as he can to to at least tell some stories where he was cheating in some way. And and then you pick the winner. You know, so and the, I, I won. I won fifty thousand bucks doing that one time. The I, I, the big question I think that everybody wants to know is, did Toby know? He did not. He did not know, and it's probably going to be a little embarrassing for him uh, that part of it because he was very perceptive, and you know, um, I, the only guy that I have a gut feeling that might have known was Nick Cassavetes. Do you know who Nick is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nick, uh, Nick's a sharp guy, so to speak, and hang, hung around with a lot of sharp guys. At one point, he was developing a movie uh, on 40, on Steve 40. And, you know, I had to sit there and act like I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, wait, who's, who's Steve 40? And, uh, I remember uh, Russ Hamilton even came over to the game one night, and then Nick was telling Russ about him, and Russ started talking about all kinds of Steve Forty stories that were pretty awesome. I like how he just drops Russ Hamilton's name in there. Yeah, like a stand-up <laughs> guy. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, my my pal Russ. Yeah, then Russ showed up, and he said, he's like, oh, wow, I didn't know who he was, and, and like, yeah, just just gloss over the fact that Russ is friends with him. But yes, Russ was friends with Houston Curtis. That's something that needs to be known here. Hmm, I wonder if that guy was a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I mean, now, now at least that does give some uh, credibility to stories of ripping people off. Exactly. But yes, he he was, and by the way, Russ was known as a big hustler himself even before this. So yeah, but, always. I mean, his whole life has been a hustle. Yeah, people used to say about Russ way before the super user scandal that if, if he could cheat his own mom, he would. So that's. Yeah. He to, may have. Yeah, he probably did. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's uh, let's hear more of, of Houston Curtis. Uh, but uh, Nick, I I had a feeling he knew. One one night, uh, Brandon Davis came in, uh, the oil air kid, and uh, Nick just handed me the deck and said, "Let's let's chop him up before you know before the game starts." And we did a three way freeze out and. Um, Nick just dumped to me in the second hand, it, it, you know, just gave me a wink, you know, like he, he knew I could just take care of it, and and he was having me deal. <laughs> wow. So he's he's throwing uh, actor Nick Cassavetes under the bus here, saying that Nick dumped chips to him in a three-way match, and also had a good idea that he was cheating with a dealing and, and was very happy to leave him dealing and that they had agreed beforehand that they're going to split whatever they win off of this uh, this Brandon Davis who uh, was 
an heir to an all fortune. So that's uh, oh yeah, this guy he was dating Lindsay Lohan for a while. Yeah. So uh, oh, who was the Brandon Davis? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know him. I'm, I'm glad you know. Oh yeah, he had a, a ton of cash. But this brings another story up. Trader Ruski used to take me to all these games in the Valley that I have trouble winning in. How much did you get in the back end, Trader Ruski, for these <laughs> games? <laughs> we didn't get a too many, did we? Well, we went to a few, and and, and they were. But I used like, to play. They they were heavy action games too. Yeah, some of these home games, some of the players are really really bad, and. That's uh, so they had the great combination there of players who were very bad and very rich. Tons of money, yeah. That was the key. That, Tons that, of money. Like that's where all the money was. And in poker. attitude. Yeah, that that's that's where the money was in. That's where the big money was in poker. A lot of people don't know this, but that's where the real big money was to be made. Were, were games that most people could not get access to. Were these home games with with super rich people uh, and celebrities. Where poker, the few competent poker players there could really clean up, but there, there's something else you have to be bankrolled for it too, no matter how good you are. Otherwise, you you're not going to be able to, to survive the, any variance there. So that the, you'd have to have someone backing you for the game, probably. But uh, provided you do, and, and you're a, a decent uh, no limit hold'em player, you'd really clean up because there's just players who, who really were lousy there, and there and there was. I always like to talk about it's important to have an absence of good players in the game. For the most part, there was an absence of good players. Toby was good, but for the most part, there really is an absence of good players, which really makes a big difference in these games. Oh, 100%. And if, if, if the big fish that has a lot of money has a big ego, their ego doesn't allow them to leave even when they're getting smoked. They just think they're better than they are, so yeah. they keep playing. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, I would have loved to have been invited to these games with a backer so I don't have to worry about like losing my entire bank exactly. one night. Well, you do a 50% backing, and then you have some a little net under you. Yeah. Okay, let's go on. Uh, so I, just, I don't know. I just had a feeling that he might, he might have uh, seen me do something in a side bed or something like that. He might have known. I've never talked to him about it, but... Uh, I got put on the back end, the ass end of the the, the guest list for Nick's game, uh, <laughs> and always super friendly, you know. But you know, I think you know Nick wanted to keep his win, just like me and Toby wanted to keep our winners down to me and him and a few other guys, uh, select other guys. Uh, you know, Nick was he ran his game, you know, in a very similar fashion. Uh, but Toby never knew. Uh, as far as I know, he never knew. He does now, though. <laughs> so while the game started at Toby's house, eventually it moved to the Viper Room on the Sunset Strip, which is where Molly Bloom came in. Yeah, before we get to Molly Bloom's role, I do believe that if there was cheating going on that Toby probably didn't know, Toby would not have wanted that clouding the game. Toby knew he was way better than, than everybody else there. And he, and he did have a big bankroll to withstand the swing. So he had the ideal situation. And the last thing he'd want to be associated with is any kind of cheating. He, he doesn't need to cheat. He can win honestly in these games and win a lot of money. So the last thing he'd want uh, messing up the games would be cheating. So I, I do believe Toby would not have been conspiring with, with Houston to do any kind of cheating. 
But is Toby that good? Is he really that good? Uh, he got to, what, compared, what to the, players, the, compared to those players. Compared to those players, he got he got to be. He I, I watched him. I watched him for hours and hours and hours trying to learn uh, how to become a good no limit hold'em cash player. I watched it happen, and uh-huh. and I, I oh I, I'm not I'm not I believe it. I'm just curious. Yeah, I believe he got good, in, and I heard from everything I heard, he was the best player in those games by a wide margin because the oh, competition okay. was not that tough. This wasn't a, a, a this wasn't against the Commerce All Stars or the the Bellagio uh, twenty five fifty or fifty one hundred uh, no right. All Stars. This was against uh, a bunch of celebrity. Uh, Could we sit and, down with Toby and take all his money, or is he going to give us a fight? No, no, no. He would definitely be a, good, a, a tough opponent. Yeah, I think okay. you put him against the top no limit uh, cash players, he probably loses. But uh, but but he he spent a long time to become good at no limit cash, and apparently had the talent to do so. And, and then he, so he t- he takes that against a bunch of uh, recreational players, and and he's far and away the best one in the game. Exactly, makes a lot of money. Exactly, and, and he's got the bankroll to withstand. So then you need a backer. So that's it's perfect. Well, because he also he pulls in the Aaron Pauls, the Brian Cranstons that think they're great players and they're deep pocketed, and they'll just lose and lose and lose. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He gets invited to all these games because he's a celebrity. So it's a perfect uh, situation for him. That's, it that's, is. It's and the that's, perfect storm for and, him. And that's why I believe so much that part of the story where he's trying to learn so so much, like what what uh, Houston said. That's exactly what I observed in, in uh, right. my time of watching him at the Bellagio. I think that yes. makes sense. How yes. did that get started? And at the beginning, what was Molly's role? Okay. So the reason it got started is, uh, you know, Toby's a vegan and uh he's a little eccentric and he's a little bit of a you know a germaphobe i would say like you know when when you whenever you walk in the house he had like 12 pairs of crocs so everybody would take their shoes off and wear crocs you know it's just kind of funny seeing like you know jeffrey katzenberg come in and <laughs> say what <laughs> put on a pair of crocs to walk into toby's kitchen because that's what that is funny. <laughs> that is funny that is genius uh, look look uh, i gotta wonder though is Toby McGuire freaking out right now with the coronavirus if he's a germaphobe? Whatever know. it is, whatever this guy on the, whatever you're playing is, he's legit. He's telling us the truth. That, that just made everything so legit. That's funny. Three <laughs> healthy games, kitchen. And, uh, and then guys would order a pepperoni pizza and at one night after, there was a, a guy we played with named Kevin Washington. His father's Dennis Washington, the Montana billionaire. And Kevin is, uh, you know, like six foot five, super good looking dude. Looks like a movie star. Looks like John Ham or something like that. And, uh, uh, but he's, he's chewing tobacco and spitting into one of Toby's coffee cups. <laughs> and he just couldn't take it. So after the game, he's like, dude, I have got to get these scumbags out of my house. We got to have somewhere else to beat them. And, uh, so we called our buddy Darren Feinstein, who had bought the Viper Room from Johnny Depp. And he's like, yeah, man, I would love to have the game here. Uh, cause he had a private room down at the bottom uh, of the place. And, uh, his exact words were, uh, it'll be, it'll be private. It'll be locked off. Nobody will be, be able to get to us. And I'll have a hot little piece of ass named Molly serve drinks to the game. <laughs> and we were like, okay. And we got there that night. We met Molly. And, you know, she was uh, uh, as green as, uh, you know, like some girl from the Midwest getting off the bus to, you know, become an actress. I mean, she knew nothing 
uh, about anything. Uh, but she was a sweetheart and, uh, uh, and it was a good front for us because, you know, Toby also didn't really want the game being directly associated with his house and his name so much. He just, he prefers, you know, laying low. And that's how I got started. Now, by the way, I want I want to stop this for a second. This wasn't for legal purposes, presumably, because running a home game like that is not illegal. If the house is not taking rake, then you can run a home game, and that is legal. Uh, so that's that's I don't know what his concern was. Uh, maybe he was afraid that if he's killing everyone there, that they're going to suspect that uh, something some cheating's going on. Or so he probably just wanted to look like a player in the game. That's that's my guess, and that he thought that by moving it to a location that isn't associated with him, uh, that that's probably good. And I and look, you know, people get paranoid. People do get afraid. Like, okay, we went to Toby's house. Toby cleaned us out. Uh, he's got to be cheating. And even if it's just because Toby's better, that uh, he, he wants people not to have that suspicion and just think it's a neutral game where they're all meeting to get that out of their heads. Because in reality, they're just fish, and he just wants to beat them normally. So let's, uh, uh, let's listen on what happened there. I'm going to play about six more minutes of this, and then I'll tell you how to find this, both part one and part two. You can listen yourself. So over time, Molly's role shifted. Yes. Uh, in the beginning... Um, her, her, her men, her orders were simple. It was, uh, we gave her a list of names and she just had to text everyone in a group text or, or individually, whatever. Sometimes it was a group text. Uh, and, uh, say when the game is starting and ask who's in. And, uh, and that was it. And then all of the uh, supplies like drinks and all that stuff was already there at the Viper room and, and I'm pretty sure Darren made all that complimentary. He, he just liked having the game there. And, uh, uh, and, and, but at the end of the night, one thing that was true to the movie, uh, that, that happened, cause there's a lot of things that weren't true in the movie, but one thing that was true is the guy who played Darren's character, uh, or the guy who played Darren in the film, um, said, Hey, uh, hey, you guys make sure and tip Molly. He didn't say if you want to be invited back, Tip Molly, because, you know, it, it wasn't Darren's game either. You know, it was, it, the game kind of belonged to itself, really, is the way we saw it. But he said, yeah, please tip Molly. So, right out of the gate, Molly started making, you know, at the beginning it was like 2000 a night, but still, she was working full time for Darren, probably making 500 a week, and all of a sudden, every Tuesday night, she'd be making a minimum of like 2000, and that number shot up like a rocket. Now that's going to be the general theme of his book and what he's trying to get across here is that is that Molly was uh, not as important a figure in these games as she portrayed and that the it was really him, Houston Curtis and Toby McGuire who were making these games happen and that Molly was exaggerating her role. That That's what he's trying to get across here and you can see he's starting off by talking about how she was a, uh, a drink girl and, and that... Uh, they just were encouraged to give her a generous tip and that before she was only being paid $500 a week and that now it, it was she was getting about $2,000 worth of tips on every Tuesday night when they held this particular game. And the game kind of got bigger and bigger. And uh, what happened was there was an altercation uh, or a, a 
you know, disagreement between Darren and Molly. And, uh, Molly texted me one day and she said, Hey, you know, could you and Tobe meet, meet at Andy Bellin's house? We're going to have the game there tonight. And I didn't think anything of it. And, uh, so I picked up Toby when we went over to Andy's and, uh, Andy is, uh, uh, the guy who wrote the book Poker Nation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book. Yep. Uh, and he's a good friend. He had consulted with me when I produced the Phil Helmuth DVDs and, um, and he had been seeing Molly, you know, in the movie, they act like she never slept with any of the players. Well, uh, that wasn't true. And Andy was also the heir to the Chiquita banana fortune, by the way. <laughs> and he said, you know, Darren threatened to take the game away from Molly and, and basically appeal to us to, you know, move the game out of the Viper. And so we did. And Toby and I kind of took that, uh, as a, that was our cue to, you know, start making Molly work a little bit more. And, uh, so she was told, okay, we're going to let you, you know, continue hosting, uh, the game, but we want five star hotels. We don't want to have to deal with paying for it or booking it. You deal with all of that. And, uh, and we're going to up the blinds to, from 100, 200 to 200, 400 with a 50k buy-in. Because in the beginning, it was a, the whole hustle of the game was, it was a 5k buy-in. So that's how we originally got guys in. They, they would put up five grand thinking, you know, they knew nothing about poker. So they're like, oh, it's just 5,000. I can sit with Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby McGuire. But as you guys know, with 100, 200 blinds, five grand doesn't get you that far. And, you know, in one or two orbits, these guys would, would have reloaded, you know, once or twice. So a guy comes to, sit and play with five grand ends up losing like 25, 35,000. Um, which I thought was just the perfect scenario. And I thought we should just keep doing that as long as possible. But yeah. So, so they're talking about how they're roping in the fish and making the buy-in lows. And then they, they think, okay, the worst that'll happen is I'll lose 5,000. And then they lose. And as a uh, vintage one pointed out there, their egos, they, uh, they, they, they just, don't want to give up when they lose that first uh, 5,000, especially this guy. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way When they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue Bananas taste the best and are the best for you Yeah, so uh, that's so he said that that was great how it was going, and then what happened? Let's hear the last two minutes here before I stop it. Toby, you know, he had a lot of money and he enjoyed competition and he wanted to amp it up. So I kind of, you know, I had to go along for the ride on that one. And, uh, and we all went along for the ride. And, uh, Molly's responsibilities basically just now included booking a hotel and we told her to bring players to us. But all the players that she brought were always vetted by us and approved by the game. You know, no one ever once, not one time, did someone get in that game uh, through Molly's approval. You know, did, um, she makes it sound uh, uh, in the book. She very clearly makes it sound like if someone didn't pay what they owed, she was responsible for <laughs> settling their debt. Not at all. 
Well, that that is one of the most annoying little lies in the the whole thing. She now, when she went to New York, she might have gotten herself over, you know, her, her head under the water there. But uh, yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, so when she was in New York and when she got busted, she was part of that whole uh, Trencher clan, which was an organized crime uh, syndicate in New York. So over there, I could believe that she would have the ability to pressure people to pay. Uh, see, to get people to pay, you have to have some way to pressure them. You can first nicely remind them, and if you think they have the money and they're willing to pay up, or if they want to come back to the game, then they'll they'll pay you. You just got to kind of stay on them. Uh, but if it seems like people might stiff you, if you're just uh, some hot chick with, with no power. You're yeah, soft. Uh, no one's going to pay uh, who, who, who isn't planning to come back and uh, isn't worried about anything she can do because what, what can she do? Uh, so now if she's associated with this uh, Trencher clan in New York City and she drops their name of, hey, you know, you, 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 I'm responsible here. And if you don't pay, I'm going to I'm going to have to get my friends to, to help me. Then people might get scared and say, you know what? I'm not going to screw with the, this organized crime uh, Trencher clan. I, I, I will pay her. So he, he's kind of qualifying that, like in New York, maybe she had some abilities to do that, but he's insisting that in this L.A. game that uh, this wasn't true, that she wasn't responsible for collecting the money, and that she couldn't even bring anybody to the game without their approval. So she could suggest, hey, this person would like to come, or hey, I found this person, but that uh, the final say was, was his and, and Toby's, and that they would separately vet these people from whatever she did. So he's saying, you know, she didn't just have carte blanche to add whoever she wants to the game, like like she says in her book. I don't know what the truth is. This is the central theme of what he's trying to sell in his book, that it was really more of his game, not Molly's game, and that she was kind of just an assistant there. I wish when I was doing Entourage and Toby McGuire was always around that I knew these kind of games were going on. I was like, I had no idea. Yeah. Gosh, well, what, what, if, what, what if you knew, though? You would have had to get the bankroll to play. I, I, well, no, no. What I would have done is I would have, like, casually talked to him about poker and, and tried to get invited to the game and then pooled some money together. Yeah, that's that's the hard part. You have to get enough money well, here right. to, to... Yeah, but these guys, I'm around these guys all the time. They're... They think that they know what they're doing when they don't have a clue what they're doing. As far as someone hustling them to get into something, you know, yeah. making friends. Because they're so used to the the standard fanboy coming up to them. And then if you can present yourself as not the fanboy, but a similar interest person, that they think they maybe could get, get over on you like a, a, a gambler. Yeah, you could get it. You could get into that that little circle very easily. Yeah, especially if there's no record of you being a, the, a, a poker, a good poker player, or anything of course, like that, where they think course. you can sneak in there. So yeah, you have to be like an under the radar person. Hundred percent. They, they, they think you're a fish trying yeah. to get into the game. Yeah, that's that's true. That might be able to be pulled off. And you know, I saw him all the time on Entourage because he was friends with Kevin Connolly from Entourage. And Kevin Dillon, and they all loved poker, but I didn't know they were running games like that. I mean, yeah. that this was way before I knew that these kind of games were going on around me. 
Okay, let's listen to the next minute or so, yeah. and, then, and we will. Uh, then I'll tell you how to find this, and uh, you can listen to the rest. He was never responsible for one single solitary debt in our game. Uh, the entire five, you know, years it ran. Not even okay. close. All, all she did was manage. She would flow a lot of the money through her books because people came with checks, and sometimes if they left early, we didn't know who the check was going to, and. Sometimes she started having them, you know, made out to her company. Uh, and she was also getting, taking so much tips out of the game. You know, she started a, she started like a, an entertainment company or a hosting company. I don't know what she called it, but, <laughs> you know, basically she was, at that point, she was making 30000 a night in tips. Jeez. You know, she was the, she was wow. one of the, her and the dealer were the only two who never lost in the game. Ever. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right, we're talking to Houston. All right, so that's that's all I'm going to play you for now. Uh, if you want, that's to, a great interview. Yeah, I so, mean, so far pretty good. Wow. So if you want to go listen to the rest of this, uh, there the, the April 24th episode called uh, "Gambling with an Edge Dash Houston Curtis." You can find this on YouTube, and that's part one. You can also type in the same thing with part two. And you could find the one six days later where they uh, completed this. The entire episode is 54 minutes, or almost 55 minutes, and the next one similar. So you can go listen to this if you like. That's Gambling with an Edge. And if you want to read Houston Curtis's book, since I played portions of him on this show, I might as well give him a small plug. I have not read it, but his book is called a Billion Dollar Hollywood Heist, if you're interested in this story. Billion Dollar Hollywood Heist. And uh, he just appeared on the Gambling with an Edge podcast. So I, I hope you guys uh, found that entertaining. How much do I believe? I believe some of it. Uh, I, I think that uh, the Molly stuff is kind of hard to tell because they've each got their own separate story here. And they've each got a reason to tell their story in the way that makes them look more important. So that's kind of a hard one to, to tell uh, who's telling the truth. Uh, I, I believe some of what he said. And especially when he, when he throws in, like, weird details that would be unlikely to be made up, like about the Crocs. Exactly. And, and that's Jeff, where he Jeffrey, got me, too. Jeffrey Katzenberg wearing Crocs. Yeah, like he, I he mean, would, that's, that's, that's hard to just come up with out of nowhere. And Crocs. Everyone has to wear Crocs. <laughs> yeah. So that's that, – yeah, the Crocs are – you wouldn't expect that to be something that they'd give you as slippers in a house. You'd think, oh, we saw Jeffrey Katzenberg in slippers. But uh, it actually come up with Crocs. That would have to be something pretty exactly. specific he really saw. So – uh, so I, I believe things like that, and uh, I, I have to say that I don't think Molly was telling the full truth, and it's I, – I wish I could be sure he's telling the full truth, but keep in mind this guy is a well-known hustler. This is a guy who admits that right. he cheats, and someone who's friends with Mars Hamilton, so you can't say, okay, I'm just going to believe everything he says. Because it's, but it, now we don't really have Molly's word. She She signed on to a movie. And Hollywood has a real way of taking the truth and bending it. Yeah, she also wrote a book, though, so uh, you know, it may have been somewhat ghost-ridden. Who knows? But but uh, you know, she had her side of the story where she claims it was it's a game she became in control of, and and Houston Curtis is saying no, not really. Oh, so, okay. So okay. so that yeah, that's that's where the it's hard to tell who's telling the truth there. But it, it's interesting if you want an alternate perspective. Uh, if this matters, this may or may not matter to you, but uh, Heralibos Vulgaris claimed on Twitter that he believed uh, Houston's account and that uh, Molly's oh, ga- that Molly's game is just entertainment. But if you want the real story, it's much closer to what uh, Houston said. That's uh, that's 
Haralabov's Volgaris is a And you know what? I believe that. I honestly do. I think this guy has nothing to lose by speaking the truth. Yeah, some people were were mad at uh, Haralabov for saying that uh, because of the association between Houston Curtis and uh, Russ Hamilton, and uh, he didn't. Yeah. They, people didn't like uh, him promoting the book in this way, but like by giving sort of his stamp of approval there on it. And I don't know; those two might be friends, so there might be a reason he says it. I don't know. Uh, so you can go check it out for yourself if you have an interest. We had some requests to do a segment about this, so I, I think that. Uh, You've got an idea now, and you can go find the rest of the material on your own. I think that was a fantastic segment. That was really good. So it's, it's an easy segment for me. I can just let the thing play and take a break. That's, that's, uh, that, <laughs> I, I, I like having those segments, and I've got these long shows. I go, oh, I can finally stop talking. Okay, so uh, the coronavirus, the time for the downer, the coronavirus topics. Mm. Uh-oh. So... There's something I'm trying to figure out here, and I know it's it's hard to have the answer to this. Even Andrew Cuomo admitted that he doesn't have the answer. He just said the other day, I don't know where this is coming from. The new cases of coronavirus. Okay, so we've had the lockdown for about six to eight weeks everywhere. Some have been longer, like California. Some have been shorter. But it's basically been about six to eight weeks. And yet... When we look at the numbers, we are not seeing a drop of uh, deaths or cases. We're not seeing an increase anymore. That's good. Uh, when the, the talk about flatten the curve, well, that has been accomplished. The, the curve has been incredibly flat where it's not really going down much and it's not going up much. And even when it appears to be going down, like over the, the, the 24 hours from Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific to Friday at 5 p.m. Or sorry, Friday to Saturday, Friday 5 p.m. Pacific to, to Saturday 5 p.m. Pacific, there were 1,422 deaths in the U.S., which sounds like a big improvement over the 2K we've been seeing pretty consistently. The problem is, and this was pointed out by somebody on Poker Fraud Alert, I think I mentioned it last week, is that for some reason there's undercounts over the weekend that they make up for early the following week. So so, so you see it go down on, on Saturday and Sunday only to pop up on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and that seems to be like the, the count lags a little bit on the weekend. Maybe certain people aren't working or the paperwork's not processed as much. Whatever it is, it seems to catch back up. So whenever you see something optimistic over the weekend, you can't trust it until you see what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And every week this happens, sure enough, the deaths pop back up over 2,000, like like 2,500, 2,400. You go, okay, well, average all that, it's about 2,000. It's been very consistently 2,000 deaths for a while and very consistently 25,000 cases. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little bit less, but not much of a departure. And it's been a long time this way. So the question I have, the question even Andrew Cuomo has, is where are these coming from? How come we're getting 25,000 new verified test positive cases a day? And keep in mind, this is with like a 30% false negative rate with the test and also with many people who do not go in for testing. Many people who know they have it, but the symptoms are not severe enough to warrant a hospital visit or even a visit to get tested. So they just go, okay, I probably have the corona. I'll stay away from everybody. Hopefully it passes. Hopefully it doesn't get too bad. As I said, there's a guy on our site uh, drawing dead who's like this, 33 years old. He wakes up. He can't taste anything, dumps hot sauce on his tongue, tastes like water, realizes he must have it. <laughs> he really said that. He actually dumped hot sauce on his tongue and it tastes like water. Uh, he he uh, 
he started getting fatigued somewhat. I actually haven't heard from him since. Hopefully he's not dead. But That's drawing dead if I've ever heard it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, he's he, unless he got much worse, he wasn't going to go to the hospital or get tested. He's just assuming I have it, and that's a pretty damn good assumption when you can't when you wake up and can't taste anything for no reason. So uh, there's a lot of people who have it that just don't go in for testing. So they say there's 25,000 new cases a day. It's probably over 100,000 new cases a day. For uh, sure, and and so so where are these coming from? If we're all locking down, if we're we're all uh, doing the social distancing, where is it coming from? Well, there's some obvious places. In, in New York, it's things like the subway and the train. Uh, outside of New York, which is throughout the whole rest of the country, there's people who have to go to work. There's so it's getting spread around workplaces. There's even there's been talk like even at Amazon, it's going around warehouses there. Uh, so, so anyone who's working in a job that's deemed essential, they still have to go to it's, work. Just because something's essential doesn't mean it's not spreading. And uh, it's going around the White House. Yeah, it's recent, <laughs> recently it's going around the White House. So, so there's definitely places for it to spread. We're not all staying at home and barely going out. Even those who are staying at home and barely going out. Again, going back to the drawing dead. He all he went to was the grocery store and the auto parts store and caught it. So, <laughs> so, so you can catch it at the grocery store. Just just doing the minimal. What you think you need to do, uh, you can still end up catching it. So that that accounts for some of the cases. But why are we not seeing at least much of a decline? Why are we still sitting at twenty five thousand now? Now, yes, if we didn't do all of this, if we just continued life as normal, then yes, maybe we'd be seeing far more cases than twenty five thousand per day. But we're still seeing twenty five thousand new verified cases a day, which, as I said, are probably more than a hundred thousand real cases a day. So we're seeing so many cases, and this is with all the social distancing. Is it possible that this is so contagious that uh, if if you're going out and uh, and just doing minimal things, that uh, you have a fair chance of catching it, and that if you're going to something like work every day, that you have a good chance of catching it? Because all it takes is one person. If it's that contagious, the more contagious it is, the less effective social distancing is unless you completely social distance. So, so, so that's my point. How, how many people percentage wise would you say that when you're in your car driving around, you see with no mask on, give me a percentage. I don't know because I see, I'm not going out much. It's, it's, oh, you don't go and, and, at and, all. And, and I don't wear a mask in my car. There's no point until I, I leave the car. No, but when, when, once, when you're amongst other people, runners, Whatever. When you're out amongst people. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't really observed. But it's not so much the masks. It's that. But I can tell you this. What what, what my experience is, because I am out there on, on some level, I would say about 25% of the people don't wear masks. Yeah, I, I, I can believe that. But it's, it goes far so, beyond so, that. If this is so contagious that uh, that just if you go anywhere and you have it, there's a good chance of infecting other people. Then, then it starts to become a situation where, unless people just really stay away from everybody, that, and I, when I say really, I don't mean just cut down what you're doing. Of course, if the more you're out, the more you're going to get it. But, but if it's that contagious, and if you're at enough places with enough people, like the grocery store, then you're going to pick it up eventually. And that, that's why I felt like, uh, I, I felt like with the grocery store, I was martingaling. I felt that, uh, that yeah. one of these times, yeah. that, that the overwhelming chances that on an individual trip, I'm not going to catch it, but if I keep going over and over and over again, lightning's going to finally strike and it's going to get me. That's why I stopped going. That's why I'm, I'm having everything delivered here now. And, and uh, now I'm going to have to, at some point, deal with 
if this just isn't going to go away, then I may well, have to what's, reassess. What, what's pretty proven is that this coronavirus is very uh, – it falls. It's like when it comes out of your mouth, if you don't sneeze and it goes like everywhere, it's heavy and it drops. It's very gravity-driven. Really? Because I've, I've heard the opposite. Now, this is, this goes back oh, probably really? to March. But maybe they've discovered since then. In March, they were claiming that it can sit in the air and hang there for hours. That really scared me about the grocery store. Uh, but who knows? Well, I have some nurses on my block that we have a happy hour every day, and they say that it's the total opposite. So, may I mean, but it could be misinformation. I don't know for sure, but they say it's 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 gravity driven that it falls. It's it's a heavy, it's a heavy. Well, whatever. I, I hope that's true because that will that will minimize the way you can get the coronavirus exactly. if someone doesn't directly like, yeah. sneeze on you. But but there, there's somewhere that this is all coming from, and I would this is again again where they need to try to figure this out. And, and I'm going to get to it a little bit later about the. The, the attempt to contract trace, which I think is, is, is ridiculous. I think that's uh, way too late for that. Not, not that contact tracing itself is bad, but that the belief that's a solution is, is, it's absurd to me. But, uh, but they do have to, rather than contact trace, I would say more cause trace. I would think that, the, that what they need to figure out is not who individually is causing these cases. Or track down who has it that may not know it. Yeah, that's it's too late for that. But what? what yeah, you can does that do is, even matter at this point? Yeah, that, it doesn't. So that what I think they need to do, and and I think maybe they don't want to tell us the answer if they know the truth. Like if it is on like the grocery store, uh, they, they they need to find, ask what I asked of Drawing Dead. He announced on our site he has the coronavirus probably because he can't taste anything. So I said, okay, last seven days, where have you been? And that's when he said the auto parts star, store and the grocery store. I thought I said, okay, it's one of these two where you got it almost sure. So he also said he went, he went hiking too, but I said, okay, the hiking is very unlikely. So it was almost surely the grocery store and the auto parts stores, one of these two that did it to you. So, so I, I think they should ask this of everybody. Where have you been? And, and then put together statistics so people know, okay, this many people um, who caught it went to this place. Uh, and I know it's inexact because you don't know exactly where you got it. And, and, of course, with a lot of people going to the grocery store, that doesn't mean just because you've been there. It doesn't mean that's where you caught it. But at least we can get a good picture of everything if we really knew of those who were catching it. Like how many, how many who caught it got it are, are also working? How many are working at a job where at least one person has been diagnosed in the last two weeks with the coronavirus? Like, like uh, these stats would be helpful to where they break it down completely of of these new cases, where everybody seems to be getting it from, or possibly be getting it from, where they've been, and that we I can't find that. I can't find any information on that. I think that's the type of thing we need to know. And if it's a good point, Truff, but the problem is. 90% of the cases are asymptomatic and no one knows they have it. I don't think it's 90%, whatever, but yes, there are going to be or some. Or whatever it is. I yes. mean, that, even if there's 50% that are asymptomatic, that's what ruins the whole curve because people are walking around thinking they're, they're healthy and fine yes. and they're spreading this disease. Well, yeah, and even people who end up with symptoms, they start out asymptomatic and then, and exactly. then it progresses. And I mean, I mean and then there's those who. Trust. There's no way of getting around it. I say it again. Everyone's got to get it. Protect, protect the people that are really high, that, that it's going to kill. But the people that, I mean, 
life's got to go on. Well, it's and this, just got to go and, on. And here's, wh- here's why this information it. is so important. It's along the lines of what you're saying here, is that the information's important because this will display to us uh, how effective social distancing is and, and how – if it's inevitable that if you just go to what's deemed essential – that you're going to get it anyway because of how contagious it is. So if you let, – let's let's say hypothetically – I know this isn't the case, but let's let's say hypothetically that, that uh, 75% of the new cases were people who've only been to the grocery store and um, and maybe one other store in the past week. Well, what, what would be the conclusion? The conclusion is if you go grocery shopping, it's going to pop you eventually. So, so, uh, so we have to look at everything now. Should we – only leave essential places open? Probably not, because if, if, if those alone will get you anyway, as long as we don't overwhelm the healthcare system, which it appears we're not going to, then then we, we might as well open everything because there's, it's, it's just a matter of time of when it's going to hit you exactly. if you're going exactly. to these places. So that's where it's – that's where – see, the more information we have – you're right on the, the, top. The of more, it right the there. more it, that the more we know what the right thing to do and what what is too much to do, what's too little to do, and what the right thing to do is. That's that's where we can get the best idea. And and I, I just don't see enough of this. And so the reason this week I'm highlighting new cases. Yeah, I don't like talking about the same thing over and over each week because it's boring. And I, I want to bring something new to the table yes. with a coronavirus yes. each week here for you guys to think about. So something new to think about here, even though a lot of the concerns I expressed in the past on this show are still concerns I have presently, but the, the new cases is, is what I've been looking at. I've been watching it every day, 25, 24, 26,000. So it, it's just not changing over and over and over and over again. So why? Why is it stuck there? It's good it's not increasing. It's good we've been stuck rather than going up. But why is it not going down? And and uh, so that needs to be looked at, and then we have to make honest decisions of what to do. And and anything w- which you decide what to do, you have to think about uh, what's going to change. And that's and that's something that applies to everything in life. When something, when you're making a decision about something in your life that is tough. You have to say not only what is good for me at the moment, but if I'm going to change what I'm doing, what would cause that change? And if your answer is, well, I don't know, then you haven't thought about it. Then you like, – like, let's say someone who's in a, an abusive relationship and they're getting abused every day, whether it's just physical or emotional, what, whatever it is. They're in a very abusive relationship and, and, uh, and they say, okay, I, I'm just going to avoid setting this person off. I'm going to just try to really walk on eggshells and avoid – pissing them off and this way they they won't abuse me okay that's that's good for the moment because maybe you're not ready to move out today but uh what about uh, what's going to change you think the person's going to stop being abusive unlikely so so are you going to what are you going to do in two months what are you going to do in three months what are you going to do in four months they're going to be the same person so what are you going to do like uh, if you need a short time to figure out exactly what your next move is or, or figure out how to accomplish your next move, that's fine, then you stop setting them off. But but you can't say, okay, my long-term plan is just to stop setting this person off so they won't abuse me as much. That would be a terrible long-term plan. So with a coronavirus that's similar, you can't just say, our long-term plan is we're just going to uh, we're, we're just gonna try to avoid getting it. Uh, so so unless 
so I'm saying for the for public policy purposes. I'm not talking about individuals. So so if you're an individual and you can find a way to avoid getting it with the hope that a vaccine is going to come, uh, and and you're willing to do that, you're willing to live that way for for the medium term, then that's fine. And that's actually what I have been doing, and that's a, that's going to be what I continue to do. Because I that's think my, that's nuts, bro. But, I think so that's, that's nuts. That's my right personal now. choice. Now, if I had to go to a job, if I was if I if I was broke. And or close to broke, and, and I have to go back to work to support my family, guess what? Then I would have to say, oh, well, this sucks. I wish I could stay home, but I'm going to have to go back to work to, to, to bring money in, and I would have to go back out and do it. But I, I fortunately have the ability, uh, with, with the position I'm in, to not have to do that. So therefore, I said I'll just take the minimum risk. And there are some things that will suck that I won't be doing, and it's going to be uh, unpleasant, but uh, but but I, I'm willing to do that. But let's say let's say someone could say, well, you know what? There's not going to be a vaccine. It's, when I say someone could say, let's say you could look into the future and see there's not going to be a vaccine. Or let's say they make a, a very conclusive scientific uh, study that says that a vaccine will be impossible and a treatment will be impossible, and I believe it. Well, then I would have to modify. Then I, then I wouldn't say, well, guess what? The rest of my life I'm just staying in my house, ordering groceries, never doing anything. I, I wouldn't say that. Then I would say, okay, well, now I've got to, I've got to return to do things, but just – be a little more careful than I used to be and, and, and hope I don't get it for a while. And when I get it, then hope it's not bad. So, but for public policy, it's different. For public policy, when you decide what should be allowed to be open, what should people be allowed to do, uh, you have to have a plan. You have to have a medium-term plan, and you have to have as much data as possible. And maybe they have it, and they're just not giving it to us, but I really think a helpful piece of data will be why are these new cases happening, and the only way you can know why is by looking at stats which hopefully they're collecting with every new case rather than trying to identify who do you get it from but more of where have you been hopefully they are logging this somewhere for each new case where this person has been in the past seven days and but how does that help us it helps us because we see it helps us because with all these cases with 25 new cases uh, verified cases a day you have 25,000 new data points every day, and it will start to create a clear picture of where people are going and where they're not going and whether they're getting it or still not getting it, whether things – because as I said, let's say we're, we're seeing a trend where it appears a lot of people are getting it going grocery shopping. Well, then we have to say, well, look, looks like this uh, only do essential things plan isn't working because uh, – of. A lot of people are getting it anyway, and that's just because something's deemed essential doesn't mean it's safe from the coronavirus. So, so, right. well, so well, give we us, know nothing is safe. No, nothing but, is safe. But they're if safe, and then the guy unsafe. goes to the grocery store and just walks by the guy going out. Well, we know the guy going in there has it, but we don't know the guy going out caught it from him, and now he goes to the to the bookstore or to Starbucks and buys something, and now he walks by someone that is just casually going out to the gas station and now this whole fucking shit show is just impounding every there's no way rough to stop that that, that's why individual contact tracing can't work which we'll get to during that segment but i'm talking about just collecting stats now someone who's been 20 places this week you're not going to get anything conclusive but someone who has been to only two places this week or three places this week you start to get a picture from this many data points now if you had 10 data points it's useless but if you have 
uh, 25,000 new data points coming in every day, you're going to start having a picture of where people are catching it. Even if you can't say conclusively for each individual, you can start putting it all together and starting to figure out where people are catching it and then concluding how useful it is for people to stay home and avoid everything else. And if, and if the, and I think the answer might end up being that this is so contagious that uh, this isn't doing enough and that uh, since you can't just say don't go anywhere, we can't say nobody can go to a job. That's not realistic. You can't say nobody – even right now you can't say that because certain jobs need to be done. And you can't say don't – nobody can go to the grocery store. You, you can't say things like that. So – if if that if this is what we're doing and if it's not really working that well, aside from just keeping them from going higher, if it's just flattening it, then we have to say, okay, we've done this. It's 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 sat flat, and we have to start returning because we're we're not preventing people from getting it that well, and we have to be honest with it. We have to be honest about the situation, and then uh, and then start reopening things, and 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 then let what happens going to happen. And, and again, I'm talking about from a public policy standpoint, not from what each individual decides is best for them. That should be the up, up to each person. Uh, so I'm not saying everybody should be compelled to go out or people should want – should uh, everybody should do it. Or, or even if you're not in a huge risk category. Let's say you're, you're, you're 50 and you have no other risks you can find. You don't have high blood pressure. You're not obese. You don't, you don't see anything that, that would match you other than being 50, which is kind of like moderate risk. Um, I'm not saying you should go out. If you say, hey, I'm still 50, I don't want to get a severe version and damage my lungs, I'm going to, I'm just going to avoid it because I can and I can afford to do so. That's fine. And that's, that's a perfectly respectable choice on your part. Uh, but, but, uh, at the same time, if you're 50 and say, hey, you know, I, I it's not worth it to me to avoid life and uh, avoid doing normal things with myself just to, try to stop getting this, especially since I think I'm going to get it eventually anyway, so F it, I'm going to go out, and, and if I catch it, I catch it. That That's a respectable choice, too. And especially because we're not going to social distance our way out of this one, nor contact trace our way out of this one, because of the new cases we're seeing at this number for, for, for all these weeks. It, you know, If we were seeing new cases go way down, and we're sitting now today with 2,000 new cases a day, when we were at 25 before, I'd say, okay, that's big progress. Maybe this can really be stamped out by it, just the, the number of cases going down, 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 down so far that we can get it to a super low number, then contact trace from there, and, and really just uh, stamp it out that way. But that's not happening. It's clearly not happening. And uh, so so they just need to get the data from this, and, and, uh, and we need to know what the real risks are and, and why we are getting this many new cases despite all the social distancing and and, and really try to crunch the numbers. And it's, it's not that difficult. It's not like we can't I, – I think they are collecting this information. I don't know if they're aggregating it, but they should, and they should have very smart statisticians analyze it. And we definitely have the capability to do that. It's not like uh, it's not like you can't find someone capable of, of, uh, of statistically analyzing this. So there's no reason it shouldn't be done. So, okay, I want to move on to something else uh, related to the coronavirus, and that is about the Kawasaki disease. By the way, I think we lost uh, Trader Ruski. Oh, Ruski. God, Trough. <laughs> I think we lost Trader Ruski. Well, this is important to address. Number one, I have a child, and I, I went to go read about this because uh, all this time I'm thinking, okay, Ben's safe. I'm glad Ben's safe. You know, maybe maybe I won't fare so well with this. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But uh, uh, I, I know someone who will, and that'll be Ben. And that that, that – it helps me stay more calm through this whole thing. 
that uh, that I know my child, and I only have one child, so I, I said uh, at least my my only child will not uh, go through this too badly. He doesn't have any health problems. He's the typical nine year old who's going to get it, probably won't even know he has it, or probably have something really mild. So when I heard about this Kawasaki disease, I said, oh crap! What if what if there's something new to worry about or some new strain uh, or some mutation now that's starting to kill the kids. And I, I, I started worrying. So I, I went to go read about this and uh, then I saw something I, I didn't like seeing. And that was that three kids in New York have already died from it. And that's never pleasant to read. And then I start thinking, and then I start to read that Kawasaki disease, while it already existed prior to the coronavirus, and already did kill kids prior to the coronavirus, that it was mainly killing kids under five. And that now, most kids that are dying of it are older, some being teenagers. That uh, that there is a spike in Kawasaki disease that uh, is correlated with when uh, COVID-19 sprung up, and that uh, the, these kids are testing positive for COVID-19, and that uh, the ones that are dying from it or getting very severe symptoms from it are ones who uh, who are otherwise healthy and are older and usually out of the range of kids that are dying from Kawasaki disease. So I go, this is very, very disturbing. But I read one thing, well, I read two things that made myself feel better about this. Uh, aside from the fact that it's 3,000 miles away, that also made me feel a little bit better, but it made me feel better not just for my own child, but for children everywhere in the country, because it's not like I want to... It's very sad to read about any children dying, uh, even if they're not related to me in any way. But uh, I saw two things which were encouraging. Number one, it's still very rare. So even in New York, it's still very rare. So it's three children dying. And keep in mind, a lot of kids get this. Because kids are not very good about washing their hands and not touching the wrong things and 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 kids are very likely to get it if their parents have it so kids even though they're not at school anymore a lot of them get this and quick question how many of these same kids die of the flu well that's another thing is the flu is killing a lot more kids as far as danger to children exactly. the, the flu the, the flu is more dangerous and that's a good point that if you're going to fear this even if there are some deaths for children there's going to be deaths of everything, but what yeah. kills more people? Yeah, yeah. For, for for kids, definitely the flu is more dangerous. Exactly. Even even kids like like Ben's age. So the, we have the to flu. keep a, a relative state of this conversation, right? And that that's then that's a good point. Is that uh, that we've been dealing with the death with the danger of the flu killing children uh, for a very long Ever. time. <laughs> now, yet it's true that now it's true that older children are even. Children that are like around Benjamin's age have a lesser chance of dying from the flu than, than, than like babies and toddlers who are really susceptible to it. They are still have a much higher chance of dying from the flu than you and I do. Anything. So, so yeah, really, yeah, really, you're, you're correct. Most most things. I was just telling Benjamin this the other day. Most diseases, most ailments, are much more dangerous for children to get than for like middle-aged adults to get it's most with most ailments it's like a v on the graph where it's the highest chance for little babies and very old people and then the it goes down 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 and then it uh when you're in your 20s is when you're at the least danger and then it slowly goes up and then it uh, and then it moves up quickly when you're old so so but the, Truff, this is what i'm saying is that what are you more afraid of of a disease that 
targets people that are 80 years old or older or that targets kids that are in their most healthiest stage of life that it kills. Well, yes. Okay. For, for, for Benjamin's sake, I, I'm more afraid of the flu for him. Of and, course. And you'd have to be of because course. that's that's the uh, uh, – and that's why up until this Kawasaki thing, I was not even the slightest bit worried about the coronavirus for Benjamin because uh, because I knew about kids like him just not only don't die from it but don't seem to get any severe symptoms from it. So 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 it just seems so rare that a child who does not have existing health problems uh, getting a severe effect from the coronavirus. I, I really did not worry at all for him. I worried for me. I worried for my parents. I worried for my girlfriend. I didn't worry for uh, for for Benjamin. Now uh, with the Kawasaki disease, I, I needed to read about it. Now, so first of all, it's still very rare, and as as Vintage once said, the flu is still much more dangerous for children than than the than COVID nineteen. Second, this is a big this is a big one. It seems that the real danger comes from not treating it quickly enough. And now it's still tragic if if parents don't jump on it fast enough and uh, and the kids die. And in some cases it wasn't that much their fault because the kid just had a fever, and and the advice they got is well, don't. What's the big deal? Your kid got a fever. If kids get fever all the time, um, only if it doesn't go away after you know, four or five days, uh, give us a call and bring them into the hospital. Well, that's what they did. It turned out they had a Kawasaki disease, and by the time they brought them in, then it became severe, and then and then uh, three of them died. And uh, other ones uh, got very very sick but recovered. But uh, now everybody knows. Now everybody knows that if at least you should know, and that's why I'm putting on this show here that. If your kid gets a, a stubborn fever that's very high, now you can't just say, oh, it's Kawasaki disease, but you take it more seriously than if this were not going on. Nor- normally, if, if Benjamin got a fever, I, I wouldn't be the slightest bit bothered. I got a lot of high fevers as a kid. I'm still here. Uh, and I'm sure you did too. Uh, it's, it's common as a kid to get high fevers. Kids get a lot higher fevers than adults do. I got 104 all the time when I was a kid. Uh, that, that was not uncommon for me to get 104, 103 as a child. Uh, Benjamin actually gets fewer than I did, but uh, this but, seems kind of like it's Corona uh, mania. Well, but I'm saying here that now that we know that the Kawasaki disease is out there, and that now a high fever for a kid that lasts a few days could be that. Then you get now there's knowledge about it. Now there's people watching for it. Now they can look for other signs of it. And now you don't. Now you're less likely to just leave your kid. Um, at home saying, oh, it's just a fever. This happens all the time. So so it's one of these. Like, but you should be able to leave your kid at home. You, you should be able to. Because flu for a million years. No, and but, well, that's another we've thing. always left your kid at home. I know, but at least. And, and put okay, cold but, compress on their head okay. and take Tylenol. I know, but this is a different thing. And eat chicken soup. But this is a different thing. You, I wouldn't want to take the chance with Benjamin with this. I would want him checked, given that this is the case, even though it's oh, rare. Oh, trust. No, even though it's rare, I, I'd want to. Now, before this, I wouldn't. But but now that but that it, it's a big thing to me to know the difference, uh, to to know you have the ability to then bring them in to be checked rather than like if you just like if I got COVID nineteen, I it's not a matter of how early I get to the hospital about it. There, there's really not much that could be done at this point. If I were to catch you it, probably wouldn't even know you had it. No, I That's probably would. No, I think the because of, I, are, you wouldn't know. I think because of my age and because I have high baseline blood pressure, I think I'm more likely to feel uh, symptom bad symptoms. 
but but not quite hospitalization. I think I would if I had to pick the scenario most likely if I catch this, I say the number one most likely is is severe non hospitalized symptoms where I will never end up at like the, the flu. No, much worse than the flu, but not quite to where I can get hospitalized. But but a very a very very bad one that does damage, but never never hospitalizes me, because I, I like that's where I think I'd feel close to hospitalization, but not quite there. That's that's where I think is most likely, uh, and and, and uh, second most you're likely. Projecting, you're projecting. The no, I, I've talked to a number of people my age who've had who've had it. The second most likely. I think I've had it, drop. I'm I'm fi- I'm older than you. I'm fifty two. We're, I'm we're pretty close. sure I had it. We're we're close. Uh, the 50, forty-eight and fifty-two is pretty close as far as this is concerned. And and uh, what I what I think here is that I'm making the comparison that if I were to get this, whatever my destiny is for it to do to me is what's going to happen. It's not a matter if I catch it early and do something, I can change the the trajectory. I can't. If I'm destined Definitely. to if I'm destined to be killed by it, I'm going to die from it. If I'm destined to be uh, to to have severe symptoms that doesn't kill me, I'm going to have that like there's there's a uh, some things that can be done but not very much. It's for the most part uh, it's going to be what it's going to be. If if there were to be something, if there were to be a treatment that if you jump on it early, and, and took the treatment. No such thing exists now. But if, if there were something that you jump on it early and take the treatment, it will stop it from becoming severe. That would be a major game changer, especially for people like me. That's what we're waiting for. Especially for people like me who would be aware enough to do it. I, it would still kill people who didn't do it. It would still keep people. No, still, no. Forget about people like you. It's because you're not the demographic that's dying from this. It's the people that are eighty and over. But I'm not just looking Those at that. Those are now. the people that need. I'm it. not just looking at that demographic. I'm looking at the demographic of people who are my age that are not dying, but are getting lasting damage from it, and are also having a horrific experience, and and, <laughs> and, and even something that taking a, a treatment which does not yet exist could prevent that. The, if you take a treatment, for example, that that they come up with in the future, that prevents it from getting worse than a typical flu would be. That that would Let be a great treatment. Let me ask you a question, Drop. Then I wouldn't Let fear Let me ask it. you a quick question. Yeah. How old's Elky? Elky is 39. Okay. And, and he's, so he's kind of in our range. No, it's not, though. That's the thing is I've seen, from what I've been seeing here, there's no magic day where you turn this age and you become more vulnerable. That's a good point, though. But, but that's a good but, point but, against but there, your, your, but, your but strategy. A, I look at it the way, like, look at women and their ability to get pregnant. You have a few fluke pregnancies in the late 40s and sometimes even early 50s. Those like, are not fluke pregnancies. No, they are. No, they're very fluke. They're very fluke pregnancies. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not talking about the IVF ones. I'm talking. No, of eggs. course talk- not. Natural. I, 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 no, I'm talking about natural pregnancies. You, yeah. you, after 35, fertility starts falling off very fast. And that doesn't mean when you're 35... Um, you can't have kids, or or that uh, that on a certain date you can't. Uh, every woman can't have a kid anymore. What happens is it, it's a very slow decrease in fertility until 35, and then it starts to fall off very fast. Where uh, it goes down, down, down. And some some women uh, are 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 affected less than others. So some some in their by 37 they're done. They, they they'll still have periods. Everything seems outwardly normal, but they can't get pregnant anymore. There's there's women who uh, who can go all the way into the late 40s and and occasionally early 50s. They're very rare, uh, but but uh, there's ones that can do that that are outliers. But for the most part, it, it starts to fall off very fast, starting at 35, and by 40. Uh, most women have trouble getting pregnant and and key, and successfully pregnant. I'm talking about. They, some get pregnant yeah. and have miscarriages, yeah. but 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 once you're past forty, your chance of successfully carrying a baby to term with your own eggs 
uh, as, as a female, it's it's not that high anywhere. Once you're 44, it's really low. So so that's so so what I'm talking about here is that you see a very quick change, not from a magical date of when you turn the next year older, but a, a right. very a, a f- fast decline that starts at 35 and then gets even faster as as you uh, get past that, and then eventually it's uh, it's it's super rare to be able to do it at all. So I see the coronavirus the same way that past 35, I think there's a jump up in likelihood to have severe but non-fatal symptoms where, where it's rapidly increasing and i think 39 and 48 are very different i i think that uh, but then i think around 50 it kind of plateaus where as far as the chance to have severe symptoms doesn't go up that much it goes up a little bit but i think the chance of death starts going up and then when you get to 60 70 80 then it starts going up rapidly again for death so i think i've and- mentioned it before there's like two i think there's two different curves there's a curve as far as severe symptoms and there's a curve as far as death on the on the and, death end and, and i totally agree with you drop i i what everything you've said i i think is 100% true but i know for myself i speak for myself i've gotten the flu in the past that i've been completely decimated for 2 days where I'm in my bed, I'm shivering, I'm sweating, I feel like I'm going to die, but I never really think I was going to die. Well, that, I knew different. I had the flu that's and it was going to pass. This, this but, is I, but I was ruined. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't not be hot. I could not be cold. You know, I mean, I was fucking – and now if I had this right now, if I had that same element right now, I would – now, because it's the coronavirus, in quotes, I would feel like I was going to die. No, I agree. There's a psychological you know element saying? to it. Mentally, no, there, there, I would be like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm dying. There I'm is dying. Take me to the hospital because now I'm under the coronavirus thing, not the flu thing. I'm dying." No, I understand I that. I understand there's a psychological element to wow. This exactly. is some, this is a lot there, more dangerous a for mania me. To it, this is, it does, but but there also it, it is much worse than the flu. And the thing is, people, a lot of people are picturing, okay, I'm going to feel like what I felt like for my worst flus. Like, I had a terrible flu. how is fl- it worse, Struff? How is it worse? Oh, there's, there's a lot of ways it's worse. First Tell of all, the, 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 the pain you're going to have is... The pain? The pain is my, worse. My, my flu? Trust me, it's I'm, worse. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm dying. No, it's, it's, it's worse. It's more severe. And the, the, the fatigue is more than you've ever felt to where if you... that, that, that People... I, I know someone who has it, who had it uh, recently... Uh, this is a female who is uh, 47, I believe, and she she's a she's a sister of a, of a childhood friend. She was unable, and this is a very like good and dedicated mom. She's a very responsible woman. This is not just some woman who's just going to use this as an opportunity to be away from her family or or, or get a break. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. So so she she for several days could not make it down the stairs. Not up, forget up the stairs. She couldn't make it down the stairs even once to 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 do anything she couldn't like she and i heard other people saying this they they lack the energy to even go down the stairs rough to be honest and i, I i'm not a, a rebel rouser but in my worst flu symptoms i couldn't do anything either i couldn't get out of bed okay well no i've had where i can't get out of bed but not to where i could like if if i really had to i couldn't get up and go down the stairs i just feel like i don't want to and it feels like i, I just want to stay there uh, I, I had a bad flu in 2005. I, I actually caught it from – this was so – I don't know if I've talked about this before, but this guy who went as online champ, 
Um, oh God! Who he's? Uh, he, <laughs> he had said he wanted to meet me. Just, just to meet hey. me. This is before I, had, I, I hadn't won a bracelet or anything. I was just the Dan Druff online. He's in. He so I got Jesus. So, so online champ wanted to meet me. I was in Vegas. Uh, I had just got my place there, um, and uh, I was there for New Year's for the first time. And uh, he, shortly after New Year's, he wanted to meet me. So he came down while I was playing Bellagio and was railing me. And then he's, oh, sorry, I didn't come down when I said I did. I felt like shit. I'm like, okay. So I just pictured maybe he drank too much or whatever. No, uh, later I, I learned that what he meant by he felt like shit is that he had a bad flu. He had flu. Corona 17. Yeah, he had, he had Corona 05. So he, <laughs> so he had he had a really bad flu and didn't tell me and forced himself to come down. Then he even had me drive him to a strip club. I'm, I'm shocked he wanted to go. But I, I, I didn't go in. I dropped him off at the strip club. I, don't, I guess he didn't have a car or something. He, he wasn't from Vegas. He was visiting Vegas for New Year's. So anyway, I, I caught it from him. And I was unable to drive. I was going to go back with my girlfriend who, who still lived in L.A., uh, my then girlfriend, we were going to go back and uh, and drive back. I start driving back and I start. I'm feeling weird at the beginning of the drive. Within 90 miles at Baker, I pulled over at in front of like that one of the like I think it was that Greek place. I pulled over oh, yeah. and, and I said, I can't continue. I had told her I was feeling worse. I said, I can't continue. I I feel so lousy, so fatigued, so sick. I actually cannot continue this drive. And so I said, you have to take over. So she drove the rest. By the time we got back, I was struggling to get out of the car and get into bed. And for the next three days, I was in bed. That was probably the worst flu I ever had. Did uh, she get sick? Uh, no, somehow she didn't get sick, amazingly. But, uh, See, isn't that amazing? Well, but, it's but like, the flu is no it, rhyme or reason. The, the flu is actually less contagious than the coronavirus, sadly. But, but uh, so, she, so anyway, I, she didn't get sick. She was lucky. But I was, and I was stuck at her her apartment there too. And I, I there was no way I could leave. There, the, I live. Uh, I had another place in, in L.A. I could, I could stay at, but I was uh, that was nowhere near there where she lived. So I, w- I was stuck there, and uh, I just had to sit there for three days uh, recovering. But uh, I think it was three full days, and like the fourth day, I was mostly better. But anyway, the point is that that's like it's easy to say. Oh, I bet the coronavirus will be like that. I'll be knocked out. I won't be able to do anything for three days. I'll have no energy. I'll have pain. I'll have fatigue. I may throw up. Like, like, like I, I, I could picture it was that. But I know it's going to be worse because one thing I didn't have was I didn't have any breathing problems, uh, and uh, and I and it didn't cause me any permanent damage. And and it's uh and and so it's not just the now it's true I didn't fear I was going to die I never felt like I was going to die I thought okay it's going to be some days it'll get better maybe it'll be a week maybe four days maybe three days but but like I knew over the not too far horizon I was going to be better and I was and there was no permanent damage from it as you would well expect. the permanent damage is the straight flush you know it's like some people are going to get it but you probably won't no that's not necessarily true if you get the severe symptoms it's thought that you that there's a decent chance you'll get it that's what's scaring me there's a there's a few things that are scaring me I, it, it's the permanent damage it's the fear at one point that it's getting so bad that I'm going to be one of the people who dies and and, and then the and you know, if you can look at the future and see you won't, that'd be great. But you can't. And then there's the third thing, which is unique to me and some other people, but I think especially to me, is I'm one of the rare people who had who dealt with a chemical related, not a situational related, but chemical related severe bout of anxiety and depression that was about as severe as it can get. 
and was debilitating and was terrible in the worst period of my life, especially the, the worst six weeks of it was just awful. I mean, the worst thing I've ever dealt with by a wide margin. And that I got out of it, and it's 90 to 95% gone for good, or I hope for good, and that I'm not on any long-term medication for it. I'm not. I, there's nothing I have to – so I, I – I, I actually beat it without having to be on any long-term medication, and it's 90, 95% gone, despite it being very severe and 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 chemical, not related to any uh, um, any incident in my life that I just got over. So that's it's not like I got a depression because this, you know, my girlfriend left me. This was nothing had happened. It was a chemical-related thing, and and I, I've beat just about all of it and without long any long-term medication. That's a very unusual situation. I'm, I'm thankful. But what also lurks, and I can feel it lurking in me, is that there's still that 5 to 10% of it that remains that doesn't interfere with my day-to-day life. But that if something like this comes and I have even a little bit of breathing problems, it's going to come right back, and it, it may never go away again. That uh, um, You want to talk about drawing the straight flush. I may have drawn the straight flush to get rid of this. <laughs> and, and, uh, and 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 so I have this this big fear that this can come back, and I know that's not the typical person. I know this is to me, but this is why I've been putting so much effort to avoid it, and I'm hoping I can just outlast this and, until there's there's a vaccine. And, and well, that's and, what I'm doing for my parents too. Yeah. And, and so and right and, and old people they're they're avoiding exactly. this with even a more a, a more dire thing that uh, that they'll die from it. So, uh, so, so anyway, the 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 thing with with uh, with a Kawasaki disease, going back to just to finish up what I'm saying, is the good thing is that since if you act on it quickly, then your kid's not going to die, it looks like. And that's a lot different than if you get it, you may just be one of the unlucky few who dies. And that's that's a lot more disturbing to think about for your kid that maybe my kid will just uh, get unlucky, get it, and then I'm just helpless and, and he's going to die and that's it. And like that's, that's really, really depressing to think about, even if it's less likely to happen to you than the flu. So that's, that's why uh, – and, and you know what? Now that you've, I never thought about it like, compared to the flu, but now that you're saying it, I will be thinking about this with Benjamin. Uh, I already made myself feel better by reading that if you jump on it, then, then – you're, you're pretty, your kid's probably going to be pretty well off from it anyway. They'll probably be able to get over it without major problems, even if they're one of the unlucky few that gets this Kawasaki disease. But uh, but second, that really the, the, the flu's been here the whole time. I mean, that's always, that's always been lurking as something that has an outside chance of killing your child. And I have, like, I've just kind of lived with it and said, okay, that's, that's just, uh, he gets his flu shot every year and... Uh, I know it's not 100%, but and I know it's not like massive kids dying, so I just uh, – it's just something I, I kind of live with that's, that's unlikely but possible. And, and that's true. If, if it's more likely than this, then that's more to worry about than uh, – unlike for me where it's more likely I'd die of COVID-19 than the flu, uh, for him it would be more likely he'd die of the flu than COVID-19, and that's important to keep in mind. So that's that's something parents should take away from this as well. If, if you haven't been panicking about the flu, you shouldn't panic about this for your kid. Okay, I, I want to talk about uh, contact tracing, and uh, this is an obsession that I've seen in recent weeks. There's even uh, House Bill 6666, which is probably appropriate. Can you imagine House Bill 6666? But that's the House Bill 6666 in Congress is uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, Tracing Act. 
and it's it's to allocate a hundred billion dollars for for uh, mobile testing and for contact tracing. And there's been a, so much talk about contact tracing in the past week, and I'm getting sick of it. And it's so stupid and it's so foolish. And I, I will get to a little bit after this segment some stupid things that I'm hearing from a lot of people on the right. But uh, for all the dumb behavior I'm seeing from some people on the right about this, the contact tracing is the left version of the dumb behavior because it's mainly people on the left who are obsessed with the contact tracing and it's pure delusion. And I'm not saying this from a political standpoint because I've been criticizing both sides with this, but this, this is one that's aimed at the left because this is what they've been obsessed with. Contact tracing will not work at this point. It may, it may have been a good idea at the very beginning. This, in fact, would have been a, a, a really smart idea at the very beginning. If we could go back and we couldn't the, – the smartest thing if we could go back is just prevent anyone traveling here from Wuhan or from anywhere in, in China around that time. But okay. People had already traveled here before we were even aware that this was a thing thanks to China lying about it. So that was going to happen no matter what. So, so the coronavirus is in this country. In late January, like around the time I quit going to commerce because of fear of this, that would be a good time to start with this. In late January, since we did not have very many verified cases, that would have been the time to contact trace where you identify who has it, test them. If they have it, then you move on to a very serious investigation of who they've been in contact with in the past seven days. Now, sometimes you may hit a dead end if they've been somewhere. Let's say they said, well, I just went to a concert this week. Well, then you're screwed. You're not going to, you're not going to figure that anything out from there. But, but to the best of your ability, and believe me, this takes a lot of resources, a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money for each person to do. So you can't just, you can't contact trace millions of people or anywhere close to that. But, but if there is a limited number of cases, you could spend a lot of resources to contact trace and f- kind of trace back where they got it from with the intent of grabbing all the people who had it, isolating them, and preventing this from spreading. That, that's what contact tracing is about from a public po- a policy standpoint in preventing the disease from spreading. There, there's two types of contact tracing. There's personal contact tracing where you're, you basically – figure out who you've been in contact with once you know you have it, so you warn them. And that's a smart thing to do. I'm not criticizing personal contact tracing. That's what I would do if I found I was positive for COVID-19. I would warn everybody that I've come in contact with, hey, you may want to watch for yourself and get yourself tested and may want to prevent being around anybody yourself because you may have it because you were by me during a time I think I might have been contagious. Okay, so that or, or even back contact tracing to figure out who you got it from. Okay, that's all fine if you want to do this for yourself and for others that you know. But public policy contact tracing, where the belief is if we do a lot of it, we can contact trace ourselves out of the problem, is absurd, foolish, and unrealistic. There is this weird fantasy I'm mostly seeing coming from the left that this is what we need to do. Instead of reopening everything, the smart thing to do, ramp up testing – and then spend an obscene amount of money contact tracing so we can trace down all the people who have it 
and isolate them and the disease will disappear. Isn't that a great idea? If only we didn't have over 100,000 new cases a day. That would be a fine idea. So you bring this up to someone who's advocating contact tracing as a way to get out of this. How do you contact trace 100,000 new cases a day? Or even if you want to say 25,000 a day. Let's say there really is only 25,000 a day. There's not, but let's say there is, there's 25,000 verified cases a day. But let's, let's even take that number. How do you contact trace 25,000 people per day? And they say, well, no, 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 no. We're social distancing. We gotta wait for the social distancing to take effect and to bring the number of cases down. And then we can contact trace and be rid of this. They go, well, first of all, we've been social distancing for almost two months and we still have the 25,000 a day. It's not going down. So that's the first problem. It's a, it's not going down as you were saying it would. Number two, how far down do you need to get it? So what if we go to 10,000? Can we contact trace 10,000 per day? No. What about uh, 5,000 per day? Can we do that? No. What about 1,000 new cases per day? Can we contact trace that? No. The truth is contact tracing is only going to work if the number of cases drops very, very low. The exact number, I don't know, but it has to be something so low to where you can focus on each individual and really go through everything they've done and track down everybody they could possibly have been in contact with. For example, let's say we were down to 10 new cases a day. Well, then we could spend the money for each of those 10 people to really go over everywhere they've been. So let's say they say, well, I've only been to the grocery store. Well, okay, then you would pull the data of everybody in that grocery store that same day and contact all of them and see and test all of them and see which ones of them have, have COVID-19. Jeff, do you really think this is – are you being serious right now? No, I'm do saying you if, think this is really possible? No, I'm, if there were 10 cases a day, it would be possible. Not with a, not with 1,000, not with 5,000, not with 10,000, not with 25,000, not with 100,000. And that's hey, where it's insane. Hey, hey, if there were 10 cases, it still wouldn't be possible. It's, it's, well, it's, it might be. If, if you really – because if they – if this was the way out of it, they could put tremendous resources in these 10 people per day really investigating them like, like the way you'd investigate a murder case but even, even with more I, vigor. But, but, the, but it has to be a very low number of people. One, once you get into the hundreds or thousands or – you, you can't. But the 10 people turn into – Hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands as quick as a blink of an eye. If, if, well, if in fact, it's is as contagious as we're led to believe. Well, they, well yes, that, that it, can, it can it can fail, and that's the other fallacy with it. But at least there, and they, South Korea did this, by the way, and, they, and they've kept the numbers pretty low. So there there is something to be said about contact tracing very early and jumping. You may not get every single one, but and that's why South Korea doesn't have zero cases, but they've they've kept it pretty low. And they jumped on this early, and credit to them for that. But uh, and there may be other factors keeping it low. Like for example, Australia doesn't seem like they've been particularly responsible, and they're just doing very well there with with barely new ca- new cases and very few deaths compared to the population. They're, they're they're doing incredibly well, and I think they just lucked into it. And there's been some theories on how, but uh, it doesn't seem to be the way they're handling it. It seems to be they've just kind of lucked into it. But uh, so maybe South Korea had that too. But but maybe it was because of the contact tracing that they did, and and the public buy-in to the social distancing along with that but that was early on we're past that that horse has left the stable there's no way Darn. to do that it's like you know it's it's like this it's like let's say you've determined you can prevent an infestation 
of ants in your house in the summer by spraying one of those borders around your house. You can buy those things at the hardware store that you, you spray a border around your house and ants don't like crossing it, and then you can prevent ant infestations. I've done that before. Sometimes it works. Uh, but let's. But I've also had it some summers where I just forget to do that, and then I find my house is infested with ants. Uh, obsessed with the ants, and some some years are worse than others. Just somewhere, some years the ants want to come in more than others. Uh, but but uh, let's say my house already has a ton of ants, and I think that there's a lot of ants probably living in my house, which there have been some summers, and it's very hard to see where they're living, and they're so tiny they can get into everything. Um, if I were to say, okay, I'm going to go buy this border thing and I'll spray this around my house, is that going to help me? Probably not. Why? Because the ants are living in my house and reproducing in my house, and and uh, as long as that's continuing, the, the border's not going to do very much. So, but but at least the border will stop new ants from coming in. The contact tracing is even worse than that plan. The contact tracing is something you cannot do once there's a massive spread of the disease. And and look, we're seeing twenty five thousand new cases a day. It's not going down. Even if it goes down a little bit, it would have to go down so exponentially for this to work, that it's something we're never going to reach. We're never going to see 10 cases a day from any social distancing measure. We just can't. It's not, it's not possible for America to operate in any way, shape, or form and end up with 10 cases per day. There's no, the only way we will see 10 cases per day is if we have a vaccine or if we eventually, after a long time, develop herd immunity. Otherwise, we're not going to we're not going to social distance ourselves to ten cases a day or even a hundred cases per day in this country. Will not happen. Contact tracing will not work to prevent this from spreading. So you might as well get that idea out of your head. If you want to contact trace personally to warn friends and warn others you've been in contact with, watch out. Get yourself tested. Stay away from people you may have it too. That's fine. That's responsible. But. You're not going to, from a public policy standpoint, you're not. We're not going to contact trace ourselves out of this. Now, why? Why would the left be pushing contact tracing when it's this absurd? Are, are they stupid? Some of them are, but not, not all of them are stupid. There's, there's some people on the left who are very smart who are pushing this. So why? Why would they push this? Because they they don't like the reopening thing. There's a lot of people on the left who who, who while there's some people on the right who have this. Uh, these weird obsessions that, that the whole thing was never more than the flu, that it's the whole thing's a, a conspiracy to beat Trump, and a, a lot of absurd ideas that I've seen from the right. Not all on the right, but I, like I'm on the right, I don't feel that. But uh, I've seen some on the right who said that. But I see some people on the left who are so against any kind of reopening that they – and then they're asked back, okay, well, we can't just stay closed forever or until there's a vaccine. So how are we going to get out of this? What, what is your plan? So this has been the answer. Oh, well, our plan is we'll just keep social distancing, bring the new cases down, and then once they get down low enough, we will contact trace, and we'll do away with it that way. And and, and they're convinced that's going to work. It's absurd. Contact tracing will not work. It does not work that way. Uh, look at the number of cases. They're not going down. You can't contact trace 25,000 a day. You can't even – even if we cut it in half, if we cut it by 90%, if we cut it by 99%. Seriously, we can cut this by 99% of new cases. We could change the 25,000 to 250 per day. We still can't contact trace well enough for 250 per day. So don't bother. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that, – that is not a way out of this one. It's absurd. And anyone who says contact tracing is something we need to do doesn't understand contact tracing. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's sad. And don't say, oh, well, such and such uh, 
credible uh, epidemiologist said this. They say a lot of things. It's, there's a lot of things that are said that, that don't really make a lot of sense, and this is one of them. This, this makes no logical sense, and if you think about it, it completely breaks down. If, if you can think of a way contact tracing, if, if you can think about how we can contact trace ourselves out of this, you let me know. Text me, 775-372-8355. I cannot, I've gone through it in my head. I cannot figure out how we can contact trace ourselves out of this one or contact trace and something else. Unless that's something else is a vaccine that's very effective, we can't contact trace ourselves out of this. Now, if we had a vaccine that's like 99 point something percent effective, then we can start contact tracing the few it's not effective with, and, and then that could work. But until then, and I don't think we'll ever have a vaccine that's that good, uh, we can't contact trace. And you might as well get that out of your head. It's not going to happen. If it does happen, it's a waste of time and money, and it's stupid. Now, as far as mobile testing units, I mean, sure. Uh, if you want to make testing more accessible, fine. But something to keep in mind is that the treatment for COVID-19 if you are verified to have it versus not verified to have it, are the exact same thing. And that is stay away from people and get bed rest. That's it. Hey, hey, bad guy, call in. We need to hear your take on this, wherever you are. <laughs> we know you're listening. He might be passed out. But, but it's <laughs> really the, it's the same thing. Sure. It's the same thing. Whether you, you're, No one's gotten a different uh, treatment because they've, tested positive for it versus testing negative for it. So, so that's something that you should know that, that okay, so you test someone positive. Now what? Well, uh, they stay away from people, but okay, but they're, they'd probably be doing that anyway if they have symptoms. If you wake up and you, you can't taste anything, you're probably not going to go meet up with people. At least I hope you're not. You'd be surprised. There, there's people who will, but I'm saying those people, they, they still will do the positive test. I think most people, they know they have it. They're either going to be assholes and keep uh, going out or they're going to uh, say the responsible thing to do is to stay away from everybody. You don't need a positive test uh, to do that. So so that's why testing at this point is not as important from that standpoint. The only the testing is more to see like how widespread is it in general, not for each individual. For each individual, testing is not that uh, useful uh, antibody testing, that is, but that, that's a whole different matter. But, but Druff, you of all people giving everyone the benefit of the doubt to be the better human than I think 80% of humanity, at least here in LA, are. Uh, I mean, I see people walking with no mask and standing in line I'll with tell no you mask. Why. Because and, you know, I mean, I don't think humanity is, is, is pertinent to the restrictions that we need to keep this thing like regulated. You well, know? okay, that's that's true, and especially a country like this where there's a lot of people who are obsessed with freedom and going against yes. the grain and not trusting it's, government, and that's a, and that's and this that's terrible, a, and that's something that uh, is just in the culture here, and you, you're not going to be able to change overnight, and that's why some countries uh, everybody buys in and does what the government says. Even even exactly. I'm, not, I'm not even talking about like China where you're afraid they're going to shoot you if you don't. I'm talking about ones like South Korea where, uh, where exactly uh, that you were you were saying. Uh, how did how did it, the numbers get so great? Well, they said if you go outside, you get arrested, plain and simple. Or, or just <laughs> stay inside, or get arrested. Or also, there's just some places where there people are just much more willing to trust the government, do what they say, even if there's not a fear of consequences. Uh, in this country, there's, there's always been kind of uh, a rebellious attitude and, and, and a 
uh, I'm going to do a lot of demons I'm going to do it around town. I'm going to do what I want. To yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. so, so there, that's, that's going to, that's just part of the culture here. And is, yeah, it's not going to work that well, but the people, the people going without masks, it's more of just delusional people who say, I, I'm, I feel healthy. I don't have it. I'm fine. And they just don't think about the fact that they will feel good for a few days. And and then they'll discover it. So, but if you For actually sure. are feeling it's stupid it, people, it's but I, stupid people. But I think if you are feeling it at that point, then people are going to say, "Okay, I have it." Uh, it's a different mindset of "I have it," but I'm still going to go out f them. Or, or well, that's or I, what changes from the criminal aspect of it to being just a complete moron aspect of well, it. Well, I know, but I'm saying that I think most people who think they have it will probably stay home. There's some who won't, but I think most will. But but you think they have it when you don't feel anything? No, I'm saying when, no, I'm saying when you feel. No. But I'm talking about the testing. Most people are going to get tested when they feel something. So at that point. You're going to probably stay away anyway, whether you come positive or negative. So, uh, or whether you're positive or you can't get a test. Okay, so it looks like a call is coming in here. Let's throw this on. Master Ken Scaler, Master welcome Ken to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. What happened? Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I had a problem with my computer. Oh, yeah, everybody, I want you guys to know this. Master Ken Scaler now actually has a computer at home for the first time in his life. Okay, so Ken, what's the problem with your computer? Is it something you can say publicly on the air? You got to plug it in. Uh, I it, can you overcharge it? No, you, you well, not, if you use the charger it came with, you cannot harm it by by charging it uh, as long. Okay, you, you can leave the charger, the charger on it. it came with. I had the computer on. I was too lazy. I never turned. I just I when I was done. With it, yeah, I had the computer on, so I had it on. A, I had it on the, the radio, and I just turned down the volume, and then I put in the charger, and I took a nap, and now I woke it up, and I see the lights on the side, but I can't turn on the screen, and I shouldn't even have to turn on the screen because I had it on and it was charging. Okay, I'll tell you what it probably did. It probably went into sleep mode. So, um, What's the, that? The sleep mode is where the computer is not being touched and it thinks you just walked away from it. So in order not to, uh, burn itself out, uh, and the, when I say burn itself out, I mean, it's, it's like whenever a computer is operating, it's like a person, it gets older and eventually it dies after, a, after a long time. So unlike a person, which can't just put a pause on its aging, a, a computer, the more it's used, the, the more it ages. So uh, uh, I, I got a question though. Kent said he used his computer. When he was done, he fell asleep, and then he woke Uh-oh. up to use it again. <laughs> What's he using this computer for? Well, I think we know some of it, but uh, well, exactly. I was, just, I was just reading all these, like, well, I was just looking at all these, you know, what I have certain websites that I like to check every day. Exactly. I have like national political websites, state political uh, websites, local political websites. What about what about porn sites? Site, radio you, uh, sites. I'm sure you've been to porn sites. sites. I'm sure you've been to porn sites by now. Porn sites that you, you none of that time you you just happen to go by you. I, I don't want to talk about that. Okay. I, exactly. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go on those sites because I didn't get antivirus. Oh, wait, you haven't gone on because you're afraid of the hey, virus. None of those sites put you to sleep when you're done with them. Yeah, that's a good point. But Ken, here, let, let, me tell you about, let me tell you about exactly. – we didn't say you weren't, but let me tell you about sleep mode, okay? So sleep mode, it's when you don't touch your computer but it's on. It, it puts itself to sleep to kind of preserve itself and also especially to preserve the screen because the screen, the longer it's on, the more that can get burnt out. Now, this is like a slow process. It's not like if your computer's fully on for a day, it's going to die. It's that it's just that it's harder on it to 
have itself on in, in, in full mode, both of the screen on and processing. So sleep mode so is the thing. I've like, I've used a computer before. I've had this for like a week and I would go to sleep and I'll just put it in the charger. Then I, then I would hit the, 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 the thing when I, when I woke up or whenever I needed it and it went right on. And this time it's just totally off. Okay. So let me, then I see the, the light things are on the side. Okay. So, so. that so that's makes it seem like to me, it is in a sleep mode. Maybe it didn't get in sleep mode for whatever reason before, but so let me, let me tell you uh, two ways out of it. Either try to move the mouse or the, or the mouse pad, wherever you have, whatever way you use the mouse on the computer, try to move yeah, that. It's not, it's not a separate mouse. It's the one that came with the computer. It's like a little black square at the okay, bottom. So, so if you, if you touch that square, black, if you I touch think. that square, does it come back on or not? You may have ejaculated well, in well, the, uh, on, hence send I'm calling mode. you. What? <laughs> well, I'm calling you. So I mean, I, I, I have all these political sites okay. I want to okay. check. And, Ken, uh, oh, I'm trying God. to give you, I'm trying to give you the help here. Uh, on my radio show, I'm giving you okay. technical support here, so you can go back to <laughs> so you can go back to youngcollegesluts.com. Okay, so I'm trying to help. <laughs> I don't exactly. do that. I don't do that. Kent, you've got your keys all stuck together. Well, I, 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 ben, I hope you. No. So, hold on, Ken. I hope okay, you're I'm not... moving the mouse and nothing's happening. <laughs> this is like dead. Okay. Okay. So, so, so then, now try typing on the keyboard. See if anything happens. Bad guy, please call in right now. Nothing. The, okay. the, the, the screen is still okay, off. Okay, so, so it, look, it looks off. like it, it, it's it, it's kind of stuck in sleep mode, and I've seen this happen before. So, Nez, here's the next thing you need to do: the power button. Oh God, I've got to go to a repair shop. No, you don't. I'm telling I'm telling you what to do. Hold down the power button for like uh, 15 seconds. Just hold it down. I think it's in the spot, the top right. It looks like a, a circle, but then there's like a big That's line at the yes, top. Yes, yes. You, you guys can tell how huh? computer literate Ken is. This guy, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he has his first computer at 50 years old in the year 2020. I'm not even kidding. So, so Ken, hold down that button. Don't, don't tell people my age. It's too late. Ken, just shake it really hard. <laughs> to hold down the button. For, <laughs> hold it down. That power button. I'm holding described. the power as we speak. Okay. I, I'm holding on the power okay. as we speak. I mean, I. Okay. I was like charging it every time I wasn't using okay, it. Okay, listen, just, listen. Like, I, 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 hold it down for 15 seconds and let it go. Okay. I'm still holding it down. Okay. Now, now I release that. Should I let it go? Yes, let it yeah. go. Now, ha- has anything gone off? Let it go now? Yes. Yeah, let it go. Let it go. Did anything happen? It, now, no, it's still it completely off. It, it, it still go. Go. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We, we, may, we may have some progress. You say completely off. So is, is that stuff flashing on the side or now nothing? Well, on the side, I see uh, the light. The light's not on the side anymore. Okay, on the side okay. good, 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 good. This is now, th- that's progress. Hit the power button again now. Right, turn it back right. on. Right, see, see, vintage one knows, and he's not even he's not even Indian. Okay, press the button. I'm not Indian, but I can be for the right price. Press the button for how long? Okay, that's I. I, I, I hang on, I, I've, I've got to change something here. All right, uh, Kent, this, uh, welcome to, <laughs> to technical support for for Google you Chrome. Must put the okay. button. Ken, uh, you need to now press the okay. button. You press the, the power okay, button normally. I, I pressed the I pressed the button again. And I see the light go on on the yeah. side. You're back, and, oh, buddy. Oh, now down the screen's going on Sync Chrome. It's Sync Chrome. Back. Okay, you got it. It's done. You're back. Okay, now Ken, let me tell well, you now what. Now it went black again. It's Sync Chrome. Oh no! Now no, it says it's my password. Back. I forgot yeah, my password. Back. Well, if you forgot your password, I can't help you. Yeah, there. I mean, we can't help you at that. Try, one. Try, I got to look it up. I got to try. Try. Here, I have an idea. I have an idea for the password. Type in. M A S T R B and the number eight. Yeah, exactly. Does that work? 
and then R. Uh, no, I gotta do, wait, do I do the password first or I have to find the, the my, my, you have my to know the password. Thing. I mean, I can't you know, put your social security. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have the password. Okay. I have the password. I can't say it. Okay. Well, type in the password and it should boot up and you should be fine. Now, let me tell you what we just did. What you did is you forced it off. And the way you forced it off is by holding down the power button for 15 seconds and letting it go. That, that, that knocks it out of this sleep mode, which you couldn't wake it from. Okay, so the the fifteen second power off that ju- that just knocks it completely off. Then you just press it to turn it on, and it comes back on normally. All you so that's all you have now to do. Enter if the star your password couldn't be verified. Please try again. Well, then you typed Take it wrong. You put the wrong one in. Chat. Keyboard layout. Okay, huh? you need to be typing it in that right when you type it in the right space for the password. You, you're watching it on the screen. This is getting t- torturous. Oh. Um. Yeah. Okay. I don't this know is what's on horrible after. radio, by the way. It is making horrible radio. I know it is horrible radio. Okay, I'm I, sorry. I, Ken, I, I can't help you that much anymore, but what you have to do is you have to click in that box where you type the password, type it in, make sure you type it carefully with the right capitals and the right lowercase, and then then click OK or whatever, and, and then it should load. If, if it says wrong password, then you're stuck in, until you can get them to give you the password again. Who's them? The company? Oh, Whoever gave oh, you the God. password. Hey, Kent, if you want to save the radio show, tell us what you were really doing when this computer froze. <laughs> I, I want, I want That's to go the only side. way you save the show. Otherwise, we're going to have to let now you go. Now to sign in help. Okay. I, I, oh, so let's talk about other stuff. Okay. I think Todd's advice on fixing the computer is better than the advice that you put chlorine in your veins to, like, get rid of coronavirus. Okay. Was it bleach, he said? I don't know. Well, I don't want to make it... Relevant. No, but the person who did this was actually probably trying to murder her husband. It probably just wouldn't. our president. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, okay. Ken, uh, Ken, Ken, how many porn sites have you been to since you've gotten this uh, computer? I'm not answering that. Be that, honest. It's got to be a lot. You have so many viruses. We're going to try to help you, buddy. <laughs> well, he asked me. He asked me. Uh, uh, you know, should I get antivirus? And I said, Well, yes. you should. But but I said I said Ken. In the meantime. As long as you don't install anything from these sites, if you go to a porn site and it says, you must install this special video player to see this content, you know, click here to install it. That's what you don't do. Like, you never install any video players. I don't think I did that. Yeah, never install anything. As long long as you don't install anything they want you to install, no matter how convincing they sound, then. uh, (laughs) But Kent, your password's changed. Yeah, the fact (laughs) that you don't know your password is bad. bad, uh, (laughs) That's someone else changing it. No, don't scare him. Now he's going to freak out. No, I think, I don't know what's going on with the password, but uh, you got to make sure it's the right thing and, and type it in the right place. And if it's just not working, you need to call call the cable company back and tell them that you can't get in with a password and have them help you. That's all. That's all I can do. I've, I've okay. got. I've got. I've, at least I've gotten it back on and uh, told you what to do with that. Exactly. Okay. So I, I have to. The company is not open till Monday. Okay. Well, try keep trying the password there that you were given and make sure you're typing it in the password box and clicking OK. And if and make sure you're typing the exact right lowercase and uppercase. And if you just can't, if it just won't go, you'll have to call them. I might have changed my. This is, a, this is signing trouble signing into a Google account. So what? what hey Google Kent, account? let me ask you a question Order. real quick. Vintage one here. Um, how stoked are you that the Starbucks reopened today? That's a good question. <laughs> oh, they reopened on Monday. Oh my! Look at you. Have you already been there? ahead of it? Well, it was, the they all reopened Monday. It was on the news. Well, maybe in another state, so it's different. But um. Am I stoked? I'm not a big Starbucks drinker. I, I mean, well, you know, I mean, the bathroom's I, okay. kind of nice. Yeah, I, I hear you have I, some experience I, I there. I, 
I don't really do that. I, 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 I have an apartment. Yes, yeah, I have an apartment. Wow. It is true he's not going out as much as he was, especially now that he has a computer. He probably hardly leaves. Have you left yeah. the house since you've gotten the computer? No, I leave a lot. I like. I'm trying to stay active. I don't want to get to be four hundred pounds. That's what I thought. So. On the go, Kent Scaler. Okay. Well, look, Ken, yeah. we know that when you're you're out and not that close to home, and there's a Starbucks available, we know you you stop by there. Uh. No, I think we know what that means. Okay. All right. So it's confirmed. Th- thank you, thank you, Ken. I, I hope. Shall, that... I, shall I click browse a guest? What about guest? Well, it says forgot your password. Start a guest browsing session if available. And yeah, you Google. Can go com. On guest. Yeah. yeah. If you forgot your your yeah, password, just be a guest. Just go as a guest. Yeah, go as a guest. Be your guest. Be our guest. Be our guest on my own computer. I can't imagine you have too much downloaded on there, so that would be fine. Put put our porn sites to the test. Do it. I don't. I don't care about porn, really. I really don't. I don't really. Oh, stop letting me do that. And that's a Can't, terrible. Radio, l- listen, so. go on to the guest site, right? Go on to the guest right now. Stop letting me go on All the right. guest. Okay, site. I, I, I've, I've had enough here. You've got to try to figure out the password. If you can't, you have to call them. I, we're we're stuck. Oh, so Todd, when will the radio? When will the radio show be over? Uh, not for a while. You have to call tomorrow if you want to talk to me. Um, if I. Send you a text. I need a phone number to something. Can you just text me the number while you're still doing the radio show? And I, 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 I don't. I have no I, idea. You sent me a. No, you don't need to call anything at three a.m. Huh? We don't need to call anything at three a.m. I'll, I'll do it after the show. I can't. I can't oh, believe you okay. have to make an urgent call. Um, through, I can't believe you have to make an urgent call at three a.m. to a business. I just don't believe. <laughs> I, I just don't believe that. Just not, I'm not going to stop the show to look up something for you that, at three a.m. I'm just not going to do it. But I, I will no, do it after. No, no. I'm saying while you're talking about while you're talking about when casinos reopen. No, and I, I'm not going to distract myself. Look, I'm not I'm not a four one one service here. I will I will look something up for you after the show. There's nothing you have to call at three a.m. that could be that urgent. I don't believe. Uh, it. Come on, Kent. That's okay. a true story. Yeah. So so okay. But you can okay. You, all you, right. You, you can you can text me and, and that's I mean it could be urgent, but I want to talk about no, it on the air. Okay. Well, you, you no can, way it could be you urgent. Can, you can text me if I think it's urgent. I'll send I'll send it to you. Oh, that's what I meant. I wasn't going to ask specifically. I don't want the whole. No, but I'm not prom- I'm, I'm not promising it. Last time you asked me to look something up, it was stupid. So I'm not I'm not going to. If it's only stupid, I'm not going to do it. What was it that I had you look up? What was it that some, I had you look up? I don't know. Some business gonorrhea hotline. Yeah, that, that would have been more worthwhile looking up but it's a, <laughs> it, it was something stupid that I, that i was even surprised you wanted to call so look you you can you can text me i will make my decision when you text me so anyway we're, we're going to move on here and uh continue with it with our show but thank okay, you for i'm calling sorry Cameron. i was i'm sorry i was lousy radio well, but i'm, 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 I'm glad i'm glad i got your computer turned on at least at least we've gotten that far it's turned on now. I just got to do the sign and help. It's rough. We got his computer turned on. Well, I, ca- I can't get you. All right. I appreciate it. Okay. I'm glad I'm glad something's turned on in this house. Uh, wow. Well, once once you get that password going, I think you'll have two things. So, okay. Oh, wait. I'm not. What? Ew. What? You ill. What, what's you ew? That. Why is it ew about yourself? How's it ew oh, Wait, wait. That's me. Never mind. Yeah. How's I'm that? sorry. I was thinking of me as a third person, not me as me. I no, separated I, myself. No, for, for me thinking about it, it's ew. For you, it should be fine. I'm throwing up. Okay, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm careful and sturdy. All right. Oh, th- 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 thank you, Ken. Goodbye. He thought he thought he blew out his computer by charging it when it was past one hundred percent. Can you imagine? Like, if, <laughs> oh, imagine if computers work like that. If you charge past one hundred percent, it just blows out. We wouldn't have the any computers. Computer left. next to me would be fucking flaming right uh, now. I, I think every <laughs> every computer in the world would be broken by now. Yeah. Okay. Ken isn't exactly uh, technology literate. As really? You, as as you might have been able to guess here. What would make you say that? 
I would think he'd be better at this by now because he's been going like to the library and to other places to use their computers. He finally gets one at home and he acts like he's never touched one before. Nah. Like I didn't think he was good with computers, but I, I, I didn't think like this. I, I like he he was amazed that holding down the power button to make it go off and, and pressing the button again to turn it on was was uh, like magic. He's, he was like, "Oh man, I'm not seeing the lights on the side." I'm like, no, no, Ken, that's good. That means it, it, it's that's a good thing. It, 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 and it, now hit it again, yeah, and they're going to turn the magic lights are going to turn on again. <laughs> this actually does happen to my computer sometimes, where it will go in this weird sleep mode. Oh, and yeah. can't get it out of, and you I'm, can't get it out of yeah, it unless so you, you just, power it down. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Okay, so uh, moving on here. The case for a reasonable reopening. We have to take a look and say the main point for the shutdown was to make sure the medical system does not get overwhelmed. And and most people agree that has been accomplished. Most people agree. Well, it's at 50%. Most most hospitals right now are at 50% capacity, less than normal. Yeah, when, when streets are open. Everything's open. Well, and because people aren't allowed to go in for for elective surgery, which, exactly. which they should exactly. they should be now. Exactly. They, they, that needs to be reversed immediately. I don't know why they haven't done that yet. So they they need to allow elective surgery, and and also people need to stop being afraid to go in. There's been people who are dying because they're afraid to go in when they have something else unrelated to the corona, and they know it's unrelated to the corona. They're afraid to go in because they go well. I, I might get corona. I might get corona, so I'd rather take my chance and just stay home and then something kills them. <laughs> so that's that's not smart. If you think if you think there's something you would go to the hospital for normally, you should just go and not be afraid of the, getting corona there because I, I guarantee your chance of dying from whatever it is you think you have, the, unless you're a hypochondriac. But if you if you go to the hospital sensibly for when you really feel there's a need to, uh, you really should go. If if there is uh, something you need, you would have otherwise gone for, because otherwise there's a good chance it will kill you and uh, or or damage you badly. Much more, much higher chance of that than the corona getting you at the hospital. The medical system, there's not that fear anymore like there was uh, two months ago that everything's you know overwhelmed and and people are going to needlessly die because they can't be treated. There's not enough beds for them, not enough ventilators. Now it turns out the ventilators, which were seen as uh, this great need, it it's been learned that not only are they very damaging to you, but 90% of the people who get put on them die anyway. So, so that's, uh, they're, they're also not very effective. So that's, uh, that Yay! If, if you need a vent, if you need a ventilator, you're, you're, you're pretty much screwed. You're, you pretty much can kiss your ass goodbye. The, the whole concern about the ventilators and about the hospital bed space, that is pretty much out the window now. And we can feel comfortable that if you need to go to the hospital, you can, but we have to, Look at the reason we did the shutdown, which was to make sure that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. Now that we know that, now that uh, the capacity has been increased, now we can say, okay, now we have to look, is a treatment or vaccine forthcoming really soon? Answer, no. So what must we do? Well, what we must do is we have to reopen, but in a smart fashion, and that, that and, and also in a careful fashion where we see the results of what we've changed. I think that we what we need is this middle ground. We need this middle ground where we can open things. We don't just throw everything open, but we reopen things and check how things are going. And then if that works, try the next phase. If that works, try the next phase. And, and don't take too long between them. And also look at maybe focusing on, on the safer people to return, such as the people under 35, and encourage them to, to come back 
and do things if they want. Not force them, not say that you have to, but uh, but be honest. Say, hey, look, those under 35, you're not under – there's not much danger for you as long as you don't have pre-existing conditions. So if you'd like to return to come do things, go ahead. And uh, and if you want to have some measures in there that people stay apart more and you create more space and you, you see how that goes if you try that, then fine. But there has to be some kind of reopening plan, and you have to kind of work with it as it goes along. One thing we can't do is just leave everything closed for long periods of time. And what I'm not getting is why they are not doing things like reopening hospitals to elective surgeries. That's just going to cause people a lot of health problems down the road and deaths down the road by not doing these things. We're not just talking about cosmetic surgery. These are important surgeries, medically necessary surgeries people are putting off. Uh, let people go to the dentist again. That will also cause long-term problems, maybe not death, but long-term uh, dental problems for people. Uh, we, we need to start allowing people to return to a lot of things and take the risk if they wish to take the risk because apparently we're not bringing down the new cases to a low number. It's not going down, and we have the ability to treat people if the numbers spike up some. So. And even better than that, Truff, if we let this all continue, anybody with any kind of net worth, houses, stock, it's going to really hit us in in not too long. Right. We're, we're, we're going to feel the 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 pain of inflation and uh, yeah. real bad situations. So, I mean, it's great for people that are living paycheck to paycheck off of this right now. But for the people that have some fucking net worth, it's going to hurt us. It's well, going to hurt it, us it's bad. It's going to hurt everybody. It's the people who can't, who live paycheck to paycheck, if, if the government stops sending the money, they they have to go back to work to, to support yeah. themselves. And even the With ones getting the money from the lose. government, they may not be enough they're getting. And, and second, uh, and that can't go on for very long. It's going to simply run out of money. And, and, and people who have assets, yes, there, there could be hyperinflation or other major economic consequences, which will decimate people. And, and, and you don't want I mean, something like hyperinflation would be a disaster of epic proportions for the country to which it could take decades to recover from. People don't understand that you can't you can't have that. You, you have can't to just print money. Yeah, you, you have just to, can't print. You have to hundred trillion dollars that we never had, yeah. and it not affect the economy. You, you, so that that's you you have to understand that the. You can't ha- you can't bring on dire economic consequences beyond what we are already going to have, which there's no way around what we're already going to have. But you can't leave the process to worsen and worsen and worsen to the point where it will become something that's uncontrollable. So that's a, there, there, there's so there's two things to control. There's the disease itself and the economic impact. And and the disease itself is hard to control, but the economic impact you can control to some degree and it needs to be controlled and and uh, so that's that has to be considered and that can cause death and devastation worse than the disease itself and that has to be kept in mind as well. So th- this has to be done intelligently and as I've said the whole time, be honest with the data. Stop trying to manipulate the data to have people think what you want or make yeah. people act how you want. Just be honest. This is what we're dealing with. This is who's in the most danger. This is who's in moderate danger. This is who's a major danger. This this is what the consequences likely are if you get it when you're 45, when you're 35, when you're 25, when you're 75. Uh, make your own decision and and try to be responsible 
and and this is what we're letting you do at this point, which would be a lot more than you currently can do. And if you want to take the risk, take the risk. If you don't, then you don't. And 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 you also have to stop living under the delusion that that somehow by everybody being forced to avoid it, that we can just eventually contact trace ourselves out of it. We can't. So that that's that is a case for what I call a reasonable reopening. And that's 100%. that's a lot different than than denying that it's any worse than the flu. A lot different than saying this is a conspiracy in some way. Or it's a lot different than that. It's just being sensible about it, and also sure. letting letting adults decide for themselves what the best thing for them to do uh, going forward, and and uh, what risks they're willing to take. And in some cases, uh, some people will have to take more risks, like people who. Run, have to go to work to, to continue making a living and others who, who say I've got money saved up, I'm willing to ride this out and I'm not going to go to work and I'm just going to stay away from it. They can choose that too if they have the ability. Uh, everybody needs to make the right choice for themselves and, right. uh, and, and and we're way past the point where we say, okay, if everybody stays away from each other, this will go away. It, it can't and it right. won't. So that's, that's something to know. And, and, and looking at the numbers that we've seen for, for eight weeks now should should verify that if you Exactly. Are, are exactly. Okay. I, I want to talk about. Okay. Just real quick. Yeah. Because I got to tap out. We're at okay. 3 a.m. But I just want to say one thing real quick. Um, we, we made that, uh, plea to our guy, our, our scammer guy or potential scammer that we would put his name on a refrigerator or his, his website or whatever if he came on the show. Obviously we haven't heard from him. On a refrigerator in a major, we, in a major TV show. That's, that's the, on a major network TV show. Yes. We still haven't heard from him. And if you're listening, that offer is still out there. But we did get a little interest from TMMLK saying he wanted his name and website on it. And TMMLK, I I feel like if you could produce something on this website that has some relevance that Druff feels is pertinent to that kind of exposure, then I would be willing to with with Druff's acceptance of it give you – an avenue to put something on a team, but it, uh, we're not just going to give it to you. Druff, you know that. That's amazing. He, That's the best offer he's ever had. This I'm going to, I'm wow. going to put the, the olive branch out to him because he's been a really great, I think a great member. I mean, as sick as he is, he's still such great content and I'm willing to give him a chance to hit network level. Wow. So I can't believe he has this offer. See, team MLK, he lives this, this, uh, Quiet life there in in the Toronto area. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I think I think he's Asian or at least half Asian, but he won't admit it. And he's got. We've talked to some girlfriend he had. I don't know if he's still with her, but he, he's he's got a woman who who uh, is definitely Asian and and doesn't speak very good English. But uh, um, you know, he he lives kind of a quiet life. I think he had he visited Vegas once in his life. Uh, he claims he tried to meet up with me, but that's a lie. He never did. I definitely would have done it. He he didn't contact me. Uh, I, I think he may be afraid to meet me for whatever reason. But look, Team MLK, uh, this is something to break out of that yeah. uh, sheltered lifestyle. The sheltered and, life, and, and and you could actually point out to your uh, Canadian friends and and uh, your girlfriend if still with her. You could say, "Look, I'm a somebody. I, I something I wanted to put on a refrigerator on a major TV network is there." Because something I chose. Hold it, drop. Hold it. Even better than that, maybe we should make this a uh, site-wide 
contest. <laughs> let's let's build a, a a little network here on the the best content that affects us the most wins this and there's a guaranteed winner. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, to... It's like we're not just it's not maybe someone wins. We will crown a winner. You will see, but someone's got to come up with something amazing. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to come up with something for this. This is a, right. this is Let, a great let's contest. Let's figure this here. out. Yeah. But we'll just throw it out there. We're going to put something together. TMMLK, you're the front runner, but <laughs> You're not a lock. That's that's a very We're, good offer. Well, thank thank you, Vintage right? One. Uh, ho- hopefully, we'll we'll see a show produced sometime uh, in, in the medium right, term. But we will but, eventually. Yeah. So when it happens, I can guarantee it. So let's start to build a little action here. Somebody build a thread on the the site and let's go. Let's 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 see some of your creativity. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, that's that's a very generous offer and. Uh, uh, we will see where this goes. We'll have to come up with some yeah. kind of contest for this. And TMLK, yeah, definitely you should try to uh, – you, you're the one who's the favorite at the moment. Uh, he, he really wants to help 100% you, favorite. Yeah. Okay. It, well. It's yours to lose, TMLK. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it's it's almost 3 a.m. My yes, wife's asleep. I got I, I to tap out. I mean, I don't think uh, Trader Ruski's here anymore. I mean, how could he? He hasn't said – Three words all episode. No, no, we lost him a long time ago. Oh, okay. He's but God, gone. I love that guy. He's he's solid. No, he's, he's a great guy. I love Trader Ruski. The best. He was, the he best. was here when I when I talked to him. I, I remember when I, I had the, the, the probably one of my worst days uh, with this that anxiety, and I was my head was just the the tension in my brain is something I can't even describe. And I, I was like going crazy. I actually walked out of the house and I'm like. Like maybe outside will calm me down. No, maybe it didn't calm me down. It was just just as bad. And it's like, I, I think I was texting. I just like started furiously texting people at Trader Ruski. He's like, oh, you, <laughs> yeah. would you like to call and talk? Or like, and like I'm thinking, no, I don't think. Like, no, actually, yeah. So I called him up, and it was very uh, comforting. Oh yeah, he he's very comforting. He's yeah. been he's been more than comforting to me more than five times. <laughs> But he's a good dude, and and you know what? You're a good dude, and and the and the whole that this whole protecting the poker community, everyone's good. This is a good thing, and Druff, you, you do a good thing. It's not easy to do this every week, and everyone listening in the archives and listening live should give Druff a little respect for what he does. It's not easy to do this, and it's it it, it it's work. To protect you guys and to protect me, and I speak for myself. I appreciate you, and you guys better appreciate him equally because it, it's a battle, or we lose without people like Druff. So that's it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you know that. It. You I know appreciate it. that uh, vintage one, and thank you for for your uh, co-hosting of the show since you've had more time. You know what, man? I love it. I, I'll do it every time I have any. Any chance to? Because I love poker. That's great. More so than all, anything. All we, all we got to do is all we got to do. I is love get, the integrity of poker too. Yes, and and all we have to do is get Vintage One on the line. See, some weeks that's a challenge. Some weeks, we, we just, <laughs> some weeks we don't reach him. We just never find him. He's just he's just missing. But we got. Hey, I'm elusive week. sometimes. But. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. We'll we'll uh, have you on again. And uh, thank no, you very much. I'll and see I, you next I will week. finish this on my own. So good night. You got it, buddy. You're. I'm sure you'll handle it fine. TMLK. Come on, step up, kid. And bad guy, I'm disappointed you didn't call in tonight. Peace out, my man. All right, good night. 
So some of you may be wondering, what does Master Scaler want? What was his number he urgently needed to call at 3 a.m.? Now, he didn't want me saying it, so I'm not going to say it. I know you guys want to know, but I, I, I can't betray Master Scaler's trust. However, I, I will tell you it makes no sense why he needs this right now. Like, I would understand if he'd want me to look this up and give it to him by the end of the show, but this is something he can't uh, really call up right now. And even if he could, it's not urgent right now. I, I don't understand why he wanted me to do this during the show. And I see, I, I even offered like if this is something that seems like it's uh, needs a call right now, like if it was some person he really needs to talk to at three a.m. for some reason, that I would do it for him. But uh, this this it's not a person, and it's nothing he needs to reach right at this moment. So it's very dumb. Okay, what's also very dumb is the fact that I have not gone to the bathroom or taken a break yet, and we've been on for. Uh, Oh, about six hours. So I should do that. Still have four coronavirus topics and three regular topics. We have so much left to do, and it's been so long, and I thought this wouldn't be as long of a show because we didn't have a super long segment that was in mind like last week when we have the Kevin Davis uh, segment. I knew that would take a long time. This week, we didn't have a long segment, and somehow just things just, just kept going. So I'm going to take a break, as I've been doing here. I'm going to play you the uh, Eric Benzamokin ad. So I will be right back. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew. And it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. 
Okay, we're going to continue with the rest of our coronavirus topics, and we've got three more topics, and then the show will be over. We actually, you know, we have four coronavirus topics. So I guess we have a while to go here. Okay, so I want to talk about the dumb conspiracy theories. And it's important that even if you are on the right, and even if you're very much for a reopening, and even if you think the coronavirus has been exaggerated by the media and by uh, democratic politicians, it's important that you don't lose sight of reality and that you don't fall for conspiracy theories that will, what you think, help strengthen your point, but in reality makes you look like you're a crazy person. So you can, you can make the case to reopen. You can make the case that uh, you don't think the death numbers are correct or that uh, the government's telling us the truth about everything or that uh, the media hasn't treated Donald Trump fairly. You can make those cases without stating any of the stuff that goes into conspiracy theory territory. And there's a difference between a distrust of certain things the government's telling you and being a conspiracy theory believer. Like you've heard on this show the last few weeks, I say, I don't think the government's telling us this. I don't think they're telling us that. I think they're lying to us about this because they want us to do that. I, I say this, and I don't say this in a conspiratorial way. I say I came to this conclusion from looking at the numbers or looking at what we're not being told, which doesn't make any sense. Or looking at the fact that at one point they said that we shouldn't wear masks and it's dangerous to wear masks and abruptly changed that to, yes, we should, and we only told you that because we wanted to keep the masks for the healthcare workers. Like, I have reasons for what I say that are grounded in reality and logic. And you have to be careful that you don't jump from there to conspiracy theories that just back your point of view. So I want to talk about a few of these conspiracy theories. I'm not going to give them all a lot of time, but just mention a few and just tell you why it's stupid. Okay. First of all, 5G. I never understood this 5G obsession. (laughs) We didn't get this obsession about 3G and 4G, but for some reason, 5G is really riling people up. And there were already complaints about 5G before the coronavirus. Uh, some weird theory that 5G started, I don't even know how, I never researched it too much, but some weird theory started that, that 5G was, uh, there's something evil about it, and these are actually meant to, to give us a disease or give us cancer. And, and so there's been people who are anti any expansion of our uh, cell network to 5G with the belief that it's being expanded for evil purposes. And then once the coronavirus got going, then people started saying that, that 5G, it's actually giving us the coronavirus. And that's what we really need to watch out for. That this is the start of it all. I guess it kind of fits in if you thought that they're putting up these 5G antennas to give people some kind of disease and then a disease we've never seen before that's really bad shows up. Uh, I guess it's easy to jump and say, oh, well, that's the 5G antennas doing it to us. And in fact, they were put up for that purpose. It wasn't just an accidental side effect. They're actually being put up for that purpose, and and here they are. And that's what they're doing. But but it's absurdity. And if you Google about 5G and and read from 
Uh, if you read from sources that are credible, you'll see that this is all easily debunked. And that usually something like this, it's exactly what it appears to be. Um, there can be some cases made for certain government conspiracies. I'm not saying the government is always honest with you. I've said, in fact, recently that they're not honest with you sometimes. If they want you to behave a certain way or they're afraid certain information will tell you that they tell you will make you do things they don't want or think things they don't want. OK, and, and I've seen that. And I've seen the media do it. But in the grand scheme of things, these are not major, major elements that change everything. Okay, so like, I, I don't believe for a second that this was a disease put out here on purpose, that the government's doing this on purpose to change something, and that they're doing this through 5G antennas. It, it's insane. That, that that stuff doesn't happen. What will happen is where uh, we're told something that isn't true for what's deemed to be our own good or the country's good. That happens. What does not happen is they put up uh, antennas to give you a disease. The science of the whole thing doesn't make sense either. <laughs> so so if, if you're a believer that the 5G is something evil and that it's responsible for the coronavirus, then you're believing in a very insane theory. And if you are propagating this anywhere, you're looking like a fool to most people and you should stop. And... Regardless of your views on everything else related to the coronavirus, you can still hold those views without venturing into this territory. So I have to tell you, seriously look into it and stop, because that's that's not what's happening. If I thought it was happening, I would say so. But no chance. There's no chance that that's happening. Similarly, let's look at Bill Gates. Now, there's some things Bill Gates says that I don't agree with. And um, Bill Gates has been a little too pro-World Health Organization for my taste, a little too pro-China for my taste. So it's not like I've agreed with everything Bill Gates said, but uh, he's not responsible for this in any way, shape, or form, nor does he have some kind of evil plan to inject everybody with a vaccine which is the current conspiracy theory that this is uh, this is all being done on purpose and then this way everybody is forced to take a vaccine that allows him and other evil forces to control them. That is not happening. Bill Gates is someone who, regardless of what you think of whatever political views he holds or even what you think of Microsoft itself, Bill Gates is someone who obviously is one of the richest men in the world. He was the richest man for a while. And he wasn't satisfied just having accomplished that. And he did accomplish something beyond just being rich. He actually became rich while bringing something very valuable to people. And that was, uh, he, he's, he brought, uh, the PC in the way we know it. To people that probably would have come eventually, but but he brought it sooner and and in a way that uh, was very user friendly and uh, and good for business at the same time. He he, he brought uh, a usable computer experience uh, to the masses in the eighties, and then continued to expand upon that. 
And, uh, yeah, I've had my criticisms of Windows and of Microsoft taking over things and ruining them, like Skype. So I'm definitely not a huge Microsoft fan. But, uh, look, there, there were a number of computers out there that had nothing to do with Bill Gates around that same time, and the PCs became dominant. And that was uh, somewhat in part to uh, what Bill Gates did. Now, some people have criticized him that uh, MS-DOS is a ripoff of the CPM operating system, which in turn was a ripoff of the Xerox operating system, which is all true. But the bottom line is that uh, he was the one who got it uh, put in PCs and really helped the PC revolution take off. And just because there were computers around before that and computers that had nothing to do with uh, with Microsoft for a long time, and just because, you know, like things like Macs, uh, computers really took off in the 80s partially thanks to him. And... Uh, and then he eventually developed Windows, which, yes, I know is a ripoff of the Mac in some ways. So I, I'm, I'm aware that uh, a lot of the stuff he did was derivative of others. But, but the bottom line is that uh, he was the one who was best at uh, doing it in a way that was uh, commercially viable and uh, spread around to both the individual user and the business users and really – brought uh, computers to become a regular part of people's households. And so so he did contribute to society for sure. And uh, much like Steve Jobs, as much of a jerk as he was, uh, his revolution of smartphones, which were uh, far beyond the capability of other so-called smartphones prior to the iPhone, uh, that was something that was a huge leap for us. And we would have eventually gotten there, but again, got there earlier. And that was very revolutionary as well. But Bill Gates, he didn't feel complete with just that. And he didn't want to just give away to charity. He really wanted to try to use the billions that he had to change the world for the better. And, uh, and if you look at the charity work he's done and the, what he's supported, he, he really has done some very good things. So this is not an evil man. This wasn't all a front so he could uh, take over the world uh, with a uh, evil vaccine that, that people were tricked into taking because of a fake virus that, uh, that well, or at least a real virus that he released at, and then exaggerated its effects so then everyone would take the vaccine. I mean, it's crazy stuff. This is someone, if you look at their history has done a lot of good things and has tried to do a lot of good things. And he could have just stopped at making a lot of money and, and being powerful based upon the virtue of uh, of his money and the company he built and the influence it had. But he's done a lot of things to help the world. And, and he noticed that something the world didn't seem ready for was a pandemic. And he had talked about the danger of this, and that's what's, caused a lot of conspiracy theorists to say, ah, see, see, he's been setting us up for this. He's setting us up for the the long game here by telling us it's a danger. So then when it happens, people listen to him and say, oh, wow, Bill Gates predicted this whole thing, and then he can make us take the evil vaccine. It's, a, it's craziness. So Bill Gates 
I wouldn't say he's done a lot for this. Uh, he, he did predict it beforehand. If we listened to him, we would have been more ready when it first hit, and we would have been in less denial about it. Uh, we didn't, though, so it, that didn't end up being very helpful, though he tried. He did correctly predict that that is a big threat to humanity and to modern society that we have been ignoring. And it's true, we were ignoring it. We were a little bit arrogant, believing that medical science was so good that we would be able to stop any pandemic from being really problematic in the first world, and that turned out not to be true, as we see. And it should have been obvious, because we've never had a very good handle on viruses in general. Viruses still elude modern medicine to a large degree. So it's it's, it's not a big stretch to think about a virus that could be spreading very easily, deadly, and hard to uh, control or cure. The surprising thing about the coronavirus is the fact that it is both deadly and very contagious. That's a very unusual feature of it, which is why we don't see this very often. We may not see another one like this uh, for a very long time. But he was correct to predict that. Not exactly what happened, but he did say this is a big threat, and indeed it came to pass. And uh, that doesn't mean he knows everything about it. It doesn't mean everything he says we should do about it is gospel. It doesn't mean that uh, his praise of the World Health Organization is really well thought out. It doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes or say things that are questionable. But he's doing this really from a place of good and attempting to help. So he's not an evil man. And he... Really, for a very long time, he and his wife have have wanted to use their fortune to do good for the world. And that's that's not an act, and it's not a long con. So whether you like what Bill Gates is saying or his politics or whatever, it doesn't matter. He's definitely not some evil mastermind trying to inject you with a vaccine that he's been dreaming of his whole life that allows him to control you. That's not happening if you think that again then you're crazy. Now, what about the pandemic? You may have heard that thrown around in the past week or so. What is this pandemic, and is there anything to it? Well, the short answer is no. It's BS. It's stupid. And it's just another conspiracy theory. So, uh, you can just Put that out of your head. Uh, this was being pushed by a woman named uh, Judy Mik- Mikovits. And apparently she's had some bitterness for about 11 years. She wrote a research paper in 2009 that linked a condition called chronic fatigue syndrome to a retrovirus that came from mice. And... Uh, they, they haven't solved chronic fatigue fin- syndrome yet, by the way. It's still uh, something that is not well understood. So she thought that she solved it, and many believe that she had. But uh, in 2011, follow-up studies couldn't replicate her findings, and it also was found that uh, she come, came up with some inaccurate conclusions and had contamination of lab samples. That, that Basically, the whole thing was bunk, and uh, the whole thing fell apart. 
So she went from believing that she was going to go down as a historical figure in medicine to have solved this unsolvable chronic fatigue syndrome to someone who was just sloppy and, and came to an incorrect conclusion and looked like a fool. So she's been bitter ever since and has gone on to join the conspiracy community, really out of bitterness over what happened with the chronic fatigue syndrome solution that turned out not to be one. So she has released a film called Plandemic, and she has a claim that uh, doctors and experts shaping public policy involving the coronavirus have uh, silenced dissenting voices and misled everybody for sinister reasons. And that's different, by the way, than misleading people for what they believe to be helpful reasons, which I think is incorrect and shouldn't be done. But there's a huge difference between we're doing this for the public good and we're doing this for evil reasons to uh, gain in some way. I don't agree with either, but the latter is much worse and also much less likely to be occurring. She believes that wealthy people intentionally spread the coronavirus, so vaccination rates would go way up. She's also been claiming that wearing face masks is harmful. And all of her theories can be easily debunked. So this is nonsense, basically. It's it's a conspiracy theory nonsense. And even if you've watched that film and you believe that uh, it makes a good point, a lot of these things can seem to make a good point until they're really examined closely. So trust me, it does not. It falls apart under scrutiny and should not be taken seriously. So the pandemic is ridiculous, and it's really the result of a... It's the result of a bitter woman who thought that she had a career-changing moment that fell apart over 10 years ago. So don't put any stock in that. In fact, don't put any stock in so-called experts who seem to have credentials that would allow them to be ones who could give an expert opinion. Because there's a lot of doctors, there's a lot of scientists out there, and you know what? A certain percentage of them are quacks. Just because they've attained that degree, just because they've uh, worked in that field, that doesn't mean they're competent, and that doesn't mean they're not crazy, and that doesn't mean that they are not uh, massaging whatever their conclusions are to come to what they want to. There's a lot of bad doctors out there. There's a lot of bad scientists out there. When I say bad, I don't even mean like evil. I mean like incompetent or incorrect or insane. So you can't just say, oh, this doctor says this or this scientist says this. That doesn't mean anything. And you have to avoid taking the expert's word too seriously on any of this stuff. You should look for a consensus of experts, not one expert, not two experts. And even then, you should see if it stands up to common sense. So like the thing with contact tracing. It doesn't stand up to common sense, so no matter what experts say it, you, there, there's nothing that makes sense about it. Same thing with the masks. So the, it, it failed the common sense test the whole way. If masks don't protect you, then why are you trying to get them for healthcare workers so badly? They could never answer that. Turned out, why? They're lying. So anything that you, they say and, and, and just isn't explained in a coherent fashion that holds up to scrutiny, like simple scrutiny, it's probably not the truth. 
so especially when these experts are not experts that are part of a consensus but are experts that are claiming otherwise that uh, some kind of outrageous or conspiratorial claim that seems to be debunked everywhere else and fails the common sense test, you know that stuff's not true. And don't fall for it just because it happens to go along with your uh, political view of the situation. Way before the coronavirus started, I would read articles from the left and the right And I'd watch videos from the left and the right on the internet because I wanted to hear both sides before coming up with my own conclusion. And usually I came up with the conclusion that I more agreed with the right, sometimes much more. And that's just because that's my political persuasion. But I wanted to be sure I wasn't being fed crap. And sometimes I was. Sometimes I found that I was being fed crap or partially fed crap. Sometimes I still agree with the right, but I saw some of the, quote, facts being pushed were not true. So I always wanted to see both sides and then go, okay, well, how do I feel now? And that's important to do with this, too. Okay, now I want to move on and talk about our next coronavirus topic. And that is related to what I just talked about. In fact, related to the pandemic. Because if you try to find a video of the pandemic, it's going to be hard to, like on YouTube. It keeps being taken down. Uh, Yebsite made a return to Poker Fraud Alert and posted the, about the pandemic, and he's totally the type I would expect to be uh, watching the pandemic. But he posted it, and it disappeared. I didn't delete it, but the video disappeared. Well, the reason the video disappeared is because YouTube deleted it. And we have what's going on right now is uh, an attempt to prevent disinformation, which on the surface seems the correct thing to do but is actually not the correct thing to do. And in fact, is very dangerous and very bad, and you should not support it. So let me tell you what's going on and why I'm so against it. And again, you can tell I'm not a conspiracy guy, because I I just did a segment bashing the conspiracy theorists. But they have decided that that the matter with the coronavirus is such a serious matter, and that disinformation is very bad that we have to make sure that crazy stuff does not get out there that convinces people of the wrong things, which ends up uh, causing public health issues because people do irresponsible things based upon videos which spread information that people uh, believe to be true when it's not. So Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo deleted the pandemic video. A Vimeo spokesperson said that the company stands firm in keeping our platform safe from content that spreads harmful and misleading health information. The video in question has been removed for violating these policies. And this has been something that's been going on on social media. They are not allowing videos or any content that makes it seem like the coronavirus is not serious or that uh, is false and intending to mislead people, basically the definition of disinformation, which is uh, false information which is intended to mislead, especially for propaganda purposes. So this is their attempt to prevent disinformation. And it sounds very noble. 
instead of allowing crackpots to spread disinformation and get people to do dangerous and irresponsible things based upon that, why not just delete that stuff? Make it go away. And make sure only responsibly produced information is disseminated to the public. Make sure that uh, only good information on the coronavirus is dispensed to the public. It's a good idea, right? So, uh, in the days when uh, we were told not to wear masks, any videos saying that the government is lying and that you should wear a mask and that they're just telling you this because they think that telling you this falsehood will prevent you from taking a mask that could have otherwise gone to a healthcare worker and that you should wear a mask and not listen to them, well, that video would be deleted for disinformation according to that policy. But it turned out that video would have been correct. So they would have been deleting something that was actually true. So the problem with policies where, quote, disinformation is removed is disinformation is not always easy to discern as to uh, what is correct and what is incorrect. And what seems to be crazy at the moment could be the truth that you learn later. Now, this would seem to contradict what I just said, to not listen to the crazy conspiracy theories. But I'm just saying that's using common sense. I do feel the crazy conspiracy theories should be allowed to be disseminated. If people want to make videos about this stuff, they should be able to. If people want to say this stuff, they should be able to. And if they're incorrect, then there should be louder voices on the other side saying, no, this isn't true, and here's why, and this is why this person's a crackpot. That should also be out there. In fact, that uh, people should be encouraged to debunk this. But it should not be censored. And you may say, well, what's what's the harm in, in censoring crap like the pandemic, which clearly isn't true? What's the harm in censoring stuff about 5, 5G causing coronavirus or Bill Gates being involved in a conspiracy to inject people with vaccines and that, that he brought all this on? Obviously, this stuff isn't true. So what's wrong with removing it? What's wrong with removing it? is that you don't want social media platforms to be the arbiters of what information you are allowed to digest, information that you are allowed to see. Because it won't stop there. They'll just decide, well, we don't agree with this. We think that this point of view is false. It's disinformation, so we're not going to be allowed to be out there. In fact, stuff I've said on this show that I believe would probably be deleted from YouTube as disinformation, such as, I think they're purposely not being honest about the true risk to each age group. And I think they're doing that because they want the entire public's buy-in to social distancing. And they don't want the young people under 35 just going out and doing what they want because they're not in much danger, so they don't want to admit that. That could be considered disinformation. That could be considered propaganda. Because the government and the, quote, experts are saying one thing, and I'm saying another. So according to these social media policies, I would not be allowed to say this. And you may laugh and say, come on, that wouldn't be deleted. Yes, it would probably, because there have been channels that just mention the word coronavirus, and they get their their video deleted under that policy. Not even conspiracy channels, just, just ones discussing the coronavirus, some have become afraid to say the word coronavirus 
because the channel gets deleted or the video gets deleted. Because a lot of this is automated, by the way. And if somehow it erroneously flags you, it's gone. This has been happening. This really is censorship. People should always be allowed to put out an opposing point of view. It's similar to the concept of hate speech. On the surface, hate speech, and this is, of course, a totally different matter, but on the surface, hate speech seems like something that we should never allow. Why allow someone to go out and, and, and publish uh, epithets, of uh, racial epithets, uh, anti-homosexual epithets, whatever? Why should that be allowed on platforms? Why should people be able to do that? And it, it would be hard to find redeeming social value in that stuff. But then what if you take it a little bit further? What if you could call anything hate speech that speaks negatively in any way about any group that's classified as a victim group? Like, let's say you were to say, uh, uh, you were to be discussing why black people have a higher incarceration rate than white people, and you were to make the case that uh, black people per capita just commit a lot more violent crimes than white people do. Uh, that's true, by the way, by the numbers. There's reasons for it that are a very complex topic that we're not going to get into here, but but by the numbers, that's true. But some people would say that's hate speech and wouldn't allow that. Some people have simply said that uh, saying you're going to vote for Donald Trump or you support Donald Trump is hate speech because he's a hateful guy and a racist guy and a bigoted guy and, and therefore uh, it's hate speech. I'm not even kidding. I've been accused of hate speech many times on Facebook by people arguing with me there, and I never engage in actual hate speech. I never use racial epithets or uh, anti-homosexual epithets, anything like that, when, when I'm posting on Facebook. I, I don't do that, but, but yet there's been people calling me a purveyor of hate speech who simply disagree with me politically. Nor do I say anything like really outrageous or really controversial. I just disagree with them. So the problem, once you start censoring hate speech and coming up with excuses to censor hate speech, is that hate speech can keep being expanded to be any speech I disagree with. And pretty soon, one side is censoring the speech of the other side. And we should never have that. Every side should be allowed to speak out. Now, that doesn't mean every side should be able to disrupt or every side should be able to make threats. They shouldn't. But it does mean that anyone disseminating their point of view should be allowed to do so, even if it's controversial or offensive. Now, you may say, well, these private platforms don't have to allow this. YouTube's a privately owned company. Facebook's a privately owned company. How come they can't make their own rules? The problem is a lot of these have become so huge, so influential, and basically monopolies that they have become the new media. And while there are rules and have always been rules regarding what can be done on the, the public airwaves like television and radio – these have become more influential than television and radio. And just because certain private companies control them doesn't mean that there shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't be treated in a similar fashion. And there's also a matter of right and wrong. What they can do and what they should do are two different things. 
So if you want to say they should be able to do this that doesn't, and they can do it, that doesn't mean they should do it. And censoring any kind of speech is wrong because that leads to fascism. Fascism is not necessarily something from the right. Fascism does not have any political association. There's fascism from the left and there's fascism from the right. Fascism is simply the suppression of the other side from expressing their political opinions to where anyone who attempts to is prevented in some way, sometimes by force, sometimes through censorship, sometimes by both. And you never want a society where it starts to become correct become correct and right and just to censor dangerous opinions. That excuse has been used since way way before we were born to censor speech that was calling out the government for wrongdoing. That excuse has been, you can't hear this because it's too dangerous. It's hateful. It's going to incite violence. It's better you don't hear it. That's why we're not letting you hear it. It would be irresponsible for us to let you hear it. So we are censoring it for your own good. For the public's good, this stuff should not be heard. That has been used by fascist regimes for a long time. And that's why the U.S. has a free press. That's why free speech is part of the U.S. Constitution, it's to prevent things like this. It's not It's not so whoever's in power, whoever's influential at the time, can shape speech the way they want and feel is correct and just. It's so all points of view can be out there, and the people can decide who to agree with. And we can't lose sight of that in the times of coronavirus and blame this on... Uh, well, we have to prevent disinformation or prevent people from hearing crazy conspiracy theories that make them do dangerous things. We can't. And the real reason we can't is because it's very important at a time like this that we can question everything. And that if there is information that's being provided by the government which isn't true or is partially untrue, that we should be able to call it out And we should be able to call it out on a mass scale where those who have the loudest voices won't be silenced. And that's very important. Otherwise, you hand full control to those in power to let you know what they want you to know. And to silence anyone who tries to tell you what the truth really is. Because if you try to censor disinformation, you also censor those who are telling the truth and are purposely labeled disinformation to discredit them and shut them down so you can't even hear them. It's much better to have a combination of disinformation and correct but controversial information out there than none of that stuff. Because then you have to only count on one source for the truth. And that's never good. And that's why you should never want third parties censoring hate speech or disinformation or dangerous speech or 
hoaxes, nothing like that. You, you shouldn't have any of that censored. It should all be allowed to be out there, with the exception of scams. So if, if something's being put out to scam people, then yeah, then it should be censored. Because they're, with a scam, there's an actual purpose, uh, a monetary purpose to uh, trick people into sending their money and not get what they're paying for. That should be censored. But not information that's uh, disseminated to the public. Hey, we think this, we want you to hear us and believe what we're saying. That should never be censored. And I will say this about all speech, including speech I greatly disagree with, like a lot of these conspiracy theories. They should still be able to be out there. The other problem with censoring this stuff is it makes them look correct. Because if someone puts out something very controversial that makes it look like the government is up to no good, and all of a sudden powerful forces remove it where you can't find it anymore, it makes it look like, hmm, well, like they really rattled someone. Look how fast this got deleted because they don't want anyone to know the truth. That's what it looks like. If you have nothing to hide, you let them say it. You let them say it and you say, look, here's why it's not true. So when they're deleting things like the pandemic so fast, all that's making it look like is, hey, look, they're onto something here. That That's why they're not letting us hear it. That's a terrible look, too. The way to make people believe a conspiracy theory is to try to suppress the person who's putting it out there. So I hope people listening to this show are not supportive of any kind of censorship related to the coronavirus. I hope you all are okay with the nutcases putting out their points of view, because this way, valuable points of view, which don't necessarily go along with the narrative that the government and the mass media want us to hear, that that gets out too. And some of that, like the mask situation, ends up being true. It should be up to you to decide what is true not up to big social media to decide what you're allowed to hear. There's very few times you can ever get me to agree that uh, there should be censorship of ideas. It's it's very hard to get me to agree with that. I think that's a very, very dangerous premise to establish. Even if you think you're doing it for noble purposes, it can be easily perverted to ignoble purposes. And that's a disaster when that occurs. And that is how fascism gets going. People don't say, hey, let's let's elect a fascist government. It sounds like a good idea. Fascism develops from the belief that the government is protecting you from dangerous ideas. And that they should be able to, and that they know what they're doing. And it's all for our own good. That's when fascism develops. So don't think by voting for Democratic candidates and always being against... Uh, hate speech and disinformation that you're fighting against fascism. If you are for censoring ideas that you don't like, then you are for fascism and you don't realize it. All right. uh, Let me move on to talk about the ridiculous video that has gone out from Ventura County, California regarding a plan to do something pretty bad for people who are tested positive for COVID-19. This is crazy. So Ventura County, for those of you that uh, don't know, is located to the northwest of Los Angeles County. 
It is between Los Angeles County and Santa Barbara County. If you drive from L.A. to Santa Barbara, you will pass through Ventura County. It uh, It's to the direct west of the San Fernando Valley. It does not have a major metropolitan area in it. There is no large city in Ventura County. The prominent cities of Ventura County would be uh, uh, probably Oxnard, Ventura, Thousand Oaks. But there's really no really large city in Ventura County. It's considered part of the L.A. area. But uh, they they put out something that is uh, a little bit uh, disturbing. And I want you to listen to this. It sounds reasonable at the beginning, and then wait till you hear the rest of this. We are beginning a program today, and it's a pilot program, which okay. will certainly grow into something larger and larger, and that is a community contact tracing Uh-oh, program. Uh-oh, that's already bad. We've done contact tracing all along. Okay, so this is already a bad start, a community contact tracing Whenever you hear that, that that sounds like, number one, it's going to be useless, and number two, it's going to create uh, a lot of expense and a lot of burden upon people with no real positive result. But let's let the guy speak. That a contact is a person who's been exposed to someone that we document to have the COVID infection. When we find someone who has a COVID infection, those people are immediately isolated. But we also work with them to figure out who their contacts were. Okay, so part of this sounds okay, part of it doesn't. So working with them to figure out who their contacts were to see if they can get a hold of those people and uh, let them know to watch out, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You're just kind of helping them out. They say we immediately isolate them. You go, what does that mean? What does immediately isolate them mean? Are you just recommending they stay away from everybody? What does immediately isolate them mean? Let's go on. Luckily, because... You have been doing such a great job of cooperating and staying indoors. Thank you. Um, and staying isolated. It used to be there were 10 contacts, at least, for every patient that we would find. Now it looks like there are probably only two or three or four contacts, not surprisingly. What are you talking about? If you go to the grocery store, you have way more than that. You, way more than ten. Like you, you have to really stay home and see basically no one if you want to have two, three, or four contacts uh, on a, on a typical basis. And most people are not completely staying home because most people have been staying away from others, and that's that's good news. Uh, but the purpose of this program is to bring on people. We're going to start with ten people. We may bring on up to 50 or even more as the program grows and as we see the needs for it. As we do more testing, we will find more and more people who have COVID-19. And again, we'll isolate every one of them and we will find every one of their contacts and we will make sure that they stay quarantined and we'll check in with them every day. In other words, what this program means is that we're going to do a more complete job and we're going to do a more meticulous job. See, this sounds like this stupidity about we're going to contact trace and figure out where everybody got their coronavirus and, and just uh, isolate ourselves out of this, which, as I said earlier, doesn't work. But this gets worse. Listen how he goes on in the next minute and a half. Of 
making it less and less possible for others in the county to run into someone with COVID-19 infection. Um, there are, it's not just our county that's bringing more people on. There are going to be thousands of, of people hired who will be these contact investigators throughout the state. Contact investigators. And this is occurring in many, many other states as well, perhaps all of the states in our country. Um, we will be giving intensive training to these people. Okay, so what are these thousands of people going to do that are being brought on to work with contact tracing? What are these contact people going to do? Training not only for identifying and finding contacts, but also in terms of how to be sensitive about doing it. We also Sensitive? Okay, so you, what do you need to be sensitive? What, what do you have to be sensitive about? To realize that as we find more contacts, some of the people we find are going to have trouble being isolated. For instance, if they live in a home where there's only one bathroom and there are three or four other people living there and those people don't have COVID infection, we're not going to be able to keep the person in that home. Wait, Every what? person who we're isolating, for instance, needs to have uh, their own bathroom. And so we'll be moving people like this into other kinds of housing. What? Did you hear what he said? If, if there's one bathroom in your home, meaning probably like an apartment, there's one bathroom where you live and you don't live by yourself and you test positive for COVID-19, they are going to forcibly remove you from where you live and force you to live elsewhere. <laughs> not, they're not going to recommend it. They're not going to make it available for you. They're going to say, you have one bathroom. You cannot stay with your family. You're out of here. We are taking you. That's not right. I, and he's just saying this in a way like it's, it's just no big deal. And we, we're going to see that there are some people who have some problem with isolation. And if there is one bathroom and, and you, therefore you cannot correctly isolate, we, we will have to remove you from your home. No big deal. We're just going to come over and grab you and take you away and, and shove you in some vacant building where you can't infect anybody. It's no big deal. Just the contact officers are going to they're, they're going to have sensitivity as they drag you kicking and screaming from your home, as they take you away from your family for an untold amount of time. But they will be sensitive about it. As they are dragging you out of your house, they will say, I understand. They will say, we know this is hard for you. This is something which we know is tough for you. We feel you. We have empathy. We are training them to say that. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> They're training them on sensitivity to yank people out of their homes if they have one bathroom. What the hell is this? And this is when we have 25,000 new cases a day in the country. They're looking. They're looking at, at at grabbing people out of their homes so they don't infect the other people in there. I mean, it's way too late for this. That we have available, they'll also have other needs, perhaps, food, perhaps whatever it's going to be. The county will be there. <laughs> You're going to have other needs, perhaps. Yeah. So we we're going to put you in alternate housing, and you may have other needs. You may need to eat. We're not sure. Perhaps. If, if you do need food, if you're one of those humans that needs food, uh, we, we, we may bring that to you. 
uh, probably going to bring you water and, and ramen. Uh, in fact, uh, we found in studies that uh, you can eat ramen and uh, keep yourself nourished for uh, for two dollars a day. In fact, in some cases, if we get the, buy the ramen in bulk, we can get it for a dime each, which means we could probably feed you uh, for about thirty cents a day. We're we're, we're doing. Uh, some negotiations with the, the Marichan Corporation to see how much ramen we can get. And uh, between that and tap water, you should be nourished just fine if you are one of those people who needs to eat. And uh, we will do it with sensitivity, though. When we bring the ramen to your door, we will make you think it's ramen from an expensive Japanese restaurant rather than, uh, than uh, dime per container ramen that you buy in the store. And as you sit in, in your cold new apartment with no furniture, we, you have to sleep on a cot and... Uh, and we give you a, a, a bathroom with limited toilet paper, uh, we will be very sensitive and tell you we understand. To back them up and to support them. Um. <laughs> okay, so that, that, that's the relevant thing here. Can you believe this? I like the way the guy's saying it. He's just so, he's so overly calm. He's just... You're just letting you know. Yeah, they may just come and drag you out of your home if you if you test positive for COVID-19. Now, here's an idea. If you live in a home where there's only one bathroom and you don't want to be dragged out, why not just not get tested? Why not just don't ever get tested? Don't go to the hospital. Just no matter what, no matter how bad it's getting, stay home because if you go there and test positive, they're going to say, how many bathrooms do you have? Oh, I've got two. Are you sure? Well, maybe one and a half, but that's still two toilets. Hold on a second. Uh, we have our contact trace officer here. We're going to have him look up your, your uh, property records. Oh, look at this. Look at this. We see you live in a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment. So we're going to have to take you out. We're, you're not going to be allowed to go back to your apartment. Uh, we're going to move you over here. So here's your ramen. The tap water works. And... Uh, we have two rolls of toilet paper per week, so don't overuse it. It's valuable stuff these days. Like, like what the hell are they going to do? People are going to say, screw it. We're not going to go in for COVID-19 testing. We don't want anyone to know this. It'll be like the, the scarlet, scarlet letter. Unbelievable. They're going to forcibly remove people from their homes. This is where it's insane. This is what fuels the conspiracy theorists to say the government is uh, taking over and they're uh, finding ways to trample on people's constitutional rights, and that this is all excuse, this is, this is an invention, this is a way to control you. I mean, you, you play things like this, it's hard to argue with these conspiracy nuts. How do they put out messages like this? Especially at this stage of the game. The correct thing to say is, we realize some people live in close quarters and may not want to infect their loved ones. So if you have COVID-19 and you don't think your place is big enough to isolate well enough to where you think that you might be able to infect everybody else, especially if you only have one bathroom, that we are going to make available free units that you can stay in for like three weeks, whatever. Uh, and we'll even give you a, some assistance for supplies like food uh, while you recover if you'd like to self-isolate there and not get your family sick, and we encourage you to do this if you'd like to keep everyone else in your household healthy. And they make it an option, not not forcibly remove you if you because you have one bathroom, but say if you'd like to leave for your family's sake, you have somewhere to go. 
and then let people go if they want, and if they don't, then they they don't. You can, to, to grab them out, you only do that if this thing's such at an early stage that preventing a few extra people from getting it in a household would make a tremendous difference. If if there's twenty five thousand cases in the country, uh, taking uh, some someone out of their uh, one bedroom apartment so they don't get their uh, their wife sick, that's that's not going to do very much. That's not going to help us very much from a public health standpoint. It's outrageous. It's just going to piss people off and really make them feel like uh, government has become oppressive and they're just not going to cooperate anymore. So it's it's really, really lame. And I when I saw the title of this video, I didn't believe it. But it was correct. They are going to forcibly remove people who test positive to have one bathroom. What a ridiculous plan. John Commode said in chat, that guy's voice is so Orwellian in a soothing California way. That's true. It is. It's, a, it's very soothing, yet very scary when you listen to what he's actually saying. It's like a soothing guy to tell you that a uh, bad thing's going to happen. Yeah, so just going to let you know, uh, we're, we're trying to prevent the spread of the disease. And if you do test positive uh, for, for public health purposes and for the safety of everybody in the community that we lost love so much, we're, we're going to sensitively shoot, sensitively shoot you in the head. So we, we've hired thousands of uh, contact tracing officers, and they're going to uh, very kindly put a bullet in your head, uh, but not before they extract through uh, methods of, of torture if necessary, but only if necessary, and they'll sensitively do it. They will uh, find out who you've been in contact with, and we will forcibly test those people and uh, and put a bullet in their head as well. But keep in mind, it will be done with sensitivity and tact. <laughs> All right, final topic, uh, supplantation, which always tilted me because they're missing a P. It's supplantation, not soup plantation, but supplantation, S O U P. L-A-N-T-A-T-I-O-N-S, or no S, I guess, just soup plantation. It should be soup plantation with two Ps, there's one P. And that never sat well with me. I always felt like it was misspelled. It made me not want to patronize that business. I also don't like buffets. That's the bigger reason. The, the, the P thing bothers me. So soup plantation will no longer be tilting me because they're out of business. They're done. They're not only closing temporarily, because they're a buffet, they can't exactly do takeout, but they're gone for good. They have shut it down for for good, and it's because of the coronavirus. Soup Plantation is kind of like a, a budget buffet. It was founded in San Diego in uh, 1978, but it expanded mostly throughout California. There were 44 uh, locations in California, including one close to me, uh, 97 restaurants total, and uh, they had 4,400 employees. Uh, it was also called Sweet Tomatoes, which is in other markets outside of California, but basically the same thing. Uh, it was a cheap buffet, is what it was. It was a buffet you could go there for about 10 bucks per person. And they they had a, a fairly good selection, and uh, a lot of people liked it. I just found it to be kind of a low to medium quality buffet is what it was. 
I was never impressed by soup plantation, but I'm not a big buffet guy. Unfortunately, buffets are not exactly something that can be done right now, because if you can think about what could easily spread the coronavirus, it would be a buffet. So we're not going to have buffets for a while, which to me is no loss, but it makes sense why that's going away. There's a lot of common things you touch at buffets. This is part of the reason that viruses spread so quickly on cruise ships. And I'm talking about before the coronavirus, there was the norovirus and all kinds of other viruses, which didn't really kill people, but were very uncomfortable to have. And they would spread like wildfire on cruise ships. And that's largely because of the buffet, because there's so much touching of the same stuff at buffets. As hard as they try to prevent people from doing bad things at buffets. First of all, people just uh, touch things without tongs or grab something and put it back. But but even if you touch the same tongs, you're going to get uh, viruses that way. So buffets are bad news for spreading of viruses, and that's been well known. So Sue Plantation looks and says, crap, well, we can't do takeout. All we are is a buffet place, so you can't do a buffet takeout. And uh, this is what the CEO said. The FDA had previously put out recommendations that included discontinuing self, uh, self-serve self stations like self-serve beverages and fast food, but they specifically talked about salad bars and buffets. The regulations are understandable, but unfortunately it makes it very difficult to reopen. Yeah, more like impossible. And I'm not sure the health departments are ever going to allow it. We could have overcome any other obstacle. We've worked for eight weeks to overcome these intermittent financial challenges, but it doesn't work if we're not able to continue our model. So basically he's saying, I can't see when we'll be allowed to have a buffet in California ever again, or pretty much in most places, so F it, we're shutting down. It's one thing to get by a temporary closure, but we don't see it anytime soon that this will be allowed, and maybe even after a vaccine comes out, if the vaccine is not anywhere near 100% reliable, uh, we can forget buffets then as well. Now, it's not to say buffets are never going to come back, but it's probably going to be a while. And even if they do, they're going to be much less viable. It's going to be something people are going to have on their mind. Also, guess who likes buffets a lot? Seniors. Buffets also like seniors because seniors don't eat that much. So the, the cliche of the buffet owner cringing when a big fat guy walks in. Like that part's not true, but it is true. They don't want like a ton of big fat guys walking in and no light eaters. They, they make their most money on kids and old people who don't eat much. They make the least money on people with big appetites who are not kids or old people. The, uh, also, it depends what people eat. There's more expensive stuff. There's cheaper stuff. And of course, at the buffet, it's, it's all included. So. You just hope people are going to go in and mainly eat salad, and uh, you know the drink bar doesn't cost them much, but uh, some things uh, like the meat products those are more expensive. So that's the end of soup plantation, and the reason I'm including that in this show is this is an example of how life is going to change permanently. It's not just a matter of writing this out and we just go right back to normal. Like buffets are going to be gone for a long time. They may never come back. They may not come back for many, many years. Uh, some things which have a buffet element to them, even if they eliminate the buffets, like cruise ships, we have to wonder when will they ever come back. There's going to be a number of things where people are either all very close or they're sharing a lot of the same things where 
it's going to be judged that uh, it's unsafe and they're not going to be allowed to reopen, or if they are, it's going to be so highly restrictive that it's not going to be worth it for the business to reopen. You do have to wonder about the future of things like uh, nightclubs and bars. I'm not saying they're going to be gone, but they, uh, they a lot of them will become a lot less viable. Cruise ships are another one. Uh, sporting events, they will eventually continue, but they're going to have to be a lot more spread out. If you think about it, uh, the days of cramming people into stadiums and arenas, it's going to go back the other way. They've been cramming more and more seats to fit more and more people. There seem to be very little downside. Yeah, people would be more uncomfortable, but uh, the profit was worth it. But now cramming a bunch of people together in a small space, uh, it's not going to be looked upon kindly. So there there may have to be some sort of permanent semi-social distancing and permanent uh, much less sharing of common items. Even little things like uh, reusable stuff at hotels may go away. Like something I've never liked in hotels are reusable glasses. I, I hate when they leave glasses there that you're supposed to like rinse your mouth with or drink from because those are never cleaned or sanitized very well until they go through the dishwasher. But a lot of times they don't. A lot of times they just uh, hand wash them very quickly with a dirty rag and, and deem it okay. Even at luxury properties this happens. There's been many exposés you can find on the internet about that. So I actually took this seriously. I'm not a germaphobe by any means. Believe me, I'm not. But I did take that seriously. Not that I thought I'd be like violently sick from it, but I just thought it was gross that some of these glasses were not cleaned well from the previous person. So I actually would bring my own paper cups to hotels where they didn't have paper cups. Uh, if I could, I'd just request them to bring me paper cups, but some hotels don't have them. So I'd, I'd usually bring a few paper cups in my suitcase to make sure I have them, and I'd only use those. I loved paper cups in hotels. They look tacky, but they, they're much better because they're disposable. And I know the only one using them is me. So that's going to probably become a permanent thing. That's not a big deal. You probably don't care if you're getting paper cups or, or, or glass cups. But these are all going to be things. There's going to be a constant eye on keeping reusable things away from people. At restaurants, I bet the days of menus that everybody shares are gone. It's going to probably be paper menus that they throw away each time. They're going to probably print a gigantic stack of paper menus. And after you're done with it, it goes in the trash. And that's just going to be the way it's going to be. And uh, you're going to see a lot of changes like that, some of which are easy to do and not that expensive to do. And, and other things are going to be much tougher, and some businesses entirely won't be able to survive. So buffets are a good example of something that they, they just don't see as being viable anytime soon or maybe ever. And that's why even the CEO of Soup Plantation was saying that this may permanently be done. Not just their restaurant but that the whole buffet thing will permanently be done. It'll never be allowed again. And there's always been a concern about buffets, not spreading a pandemic, but there's been a concern that they're just generally unsanitary. And people just kind of tolerate it because a lot of people like them and they just, they know what they're getting into. So they, they go, but there are a lot of unsanitary elements to buffets, some of which you can avoid if you're careful and some of which you can't. So if, if the guy before you, uh, grabs something and then says, eh, I don't want this and puts it back. Or in the process of grabbing something, he puts his hands all over other things there that you end up grabbing. 
or if someone uh, sneezes on it, be on the sneeze guard, or if someone's sick and touches the tongs, then you touch them. There's a lot of things that, uh, a lot of ways to get sick at a buffet that don't happen in a normal restaurant. The, the more people that are handling things that you handle, the higher chance it is that you're going to get sick. That's why the World Series of Poker was something that was getting people sick all the time. And you may say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean live poker might be dead? Answer, well, not completely dead, but greatly reduced. Live poker may be something that is never safe to play. And it may be just a risk you have to take. That you go play live poker, you're no longer risking just getting a cold, but you're risking getting the coronavirus. Because those chips, there's nothing you do about these chips passing around and the cards passing around. There's a lot of people touching them. Live tournaments, especially, where people are constantly changing tables. But even when you're not changing tables, the chips, you're still exchanging them on the same table. You're still exchanging them with people that uh, were here before you. Are they really going to wash chips every time someone brings them into the cage? They're not going to reissue any chips? That's a, I don't know if casinos can keep up with that. That's a, an incredible cleaning version, uh, and cleaning, a cleaning burden that may be very hard for casinos, especially busy ones, to manage to do. But even if they can, chips still change hands in between. So people may look at this and say, well, forget it. I don't want to take the risk. Too high of a chance I'll catch Corona doing this. I'm, I'm just going to skip it. So something you may have done before without a care, now you're going to skip. I made a statement to my girlfriend this week. I said, you know what? I can't say this for sure, but it is a possibility that I will never play live poker again. It is a possibility that I've played my very last World Series of Poker event. Which, I guess I ended on a good note. I guess if, if... the 2019 main event was the last event I ever play. I guess that was a pretty good note, finishing 128th and cashing 59,000 from a 10K buy-in. That's a pretty good note to end on. 128th out of 8,600 or whatever played there. I'll take that. I'll take that as a, a finish to my live poker tournament career. I don't want it to be. I enjoy the World Series, but if, if I think that that's a major threat to me getting the corona... Let's say I just don't get it. Let's say I, I can dodge it. Let's say I'm taking a vaccine, which I don't know. If, I don't know if the vaccine's working. It's not like the vaccine tells me, hey, I'm working. Hey, I'm not working. Like I, I'll take the vaccine when it's there. And let's say it's 50% effective. Let's say it's 70% effective. I, I don't know if I'm in the good 70% or the bad 30%. So all I know is whether I get the corona or not. So let's say I do the vaccine responsibly every year or just once, whatever I need for it. And then I don't get the coronavirus. So I go, okay, good. I can let my guard down some. But but like how much? What I might do, knowing that I could be in the 30% it doesn't protect and I'm just lucky not into getting it, I might just stay away from high risk of corona behavior. So while I'll probably return to taking flights and I'll probably return to going to restaurants, uh, things like that, I, I probably will not go play live poker because that seems like a way to easily get it. 
I can monitor the situation. I can see if for, for whatever reason people aren't catching it much at poker rooms. Maybe I'll change my mind. But but there's a decent chance that I will come to the conclusion that this is something I just don't want to chance because I still haven't had the coronavirus yet and I don't know if I'm protected yet. I think the only way I'd feel okay with returning to live poker is either if there's like a really effective vaccine where I had to be really unlucky to get the corona or where there's a treatment that is very reliable that I can – as long as I jump on it early, I can stop it from becoming severe. Then I won't worry too much. But I may be out of live poker. I may be out of casinos for a long time. And I've made peace with that. And I'll tell you what's helped me make peace with that. Even though I'm not making that conclusion, so don't post, oh, Dandruff has quit live poker forever. No, I'm, I'm not saying that now. I'm saying I, I could end up quitting live poker forever, depending on how this goes. Like, let's say I get the coronavirus this week, and I, I get through it, and I don't go down. And then I learn that uh, I can't catch it again from anywhere, that if I'm going to have a flare-up, it's from the existing virus in my body, but I can't catch it again. So coming in contact with others with the coronavirus in the future, even other strains, won't get me sick. Uh, if I know that, then yeah, I won't be afraid of playing live poker. Then I'll go do it. Then I won't care. So that's one way I could return. So I'm not saying I'm quitting forever. I'm saying that I could see a scenario where because of the coronavirus, I don't go back and play live poker or go in a casino again. But let me tell you now how I made peace with that, how I made peace with that possibility. Because I made peace with that possibility a year and a half ago. When I had that terrible, debilitating anxiety and depression and anhedonia where I could not do very much at all. And I knew I couldn't handle being in a casino environment. And I started to make peace as more than a month passed and I was getting no better and in fact seemed to be getting worse. And I remember talking to my dad about it and I told him, I don't think I'm ever going to get better. I think I'm going to be stuck this way forever. I'm just making no progress and I can't find anything that's going to help and I can't see any way out of this. And he was trying to be optimistic for me saying, no, no, I think you're going to get better. Which He ended up being right, but it really felt to me like I wasn't going to. And I started to make peace as much as I could that I wouldn't, I wasn't going to do certain things again. I, w- I wasn't going to travel again. I'd never be on an airplane again. I would never be all that far from home because I, without the ability to fly, I couldn't be. That, uh, I would never play poker again. That I would never, uh, stay at a hotel again. Like I started to say I probably, well, not probably, but there's a decent chance I won't ever do these things again. And I started to make peace with that maybe my life has just changed and I'm stuck this way and I'm going to have to make the best of it. And uh, as long as I can get some quality of life out of what I still had, that uh, I'm just going to have to tough it out for my remaining time on this earth. And I, I started to make peace with that being the case. It was depressing. It was frustrating. And it was sad. But uh, I, but I, I already went through that process and said, it looks like I, I may never do this again. And I said, look, if I can even get a little bit better and at least have some quality of life but not be able to do these things, I, I can I can do it. It's, it's not going to be my favorite, but I can do it. I can still get enjoyment out of other things in life. 
And uh, fortunately, I, I got out of all that and was able to go back and do all these things I thought I couldn't do. Went back to the same life I had before. And I'm very thankful for that. But now that I'm in this situation for a different reason, and everybody's in this situation, unlike I had to live this alone, but uh, now everybody's living this together, and it's a different thing, very different thing. But uh, I already went through the, the process of saying, maybe I'll never do this or that again, and just dealing with it. So that actually helped. That actually, that actually helped me with this, because I'd been through that thought process already. And things change in life, and sometimes you have to move on and give up on things you were doing before. Sometimes it's big things you have to give up, sometimes it's small things you have to give up, but sometimes you just have to say, I can't do it anymore. And as much as I'd like it, it's just something I can't do anymore. Sometimes it's because of a physical change in your body. Like, uh, for example, someone who enjoys running every day. Someone who goes out and runs six miles every day and loves it. Then they start developing knee problems, and then bad knee problems, and then it's basically clear they can't run anymore. That that's over, not just temporarily, but for good. Their knee will never be good enough to to do these runs anymore. Well, they have to just stop it and find something else or exercise in a different way. As much as they'd like to go out and run six miles a day, they can't anymore because their knee just won't allow it. And they, they have to get past it by saying, it's just my life has changed and I'm going to do other things. I'm going to enjoy life in different ways. As far as casinos are concerned and playing live poker, would I miss them? Yes. Would I have the urge to do it? Yes. Would I especially have the urge to do it seeing that others are doing it? Yes, especially. It's easier for me to not do this when nobody's doing it, when I see others are doing it. Uh, I will start getting more and more jealous. I, I would even get jealous during the World Series. I'm talking about during normal times. I, I, I actually got jealous during the World Series when I wouldn't be there. During the times I'd be home, I'd, I'd feel, uh, you know, I kind of wish I was there. To see, like, World Series go on where I'm not part of it, it would suck. But if I feel that's the best for me to do, I would do that. And as I, I don't want to be a hermit and just never leave the house or never do anything fun and be obsessed with pre- preventing catching the coronavirus in the long term. But if I can cut out very dangerous things as far as catching it, like maybe playing live poker, I may have to do it. Fortunately, buffets or things are not gonna, I'm not going to miss, but uh, yeah, I, I might have, with, with the, with the uh, live poker, if that is an ongoing danger, I may have to quit it. But you know what? It, it may kind of quit on me anyway, because there may be others who feel like I do, and there may be restrictions like the four-handed poker we talked about recently that will make it non-viable. Poker rooms may just cease to exist, and maybe the World Series of Poker could cease to exist. Who knows? So a lot of things going forward, we're not going to know where they go. We're just at the beginning of all this. Even though we're about four months in, we're just at the beginning here. So that's very hard to predict what's in front of us. And sometimes you can be surprised. You can be surprised negatively or positively. This could end up being much worse than we could have ever imagined. We could long for the days in May 2020 when everything was so much simpler and better and easier. And when we still believed it wasn't going to be anywhere bad as it turned out to be. Or we could look back on this and say, wow, this solved itself a lot easier than we thought it would. 
wow, this we, we really got out of this one compared to how bad it could have been. That, that could be the way we feel. And by the way, what happened a year and a half ago prepared me for that too. I thought at one point I was screwed and I was never going to get out of it. Then I got out of it and I thought, well, it was an awful thing to go through, but it, uh, it ended a lot faster than I thought it would at one point. At one point I thought I was stuck with it for a very, very long time or perhaps forever. So I've already been through all that a year and a half ago over a different matter, but in some ways similar. And it has uh, prepared me in some ways to emotionally deal with what's going on. Okay, let's see some other topics that aren't about the coronavirus. We have three topics left, and then uh, we're going to shut it down, and we will be done. Wow, a lot more people listening now than I expected. I was almost afraid to look at the ratings. Several major Vegas casinos are going to stay closed despite the fact that uh, sometime in the near future they are going to be allowed to open and will simply choose not to open. So here's the story with that. Uh, And this isn't a surprise, and we made a quick reference to it earlier in the show. The casinos are looking at uh, what is the likely level of interest that there's going to be from customers because you can open a casino, but if customers don't want to come, then all you're doing is burning money. There's only a point to open if you will make a profit from opening. If you will lose money from opening and you lose more money than if you stay closed, the correct move is to stay closed. So as you know, in Vegas, there are two very dominant companies, MGM and Caesars that own a lot of properties. And then there are some other companies that own multiple properties that aren't quite as well known by the general public, like station casinos that are known better to locals. Station casinos owns a number of casinos, but they are mainly uh, locals casinos. So they don't own anything on the strip. The closest thing they own to the strip is the Palms. So uh, the different companies are looking at this and saying, okay, How can we operate cheaply? How can we open to where we get uh, enough customers to where it's worth opening? And how do we avoid over-competing with ourselves to where everything loses money? And if you own multiple casinos, you have to uh, be concerned with that. Let me take a very simple example. Let's say you uh, you have a family of four kids, and all four of your kids want to operate a lemonade stand, but uh, they can't come to an agreement on the way they want to operate the stand. So all four of your kids start a lemonade stand each. So there's four lemonade stands on your street run by each one of your kids. Not surprisingly, uh, as people drive by, there's just not enough interest in the neighborhood to patronize four lemonade stands. And uh, therefore, none of them get very much uh, business and that each kid barely gets any customers and basically sits there the whole day and people just drive by. And the few that stop, uh, they, they stop at one of the other four, one of the other, one of the other three. So at the end of the day, the kids get together and say, crap, you know, how many people stop by yours? And they notice that all of them didn't get uh, 
very many people stopping and buying lemonade. And then they realized the smart thing to do would be to close three of them and to consolidate into one lemonade stand because uh, they're competing with each other and they don't need to be because they're all in the same family. So that uh, they might as well save the money on the ingredients they spend for four stands that uh, basically don't get any business. That there's really enough business on the street only for one stand. So that's what's going on here in Las Vegas. MGM says, we have a lot of properties, and if we leave them all open, then they're just all going to lose money. They're all going to compete with each other. Station Casino says the same thing. Caesars, I don't know. They haven't uh, decided upon this yet, but I'm sure they're coming to the same conclusion. So with the reopening, they've decided they're not going to reopen all the properties. Some of them are going to stay closed. Some are going to reopen. You may say, well, that doesn't sound right because there's different companies operating these uh, casinos around town. And wouldn't they rather open as many as possible so this way uh, they dominate as far as the business? Well, the answer is no, because... People are loyal to certain property groups because of the reward programs. So if you're a high tier at MGM properties, you're probably going to want to go to an MGM property. If you're a high tier at Caesars, you probably want to go to Caesars property. If you're a high tier at stations, you probably want to go to stations property, etc. So it's not just uh, open as many casinos as you can and you'll dominate over the competition because at, at some point you're just not going to get uh, much additional business by opening these other properties because if someone wants to go to an MGM property, they'll go to whatever's there. And if you have uh, nine properties open, they'll split up among the nine properties. If you have two properties open, they'll split up among the two. It'll be not that many more customers overall either way, so why not cut down the expense of keeping some of them closed? So they've, they've realized that. It, it's because of the rewards programs. It's, be, it's for that exact reason that they realize they don't have to open up the maximum number of casinos. This is also why sometimes companies will sell casinos in certain markets. Uh, sometimes it'll be to please regulators, but other times they'll do it because they're actually oversaturated in a market where they believe that uh, a lot of the clientele is coming for the, the brand or for being part of the rewards program and, and therefore having too many of those in one market uh, it just ends up diluting it from the other properties they own and and uh, ends up costing them money. So MGM is doing a few things. First of all, they have uh, 63,000 employees already on furlough. And they sent out a notice to these employees that these furloughs could, uh, quote, last more than six months or become permanent and they said that the reason these could become permanent would be a decline in number of visitors due, due to both uh, just a decline in interest in going to casinos during the uh, coronavirus epidemic and because people are not going to want to travel to Las Vegas by plane. They are hoping that drive-in traffic from the L.A. and San Diego areas could and Phoenix area as well that that these could uh, help Vegas recover somewhat, but uh, everybody from outside of those areas uh, is probably going to be hesitant to get on a plane. So they're going to see a huge decline in in uh, travel that has to be on airplanes. So they've already notified these 
63,000 people on furlough that uh, some of them may never come back. Some of them are going to be permanently let go. They haven't decided who yet, but that uh, they're warning him this might be coming. Station casinos is going to keep certain casinos closed. One of them, and most notable for those that don't live in Vegas, is the Palms. The Palms, uh, it, it's kind of like a semi-locals casino. There are locals that go there, but there's also people who go to the Palms that uh, are from out of the area. It still attracts uh, some visitors who know it uh, for the number of years it's been open. It was once a cooler property. The Cosmo pretty much took its whole theme of uh, being the property for the young and the hip. Now that's the Cosmo and the Palms as it has been, but people still remember the Palms, so it's not just the locals' place. But they are nevertheless closing the Palms. The stations have decided they're not even going to try to compete on the Strip. or It's not on the Strip, but it's it's, it's kind of near the Rio, the Palms. It's the closest property to the Strip. They're not going to bother with it. They the Palms is going to stay closed, as will Fiesta Henderson, Fiesta Rancho, and Texas Station. CEO Frank Fertitta said they're also going to be laying off a significant number of employees, but they, again, haven't decided who will be laid off just yet. So this is the plan. They they want to reopen only certain casinos and see how much traffic they get and then maybe reopen more if there's a lot of interest. So uh, MGM said that uh, they are going to uh, extend the deadline to August 31st for the furloughed workers to remain on the health plan. So they've delayed them losing their benefits, which, which is good for these employees that they, they will have the health plan at least till August 31st. It's not clear when casinos can open yet. You may wonder, what's the date? There, there is no date. I've heard the date May 24th thrown around, but I, I don't believe it. It's two weeks from today. I don't believe it. So the date of a reopening has not been established yet. The governor is going to have to allow that. The governor said that phase one of the reopening does not include casinos, so they're going to have to reopen some things first. And then he said, wait a few weeks and then see what they do next. It's similar to what I thought was the correct thing to do. Uh, but but casinos, he says they're going to do second, or maybe sec- second or later than sometime later than first. I'm guessing second. And uh, also of interest is that uh, MGM has laid off four Las Vegas hotel presidents, and they said that they have designated those responsibilities, delegated those responsibilities to the president of the remaining strip properties. So it sounds like they're probably planning upon not reopening four properties of the ones that they have in Vegas. That's what it looks like because they've They've said, okay, we're, we're kicking out these four presidents of these individual properties, and uh, the new president of those properties are ones who are currently running other properties, which means there's probably very little to do for those four properties because they're not going to reopen. That, that's my guess. Which are those four properties? Well, this is the weird part. They laid off Randy Morton of Bellagio, 
Cindy Kaiser of New York, New York, Cliff Atkinson of of Luxor, and Eric Fitzgerald of Excalibur. Now, I have to think Bellagio is going to reopen. Uh, I I was hearing earlier, I think from Vintage One, that it's going to be Bellagio, New York, New York opening first, but I, I haven't heard that anywhere. I'm not sure where he got that. But it's these four that got laid off, so there may end up being a shifting around. So I don't think these four properties are necessarily going to be the ones that don't reopen. I think for whatever reason, maybe seniority, maybe how much how competent they think these employees are, maybe it's how much they're getting paid, that the ones who are getting paid the most are getting laid off, who knows. But for some reason, they've decided that those four are going to be laid off and that... Uh, they're going to move the people from other properties to manage those. Now it's possible that they're not going to be managing two properties. It's possible what they're going to do is close, keep some other properties closed and just have no president or have, have them technically be president there, but not really do much because it's closed. And their main responsibility will be the properties that do open. So I, whoever got laid off, that doesn't really speak to which properties are going to close, but the number four does matter. I think they are probably going to leave four MGM properties closed and uh, reopen the other ones. So we, we, if you think about the MGM properties on uh, in Las Vegas, we of course have the Bellagio, you have the Aria, you have the MGM Grand, you have the Mandalay Bay. You have the Mirage. You have uh, the Monte Carlo, which is known as the Park MGM. You have New York, New York. You have the Luxor. You have Excalibur. And then you used to have Circus Circus, but that got sold. So those are the casinos. And if I had to guess which ones are going to be the ones not opening... I think the Ari and Bellagio are going to open. They're just too prominent and, and too big. Like I, I think people are going to want to go to both of those. I think that's, those would not be two to leave closed if you're trying to attract people back. I think that uh, the Mandalay Bay could be one they leave closed. That one doesn't have a lot of theme to it. That one, there's, it's a big property and it's, uh, it's semi-nice, but it's something that they could do without. It's it's not center strip, you know. It's all the way south, and it's uh, it doesn't have something that people are really going to Vegas for. So I could see them closing that one, and it's pretty large too. And and same with uh, Delano, which is attached to it. it. Used to be called the Hotel at Mandalay Bay. Now it's called Delano. Uh, Monte Carlo, aka the Park MGM. I think that's a good candidate to remain closed. That's kind of a, a has-been. Doesn't have much of an interesting theme. Just kind of there. Uh, I could see either Luxor or Excalibur being one of them. Maybe both. Those are both older properties from the early 90s. Neither of them is very nice. Uh, these are both the more budget properties in the MGM portfolio. It's possible to leave one open for that purpose, but it's also possible they don't really want to bring back the the budget uh, visitor at this point. It's possible that's just not considered cost-effective right now. 
that if you have to run a property that is not attracting many high rollers or big spenders, that there's no point to keep it open since you can't bring that many of them there. If the point is to bring fewer people and still have them spending a lot of money, I don't think you want to open up Luxor or Excalibur. So it's possible those are, it'll be those two and maybe Monte Carlo and Mandalay Bay. If I had to guess, I think that would be my four I'd pick that are not going to reopen. Excalibur, Luxor, uh, Mandalay Bay, and Monte Carlo. Mandalay Bay is probably the one least of those four that I think is likely to not open again. Uh, during this time that could be swapped out with MGM Grand but i think MGM Grand is probably going to is probably going to reopen it's it's a large property i think that's one where they could space people out a lot and still take a lot of people it's center strip it's got a, it's got a fairly good location so I think that uh, MGM is one that would stay open. But I could see that swap for Mandalay Bay. Mirage, I I think that's probably staying open. Because that's another candidate. The ones I really don't think they're going to refuse to reopen at the beginning will be Aria and Bellagio. Those those are the the two real flagship properties in their portfolio there. And those are two properties that really attract the high rollers too, which will be a key to staying viable. The high rollers and just big spenders. So even people who come into town and spend a lot but don't gamble a lot, uh, you want them too. The ones that go to the expensive restaurants and uh, the ones who get the expensive rooms. And uh, I don't know about shows if those will take place. But the ones who spend money in the shops, you, you want the people who are going to spend a lot of money. And those are the two hotels that really attract them. And you can still close the Mandalay Bay and and bring those people in and say, hey, just come to the Aria, come to the Bellagio instead. But it looks like four won't reopen. Okay. I want to tell a story about a good guy in poker. And to show you how uninteresting good stories are, we're burying it at the end of a long show. But nevertheless, I wanted to give it some time. Now, good stories are always less interesting than bad stories. It's the truth. People like to hear bad news. People like to hear controversy, especially if it doesn't affect them. People like uh, rubbernecking at others' bad news. But this is an uplifting good story. And uh, someone in poker who definitely has a lot of ethics and thought about his fellow player, and not of himself. On Sunday, May 3rd, America's Card Room had a uh, $1 million guaranteed prize pool tournament. That doesn't mean a $1 million for first. It means the whole prize pool is a million guaranteed. $215 buy-in. It's pretty much in the whole model of the Poker Stars Sunday Million that goes back many, many years, the, the old $215 buy-in. If you are a big online tournament player, you know, you know that 215 number very well. So the, the Sunday 215 million guaranteed. Two players ended up heads up, of course, one being Spewheb, the other being Pydade. Pydade is known on some other sites as uh, Nilipo 10. 
N-E-L-E-P-O-10. So Piedade, P-I-E-D-A-D-E, a.k.a. Nalepo 10, was up against Spewheb, S-P-E-W-H-E-B. They were the heads-up players at the end of this tournament, and there was a $49,000 difference between first and second. Well, Spewheb was the chip leader. And guess what happened to poor Spewheb? Spewheb, I guess, lived up to his name in a way because his computer just started spewing chips without any control of his because he disconnected. Can you imagine how pissed you'd be if your head's up for the Sunday Million title and there's a 49K difference on the line between first and second and you lose connection? (laughs) You're just banging the computer. Come on, come back, come back, come back. And you're just going crazy and you're like, no, no, why now, why now? And you're you're just going to a panic. How do I get back on? Where can I go? Can I bring my laptop to, to Starbucks and uh, use their internet? Is it the internet? Is it my computer? Is it some uh, weird thing in the software? Is everybody being disconnected because ACR is so crappy? You never know what's going on. What should I do? Should I try to you know quickly throw my computer in the car and drive somewhere? I don't know. Maybe I should wait for it to come back. I would be in an absolute panic if this was happening. I think most of you would be too. Now, let's think about... Pydade. Pydade has about 40% of the chips. Spewheb has 60%. Pydade could just sit and collect chip after chip after chip very fast as the blinding off happens. And there would be nothing against the rules. It's not required that uh, you sit out if your opponent disconnects heads up. You do have the right by rules of all poker sites if your opponent disconnects to keep winning the blinds. And it will auto-fold him every time, and you will keep winning the blinds at a rapid pace, and it won't be too long because before you win the tournament that way. So, what did Pydade do? Pydade decided to sit out. Pydade decided he didn't want to win that way. And he was the underdog at the moment. He had only 40% of the chips, and Spewheb had 60%. And Pydade said, I'm going to be an honest guy. I'm not going to win this way. I don't have to do this, but I'm going to. And he sat out. Sat out and waited until Spewheb reconnected, and then sat back in. So that was a class move. And, uh, I don't know who ended up winning, actually. <laughs> I don't know who ended up the ultimate winner here. I would actually think that Pydade would deserve to win after this. Most poker players would not do this. Most poker players would say, F it, it's a dog-eat-dog world. I'm not sitting out. But especially because I don't think anyone really knows who Pydade is. If, if Pydade was a well-known player, like let's say Pydade was someone like uh, Daniel Negranu. It wasn't him, but let's say it was someone like Negranu. If Negranu took advantage of someone else's disconnect, even if he could do it by the rules, everyone would be talking about what a dick Negranu was to take advantage of this. But but no one really knows Pydade. 
So it's not going to ru- ruin his real life reputation. And he didn't cause this to happen. He would just be taking advantage of a circumstance presented to him, which by the rules he's allowed to do, even though it's kind of shitty. So that was uh, a class act on his part to immediately sit out and is just decided he's, he wants it to proceed fair and square where his opponent is connected. Now, I wonder what Spewhead would have done if, if it was reversed. And there's no way to know that. If you know your opponent would not do the same for you, then you shouldn't do it for him. And, and as far as I know, there's no way to tell this. I don't think Spewheb has a history of doing this. I don't think Spewheb has ever been in that situation where his opponent disconnected and he took advantage of it. But if you knew of a time where he did that, then it would be a mistake to do that for him. And amazingly, there's people out there who don't make that adjustment. And that's always been something that bothers me. I mean, people can do what they want regarding that, but it's always bothered me when someone maintains a code of, I'm going to treat a person honestly, even if they are screwing me, or they would have screwed me in the same spot. In uh, Pydate's position, I also would have sat out. I would have felt very bad winning chips that way. But uh, if I had known Spewheb was in this exact same spot and refused to sit out, even against somebody else, not me, but if, let's say I heard six months ago he played some other guy and the exact same thing happened where uh, where he was the one who's sitting in and he took advantage of it, then I say, well, he doesn't deserve this. I know what he would do if I got disconnected, so F him. <laughs> so that's, that's what I would do if I knew it, if I had an example of him doing that. If I didn't, then I'd give him the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, sit out for him. However, if I knew he was like a, a piece of shit, a guy who's scamming people all the time or, or, or welching on debts or, or borrowing money he knows he can't pay back, I'd say, okay, there's no way that guy would, would sit out for me. No way. This guy is very, very selfish. There's no way I'm doing that for him. Even if he hadn't ripped me off at all, there's no way his character I wouldn't sit out. But in absence of information, like if it's just some random, I don't know who he is or I, I don't know what his history is, yeah, I'd sit out for him. That's that's a fair thing to do. Interestingly enough, a controversy about sitting out and collecting blinds came up during a bracelet event on July 4th, 2005. Who won a bracelet on July 4th, 2005? Me. So was this at my event? Did someone have to decide whether to sit out and collect the other's blinds heads up for a bracelet? And if so, how come I never told you the story before? Have I been hiding something from you? Because I I guarantee this uh, this is true. I guarantee that is what happened in that event that uh, someone or in a in on July fourth, two thousand five, in a bracelet event, there was a controversy about sitting up heads up, sitting out heads up. Well, there was that controversy, but it was not at my event. It was at the other July 4th event. The $10,000 PLO event of Raphael Amit versus Vinny Vin that was taking place at the same time as the Limit Hold'em 3K event with Todd Wittellis versus Daryl Mixon, where there was no controversy. And Daryl Mixon was a nice enough guy, by the way. No problem with him. He had no problem with me. But uh, at the other table... 
those two were not very friendly. Now, you guys know about Vinnie Vin's uh, drug issues and his uh, infamous no-show two years later as the chip leader with like 20 people left because he was face down in his hotel room high on drugs. But uh, in 05, on July 4th, 2005, Rafael Emit was uh, able to win the blinds when Vinny Vin got a penalty for something. I forgot what it was, but he did something to get a penalty heads up in that event. And Rafael Emit decided that he is going to take advantage of it and just keep winning the blinds. And Vinny Vin's friends were furious about this and screaming at Rafael Amit that he's a piece of shit. And they really went off on him and were really nasty to him about this, saying that this is unethical. And I can understand that. It's kind of weird when someone gets a penalty heads up because uh, you, know, you get a penalty anytime but heads up and then it, it's understood you're going to lose the blinds. But heads up is a really weird time to get a penalty. I don't know what Vinny Vin did. But if you get a penalty and then nobody uh, nobody plays, the other just sits out, then uh, that's not really a penalty. It's just a delay of the event for 20 minutes. So I can kind of understand from the point of view of the other player, like, well, he got a penalty for something. It's no penalty unless uh, I actually keep playing. There's also a middle ground like, okay, I'll take a few blinds and I'm going to sit out. I think that might be what I would do. I would kind of do like a, not just a 20 minute penalty, just take all the blinds for however long it takes the dealer to deal these, but maybe take five blinds and say, okay, that's all I'm going to take here. I don't want to get too big of an advantage from this. I don't think that's fair. I think he's served a penalty from this and that's it. But Rafael Amit took the whole thing and it probably helped him win because he won the bracelet. And that, that was unfortunately the, the more dominant story of July 4th, 2005, rather than Todd would tell us winning his first bracelet and setting a World Series of Poker record of the best success in first two World Series events ever played. And that's a, that's a record that stands today. No one's ever gotten third and first in their first two events or better than that. And not Jeff Madsen. You may think Jeff Madsen. Look it up. He did not. He did better that following year than I did, which was his first World Series, but he did not get third and first in his two first events. By the way, a Poker Fraud Alert radio listener almost won a bracelet right before that. I believe on uh, July 3rd, 2005, the 3K No Limit Hold'em event, the second place finisher was Matt Glantz, a listener to this show. Too bad. I I would have uh, preferred that uh, Matt won the bracelet, especially because Matt has not yet won a bracelet which is surprising because uh, he's had a lot of success at the World Series. A lot of deep runs, a lot of final tables. But he has not uh, he has not ended up uh, winning uh, a, world, a bracelet yet. By the way, I see his name was Poker God Zeus. I'm just seeing that right now online. I did not know that. I remember playing against him online. I never knew he was Poker God Zeus. All this time I've known Mac Lance, I did not know he was Poker God Zeus online. I never even thought of him as an online player. Like, I, I had played against Poker God Zeus, I never knew who that was. It wasn't like someone I played all the time, but I, I remember the name. It's interesting. Anyway, I, I hope Mac Lance eventually returns to the World Series and wins a bracelet. He almost did. Almost won a day before I did. 
By the way, I'm not going to say who it is. That I don't want to talk badly about anybody who doesn't really deserve it. But there, there was a person who won a bracelet in 2005 that I had played before and I didn't think was very good. He wasn't awful, but I didn't think he was very good. And when I saw he won a bracelet, I was uh, kind of jealous. And I thought, if he can do it, I should be able to do it too. It was almost like inspiration. Like, this guy isn't that good and he won a bracelet. So I better win one now. And then I did. It's funny. Like, when I won it, I thought about that. I remember thinking, wow, okay, so I did. All right, great. So I matched him. This is a person not in poker anymore, by the way. At least to my knowledge. I'm not going to say who it is. There are a lot of bracelet winners that year, so you're not going to be able to tell who I'm talking about. All right. Uh, last topic, and then we will shut this down. just seems like I can't do a reasonable length show these days. It's just, it's just so long. It's so long. It's such a burden on my voice and such a long burden to edit. I'm not looking forward to do the editing afterwards, though. I'll tell you, I had a much tougher editing job last week. There were uh, a number of things I had to fix. Not cut out of the show, just like fix problems. And I, I had to do an editing job, so uh, a number of things sounded better. And I noted them during the show. I'm like, oh, this is going to be such a terrible job. This week, I don't think it's going to be bad. But sometimes I go through it, and I listen to parts of it, and I go, no, this, like, a, I'll go through things and go, no, 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 I've got to fix this, or I've got to remove this. So, like, never never big things, but, like, little things that, like, add up. Just so it's more listenable. I never remove, like, real content. All right. So, last topic is about Caesars and the announcement they made regarding their tier credits and rewards credits. And I have to say I was underwhelmed by it. And unfortunately, it's not going to do much good for me. And in fact, there's no way to have known this, but I now regret uh, earning Diamond on January 1st, as I did. I actually earned Diamond on January 1st. I'm one of the earliest Caesars Diamonds of 2020. Can't be much earlier than January 1st. But that's when I earned it. I honestly earned my Diamond on that day, New Year's. And that was by design. That wasn't a coincidence. But uh, the question became, and of course on January 1st, nobody in the U.S. knew of the coronavirus, so there was no belief that maybe they're going to be shut down or anything like that was possible. But there has been the question, what do they do about the tier statuses and the reward credits? Because reward credits expire after six months of inactivity, and right now you can't be active because the casinos are closed. And then some people may be afraid to go back. So what do you do about those people? And the tier statuses, maybe they shouldn't have the same requirements because there's less time to earn them in the year with the closures. Also, people who have existing tier statuses, maybe it's not fair to take them away if they can't play for much of 2020. So here is what they sent to, I believe, every Total Rewards, Caesars Rewards member. Dear whoever... As we continue to navigate our way through this challenging time, our team is committed to keeping you informed and updated on how we are managing through the COVID-19 public health emergency. I hope this email finds you and your family well and in good spirits. We have been working tirelessly to adjust to the new landscape, but most importantly, we want to make it easy for you to enjoy your Caesars reward experience. I know many of our loyal guests have questions about benefits and status, and I will do my best to answer them. 
I am pleased to announce that we will be extending your 2020 tier status and benefits, making tier status easier to earn for 2021, making your reward credits, making sure your reward credits don't expire, and increasing your opportunities to earn when you are ready for us to welcome you back. So I'm, I'm going to read you what they're doing, and I'm going to comment as I read this of what I think is good and bad. Okay, here we go. Extending 2020 tier status. Your 2020 status and benefits will be extended through January 31st, 2022, giving you more time to enjoy what you've earned. Sounds good on the surface, right? Your, your 2020 status, whatever it is, whatever you have right now, will remain your status all the way through January 31st, 2022, no matter what you do. Even if you don't play again, you have all the way till January 31st, 2022 to keep the same status. Sounds great, right? Well, what was the date that my status, my diamond status I earned on January 1st, 2020, what was the date that was going to expire? January 31st, 2022. <laughs> so how many extra days, all you geniuses listening to the show, how many extra days did I earn from this new policy? How many extra days do I get? Zero point zero. Correct. So why even announce this? Well, I can tell you why. If you earned your tier status in 2019, but had not re-earned it in 2020, this gives you an extra year. So I kind of got bad luck here. If I had earned my status in 2019 instead of 2020, then I would be getting an extra year. But I didn't. I earned my status in 2020. Why? Because it was about to expire. My tier status was going to expire on January 31st, 2020, if I didn't earn it because I didn't get, I, I had only earned platinum, which is pretty useless, in 2019. So in order to keep my diamond, I had diamond throughout 2019 because I earned it in 2018. It's like a two-year thing with Caesars. Whatever year you earn it, you have it the entire next calendar year plus the first month of the following calendar year. And that's been the standard policy. That's not because of COVID-19. So since I earned it in 2020, the time my tier status expires is identical. That does not help me one bit. What they should have said is we are giving you an extra 12 months above whatever you had. So if it was expiring January 31st, 2022, you now have it till 2023. If it expires January 31st, 2021, you now have it till January 2022. Why don't they do that? Because they think they're going to be you know, pretty close back to full operation in uh, 2022. And they don't want people to not have the incentive to re-earn it by that point. So they're basically only throwing the bone to those who uh, aren't going to be able to play much in 2020 to re-earn their status for 2021. So they're just giving them another year. They're saying, don't worry what you earn in 2020. We're just uh, giving you another year no matter what. Whatever you are right now, you're just going to stay at least that. You will not be high, You will not be lower any time in 2021 than you are right now is basically what they're saying. But for those like me, it doesn't help. Anyone who earned their status in 2020 that doesn't expect to earn higher than that, which I'm not, I wasn't going to go for seven stars, then this isn't helping you one bit. Now, here's as far as the, the earning tier status is what they say for 2021. Now, I don't know if that means in 2021 or earning it in 2020 that will be good throughout 2021. They, they don't make that clear. 
but it says making tier status easier to earn for 2021. I, I presume what they mean is uh, earning it either for the remainder of 2020 or 2021, but who knows? Platinum now requires 4,000 tier credits total instead of 5,000. Diamond now requires 12,000 tier credits instead of 15,000. Diamond Plus, which is uh, just some extra benefits for Diamond, not that great. Uh, 20,000 tier credits instead of 25,000. Diamond Elite now 60,000 instead of 75,000. And Seven Stars now 125,000 tier credits instead of 150,000. I really do wonder if they really mean this for all of 2021. Because if they fully reopen sometime in 2021, especially early in 2021, that's pretty good for people who want to come back and earn these statuses at a discount. But if it's just during 2020 we're lowering these requirements, uh, that's not helping very much because they've been shut down already for two months and, and more time is going to pass till they reopen and a lot of people aren't going to want to go or especially with those that would have to come on a plane. So... I don't even know if like, if this is going to really help people much because some people are just not going to want to come back at all in 2020 until this is all passed. When they say for 2021, it's really confusing. And they, they don't even try to explain this. Then as far as reward credits expiration, remember they expire if you're inactive for six months. It says reward credits will not expire for six months of inactivity until September 20. September 1st, 2020 at the earliest. That's kind of crappy. So what they've done is they've made it to where nobody's reward credits will expire no matter what until September 1st, but maybe after that too. They're saying the worst it'll be is September 1st it'll it'll expire if you haven't done it in six months. Presumably they'll extend that if, if the majority of time between March and September they're closed. But look, aren't you guys trying to throw a bone to people to return? Like, why be dicks about this? Why not just say, at no time in 2020 are RCs expiring? Why not say that? Why, why pressure people to come back a little earlier than they want to? I know you may say, well, we want to get as many people back as fast as we can, but, but how about being a little more customer-friendly here and saying, we understand some of you may want to ease back in or see how it goes before you come back, even without saying that. How about just as... as Something we're doing for you, reward credits won't expire in 2020. And expiration of reward credits is stupid anyway because you earn them. I know they're trying to do this to entice you to come back once every six months, but especially people far away, it's, it's hard to come back every six months. What if you live in New York? It's not that easy to come to Vegas every six months. There's ways to get reward credits without coming back, such as uh, using the total rewards credit card and spending like a dollar on it every uh, six months, but... Why make people do that? Like, why not just say they're just not going to expire this year? It doesn't hurt them. People earn these already. Let them keep them. Like, come on. No, we we won't take them till September first, and maybe even not after that. How about just not in 2020 at all? It's kind of a dick move to even say that. Okay. Then they say more ways to earn five times tier credits and five times reward credits be on the lookout for a month-long multiplier promotion for your favorite property exact dates will be communicated prior to the property's opening so that sounds like one of the ways they're going to entice people to come back is five times tier credits and five times reward credits now watch them restrict this to certain games watch them say you only get this on slots but video poker will be two times i I could totally see they're still going to be paranoid about people earning the five times credits and and taking advantage of this 
for low negative EV games, which, by the way, at like their Vegas properties, the games aren't even very good. So that's still not even a good deal. But watch them say that's only for slots and for for video poker it's reduced. I, we'll see, but I could see them skimping like that. Then it says, Casino offers, shortly before we reopen, we will resume sending you your usual schedule of promotions and events. So they're basically just saying you're not going to be getting events for – you're not going to be getting offers for right now, but don't panic. We're just suspending it, and as soon as we're going to open soon, we're going to start shipping the offers to you. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for the support you've shown to our team members and properties throughout the years. When you are ready, we will be here for you. We look forward to having the opportunity to welcome you back to the exciting experiences that Caesars Rewards is famous for offering. This isn't enough. Uh, I, I understand the tier credit thing more, like I've explained. The reward credit should not be expiring at all. And they should say as far as earning for the remainder of the year, they, they shouldn't lay this out under like exact number of tier credits you have to earn right now because they don't know when they're reopening. So they may have to adjust it again. And, and they're only adjusting it down 20%, which isn't very much. So how about this? How about this? How about instead of just adjusting these down about 20%, how about, I know this this is a, a tough thing, but hear me out. How about you say that for those that are going to return in X number of months after we reopen, um, we will allow you to earn diamond for this discount. Seven stars for this discount. Uh, you'll get double reward credits or more, triple reward credits, whatever. Something to really entice people to come back in those first few critical months. And then maybe extend it if you think that's, uh, it's working to bring people in and you still need to nudge people to come back. Like something to really have people go, wow, that's kind of cool. I'd really love to come back and, and earn diamond a lot quicker than before and, and earn a lot more uh, rewards credits than I could before. Like, like that, Now, maybe they're doing this in a way. Like if you earn five times tier credits and diamond is now only 12,000 instead of 15,000, maybe you can earn diamond pretty fast. But, but instead of like a month-long multiplier program, how about like a, a three-month-long program that maybe is a little less aggressive but, but gets people to diamond faster? Something like that, to where people who have wanted these statuses for a while but haven't been able to attain them, that now it's more in reach for the first X number of months from reopening. And get people used to start coming back. They've got to do something more than what they're offering here, in my opinion. Now, maybe when the actual promotions come out, I'll say, okay, this is pretty good. But you've got to entice people to come back. And I think the offer should be good too, especially along the lines of non-cash offers. And uh, I, I believe these are coded in the Caesar system as Y offers, the hard cash offers. So not those. When I say hard cash, I mean ones that actually cost them real money that's fairly close to the amount of the offer, like free play. That's like a hard cash offer where uh, – Free play is real money you can run through the machines and then cash out whatever you win and turn it into real cash in your pocket. Or uh, or, or some kind of gift they're giving you that, that may not be worth the retail value but still costs them real money to buy, like, like gift cards or whatever. 
that that's like a hard cash offer. I th- again, I think those are those used to be encoded with a Y in their system. But then there's the offers which cost them much much less than the perceived value to the guest: hotel rooms for free, um, meals for free, shows for free if they can open the shows and if they own the show. Things like that. Just the things that they can give away that cost them very little, but normally would cost the customer a decent amount. Uh, a good example of a freebie given not uh, by casinos so much. Well, I guess casinos too in a different way, but like by, like if you're at a restaurant and there's a little trouble and they say, the manager says, here, I'll buy you a drink. What would you like? Alcoholic drink or a non-alcoholic drink? I'll, I'll buy you a free drink. That costs the restaurant very little because uh, the, there's a huge markup on all kinds of drinks at restaurants. If the manager says, here, I'll, I'll buy you a free entree, that costs them a lot more. And, and uh, or even something, even a food item that's about the same in price as the drink still costs them a lot more than the drink. The drinks have a huge markup. And and same at these casino hotels, uh, rooms have a big markup compared to what they actually cost the property, provided that they're not full. If they're full, it costs them that because then it would be filled otherwise by someone paying the real money. But if it's not going to be full, uh, the cost of putting someone in a room that's sitting there anyway is very little. Even at uh, restaurants they own, yeah, there's some real hard cost of the food, but much, much less – than the retail price of the food. So I would start giving a lot more generous uh, food and beverage comps and other comps that they can give pretty cheaply to people to bring them back. That's what I would do. What they may not want to do is make hotel rooms dirt cheap. You may think, oh, I'm going to get tremendous deals to come back. Maybe not. They may not want you back. They may not want you taking up what is now precious space there. Like, you know, remember, at the tables, they can't seat as many as before, like the casino tables I'm talking about. They probably don't want you there playing low-limit games. So I don't know if they want the people coming in for, for bargain hotel rooms who are staying at Caesars, for example, for $49 a night who otherwise couldn't afford Caesar's normal rates, I don't think they want those people because those people aren't going to gamble at the rates they want them to gamble. They don't want them taking up spots on the casino floor that now has to be more distanced and and uh, gamble at the lowest limits offered there or not gamble at all. So, so I, I think what they want to bring in is people who are going to spend money and find ways to entice them. So give them the room for free. Give them a generous food credit. And entice them with reward credit multipliers and easier paths to tier status. I, I think that's what they need to do. And it looks like they kind of get it, but but don't really fully get it yet. We will see when they reopen what ends up happening. But I just wanted to relay that information to you so you know what I'm talking about. And you know what to expect. All right. That's it. Very late. 520 in the morning. Saturday looks like the day. Been doing a pretty consistent Saturday show. Give me that, right? You don't have to like search for the next poker fraud on the radio. It's been very consistently on Saturday. And 
what the heck, we'll keep it on Saturday. So the next scheduled show, uh, Saturday, May 16th. They kind of expect around the same time, 8.30, 9 o'clock. It seems to work the best. And, uh, and then we do it all night. I'm kind of hoping not to have to do shows this long. I know some of you guys enjoy these long shows, but I, I don't enjoy doing them this long. It, it feels a little oppressive to me when I go in to do the show. It's going to be eight hours. Like, I go in believing it's not going to be eight hours, then it becomes eight hours. Because if I went in believing it's eight hours, I, I, I would kind of just be intimidated by my own show. I, I, I would kind of dread doing the show, going, oh my god, i got to do eight hours of this? i got to talk eight hours? Thank you, Vintage One. You made it easier on my voice, Vintage One. He was very uh, vocal tonight, participating a lot, commenting a lot, gives my voice a break, brought up a lot of good points. Thank you. Let's see, texts we got. I'm gonna, we didn't get that many texts tonight, I'll be honest. Some people like to pretend they always get like a ton of interaction with their show. I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We didn't get a lot of texts tonight. I don't know why. Like, last week we got a lot of texts, and the week before we did. But uh, this week, we didn't quite get quite as many. But uh, I don't know where the music's playing from. Where, where's the music? I can't even find the music. I can't stop the music because I don't know where the music's playing. Here we go. Okay. Stop the music. It wasn't even easy to find where the music I have like a million windows open. I could not find where the music was playing. But I finally located to stop and play the texts here. From the uh, 773, referring to the Ventura County forcible removal, it says uh, Chicago offers optional housing in downtown hotels, three meals a day, not sure about ramen. Chicago used to have some really nasty places to live. The housing projects, these high-rise housing projects were just full of crime and awful like back in the 70s there was one known as a Cabrini Green which was notorious for being the worst one the show Good Times was based upon those housing projects they were supposed to live in Cabrini Green though they never named it but that's what was depicted in the theme song and that's where they were supposed to be and that's why they were frequently victimized by crime in the show which of course was fictitious but it was based upon that uh, I, should, I, I think Cabrini Green has been demolished, but uh, if it still existed, then I guess that would be a good place to put people. Of course, no one would want to go there if it's optional. From the 424, woke up at 6 a.m. in Vermont. Great info. Yes, buffets are done for a while. Soup Plantation could have done a single trip. Luby's cafeteria style, but who wants a one-trip salad bar? Now, see, I don't agree because still everyone's touching the same stuff. It, it would improve it some, but I don't think it's enough. Uh, I've been using sanitizer every time I come back from the salad bar or buffet for years. Thanks for the info. That was from uh, a guy calling himself Texas Fugitive, who uh, I know has been a listener to this show for a while. So thank you for that text. And uh, from the 480, this is from FTP Jesus. Uh, Here's one for you. Residential psych facility here in Arizona suddenly had two residents who suddenly showed symptoms, both minors. They snap tested the whole staff. 75% came back positive and all asymptomatic and almost 80% of the residents. 
but it was only those two that showed symptoms. So this was an interesting uh, group there at this psych facility where two kids got the coronavirus and had, uh, he said minors, I assume probably teenagers. Uh, they got some symptoms and they tested and uh, all the staff that showed positive, 75% of the staff was positive, all of them asymptomatic and 80% of the residents and they were all asymptomatic except for those uh, two. Now, the, the residents make sense because they're young. These, these were probably – I'm guessing that psych facility is probably for minors. And so that would make sense why most of them are asymptomatic. And that's – I've always suspected that if the kids return to school that you're going to – they're all going to be asymptomatic when they get it. It's going to spread around crazily. And that's that's a nerve, nervous thing for me because Ben will then bring it home and bring it to me and to his mom. So that scares me for August. But the the fact that the entire staff, 75% tested positive, yet had no symptoms, that you know that's promising. And I saw something not quite as dramatic as that, but still pretty dramatic. The Diamond Princess, the infamous cruise ship where uh, people died and uh, was stuck off the coast for a while. The Diamond Princess... They found that uh, 46% of those who tested positive for the coronavirus were asymptomatic, and most of the people on that ship were old. It's a cruise ship. They have to be old. I think like the Carnival line, there's a lot of younger people, but Princess, it's always an older crowd. Sometimes really old, sometimes moderately old, but always old. Like at 48, if I was on any Princess ship prior to all this, that it would be... Mostly older people. Mostly people would be older than me. I would be one of the younger guys in the ship. There'd be some younger than me. There'd be some families with small children where the, where the parents are in their 30s or early 40s. But for the most part, I'd be one of the young guys at age 48. I was on a Norwegian cruise once that went to New England and Canada in 2015 where I was really the youngster in my early 40s. Like there was barely anyone on board younger than me. So, and, and people would comment on that. Like, oh, wow, you're young. <laughs> I was really like the exception there, the unusual young guy on the ship at age 43. So uh, they weren't all like that. There were other Norwegian cruises where there were a number of people younger than me, but, but still I was by far younger than average. And still 46% of the Diamond Princess were asymptomatic. So there there really may be a higher chance to be asymptomatic than we are giving credit for. And that's a good thing. Well, it's a bad and good thing. It's a good thing for uh, not harming people. It's a bad thing for the spread of the virus. So it's got a good and bad element to it. It, it, it does give me some hope that if I get it, I'm not just screwed because I'm over 45 with high blood pressure, that maybe I could just be an asymptomatic one. I don't think I've had it already, but uh, maybe I got really lucky and I already had, and I don't know. So we'll have to see, but that's an interesting stat from FTB Jesus. Okay, I don't have anything further to say. Uh, We're just going to play out the music here. Actually, I have one more thing to say. The final thing I have to say to you here on the morning of May 10th, 2020 Shalom